Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hello and welcome to the Bible. Wait, what? Hello, everybody. (laughs) My name's Jeannie. I'm sitting down here with Pastor Rowan again. Again, here we are. Yes. Did you know this is the 17th podcast? Is this right? The 17th, 17th. well, Topic. 17th topic that we've discussed. Yeah, some have been split into two, but this is the 17th time. Wow. Yeah. How many of those have you done, Jeannie? Oh, too many. Yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe eight or nine of those. Probably. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, ten it maybe. It blends even. into one, yeah. to be honest. Well, you you do have a few fans out there, Jenny. I have to say. Oh, well, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, a few people. Not that they, not that other people aren't liking everyone else, but Jenny, you're a bit of a favourite, I think. Oh well, you know, maybe it's because I get confused a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and I lose my way, and I wonder what's going on, and uh, yes. Um, but you know what? I do want to say to people who are watching, please send us your questions. Yeah, yeah, we want some. Yeah, questions. we're getting yeah. in a few really. Good, tricky questions that are coming through. Yeah, and then we're just going to leave them to Jeannie to answer. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I'm having a heart attack. Should we stop now? <laughs> Call the ambulance. Uh, no, actually, I would like to answer those questions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah respond, I think. Because some of them, I think, when I've seen them, I've gone, oh, I don't know if we're going to answer that. We can respond. You're right. Yes. Yeah, yes. respond. But think about it. You know, yeah. um, spend some time in the Word. And, you know, I just want to say, recently it was school holidays and uh, I went away for a week and I did not read the Bible not no. for one minute. Oh. No, it's true. And my watch and phones even stopped giving me, Stop um, giving you <laughs> giving me messages of the day. Yeah. And then I have to say, when I came back and I, I started listening to a podcast, um, it wasn't one of these ones. No, Apologies. no, of <laughs> no, but it was, it was reading through the Bible and, um, they were just speaking about just reading some scripture. Yeah. And I started to feel this sort of warmth in my heart. And I was, I was walking along. It was like, oh, now I remember who I am. Oh, that's great. Like I know who I am because of what the Bible says. Oh, that's brilliant. And I can hear the, the voice of God. I can recognize it now. That's good. So that's what happens to me when I read when the Bible. When you read the Bible, that's yeah. great. You, and when you I know, don't. And when you don't, you notice like, it. It was chaos oh, that week. Well, some, you know, not everyone reads it every day and that's, uh, that's totally okay. You know, um, 
I read it every day more out of competitiveness. I'm just looking at my version Bible plan and I'm up to 1,846 days in a row. Oh. So I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I'm too wow. proud. Right. The competition's on, <laughs> the, the, Yeah, yeah. I'm too proud. I was devastated when I lost my 370-day streak. I went never again. Oh, um, I didn't even know it was on there. Yeah, you can, yeah you can. But you read in the paper Bible so you don't necessarily I do. do that if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I have yeah, two here with two me. she's got two Bibles in front of her today, folks. Yeah, because I write notes in the side. There's more colour and notes on those Bibles than just about any Bible I've ever seen. So yeah. we're in for a bit of a treat today. Yes, we have a we, pretty tricky topic. We do have a trippy, to- tricky, trippy, trippy, it might be a bit trippy too. <laughs> we have a trippy, trippy. <laughs> I've I've been unwell for a couple of days, so my head's not in the game. And we do have a trippy, tricky topic, topic today. Yeah. We're going to be talking about sin. Sin. Yeah. Yes. So um, I've been waiting for this episode, actually, Jeannie, for a while. Why is um, that? Well, I've been referring back to this, and I think I. Uh, I've chatted with Simon about it on an episode. I've chatted with Amanda about it on an episode as well. Just that um, I've really been doing a lot of my own research on the topic of of what is sin, and I'm going to be preaching on it at a couple of our locations as well. And um, you know, I'm just I've been looking forward to this episode because uh, I, I feel as I'm starting to form up a bit of a, a fresh understanding of the concept of sin. And um, and I know that just sitting down with you and the work you've done, I'm just going to help to shape that a little bit more. And then I'm going to be going off tomorrow and writing some writing a sermon and oh dear, recording it for a picture location. So the pressure's on. So you're going to be my, my study Ooh. buddy today. And <sighs> study, we're going to, buddy. study buddy. And we're going to just uh, dig into this very, very complex, uh, challenging, important topic, which I've come to realise, I think, in many ways, we have Christ- as Christians have probably oversimplified it um, and missed, missed the mark which is what sin means actually, but missed the mark in some ways. So You say oversimplified, but perhaps we've actually complicated, complicated it. Complicated it. Yes, exactly. It, I was just trying to think as I was saying it, have we made it more complicated or less complex? And yeah. I think as we dig into it, we'll see that. I think we've probably overcomplicated in the process of overcomplicating what is sin, we've missed the details of what is sin. I yeah. yeah, I actually agree with you. Um, but we may actually differ here. We might. We may. Yeah. And I'm open for that. Me too. Yeah. yeah, I'm open to and, be challenged. Oh, yeah, well, it's been deeply challenging. When I saw this topic come up, came up, I was like, it looks down the list. I was like, I want that you one. You want that one? I wow, want sin. Yeah, more than grace or glory or whatever. It's Apologies like, to the I others that have done sin. those. Yeah. You didn't get to pick because a man, this is Jeannie's podcast, so it's not she can podcast. do what she wants. No, anybody can do. Any yeah. topic is up for. They are, yep. Except for this one. Except this for one, this one. This one, one was she mine. was grabbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I do. I've been thinking about what is sin. Yeah. And um, so we'll get into it. But I just want to say that normally I go through um, like the Old Testament and then to the New Testament. Yep. Today I might switch it up. Sure. And I'm going to go old, new, old, new, yep. old, new, yep. old, Almost new. like the Bible plan sort of. Yeah, like yeah. You, oh, the like Bible it is. plan. Because yes. it is on. Yeah, I know. That's what we're reading. That's what we're reading. Okay, and, but well, we have I been tending to do old and new just because they flow together. But let's yeah. do old, new, old, new. Oh, new. I really yep. felt that in my spirit, okay. if I have one. All right, so let's get into Genesis 16. Genesis 16. Okay, here we are in Genesis 16, and this is the birth of Ishmael. Yes. Right? Yep, okay. certainly is. So in this chapter, we read about how Sarah, or my Bible actually calls her Sarai. Sarai. She's Sarai at this point. Sarai. Not Sarai yet. Yes. Okay. So this is Abraham. As well, I under- Abram at this Abram. point too. Yep. Yeah. In chapter 15, God's made a, a covenant promise to Abram. 
and that he is going to be, uh, what's the actual words? Uh, father of many nations, yes. I'm assuming you're going to say. Yep. Father of many nations and multiple descendants. And he's childless at this point. Childless. Mm. And so Sarah, Sarai, who is elderly at this point. So Sarai becomes Sarah later and Abram becomes Abraham later, just for our listeners so that they understand that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. God changes both their names. Yeah. And their hearts. And their hearts, yes. Yeah. And the insertion of the the Ruach, the Ruach into their name. Yeah. That's actually the into their names. Okay. So I'll just, uh, should I just read this little bit? In yes. verse one, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. I just want to state out though, this sounds so strange to us, right? But this is a cultural thing. Yes. Right. This is yes. normal. This is not a. This is not the sin in this area. Uh, in this, uh, maybe is it? Oh, it's definitely cultural. I wouldn't say it's right. Well, I would still call it sin. But why would you call it sin if it's because, cultural? Because um, lots of things in culture are the result of of sin. Um, our culture is built just because just because culture allowed for. Um, just because culture allowed for Sarai to have a slave girl and say, hey, to her husband, I want you to sleep with my slave girl, doesn't make it okay um, in the eyes of God. Are you only saying that, though, because you know that it is sort of a direct yes. disobedient order? Uh, like, Well, I now know because of progressive revelation throughout Scripture that slavery is not right. So at the time, they may not have been aware that this was the wrong thing to do. But God doesn't change, and so it still was the wrong thing to do. Slavery in general is not right the, because this is this is a trauma, trauma warning. If you read this story, this isn't a, a story of abuse. This this poor woman has been sexually abused. She's been used for other people's purposes, and so that doesn't make it right. It's cultural, yes, but I still think you have to you have to allow for the fact that it was not God's original intention. It's the result of human failings, which makes me wonder how many things, other things we might think we have right in our culture that we're still not right with yet. Okay. So you put straight on your little 21st century lenses and you viewed that one um, through that. I'm trying to- Yeah, I did. I did, but I don't, I don't think that as you read this story and go on, I'm not sure that you won't find that the story of the patriarchs, God commentates through the fam- through the dysfunction in the family to show while these things may not outwardly be seen as quoted as sinful, the results prove that the actions of the patriarchs were sinful because there's dysfunction in the family unit. So the story speaks for itself. I heard N.T. Wright say this, the stories speak for themselves. It's God's commentary on what happens when humans decide what's right for them rather than trust God. That's true. And there's a lot of layers in this. I mean, we just Mm. went through verses. (laughs) We did two two verses. verses, Yes. And you're already (laughs) dealing with things that we we consider really bad. Yes. Slavery and sexual yes, abuse. Absolutely. Right. And yes. ownership. Um, yep. All those things. Yep. Yeah. We consider them really bad. But at my point but, trying to be at this point in time, yes. it wasn't considered no, bad. Absolutely. It was culturally acceptable. Culturally yes, accepted. And, and that's important to realise. It was culturally acceptable. You're absolutely right there. I probably overcomplicated it. But I think if we dismiss that without realising, no, I think as we, we should pick up on this and go, oh, let's just follow that theme through and see what's going on. But, yes, yeah, culturally acceptable, Jeannie. Yeah. Okay, because I'm, I'm trying to make that point because just as, because I think if we see that as culturally accepted, then we can actually see the real 
the real issue that's going on here. Okay. Teach me. The, Come on. <laughs> Teach me. I'm ready that. to You'll learn. You'll have me running. I want to leave already. This is too stressful. <laughs> uh, but so the, before this, Abraham has been given a dream. Yep. Right. And Sarah has heard this dream. Yep. And now I see that the the sin issue in this is that they are trying to force the dream. They are trying to make it happen by their own Absolutely. accord. Yep. yep. Right? Oh, totally. I'm with you. Tracking 100%. Okay. Yep. So they are, in a sense, putting their self before God's plan. Yes. They're saying, hey, God, you said this and now you've kind of vanished uh, we haven't heard from haven't you heard for from a while, years. and now I'm going to do what's actually culturally acceptable. Yep, and I'm what take my friends my are doing, hands. I'm going yep. to take matters into my own hands, put yep. my own self, and uh, I'm going to also believe that this is possibly the way that God wants it to happen. Yes, that's the point. As I wonder how much of this was thinking, well, maybe it's not happening. Maybe it's up to us. Not everything that people do is always. Not every sin that we commit is always committed um, maliciously. Sometimes it's just thinking this is the way it has to be. The Pharisees were guilty of that multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. You're with me? I, okay. I, yeah, and I totally agree. I think that's the point is that they took matters into their own hands. They didn't trust yeah. God. And it's like a this is the difficulty in the dream moment where we we take it into our own hands. Yep. We make, you know, maybe God wants it to this way, to happen this way. Right? Yep. yep I'm yep. just sort of no, summing you. up. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. That's what the nope. first few, few yeah, little verses there. Yep. Keep going. Okay, so Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal and so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram and uh, then she became pregnant. Yep. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, Hagar is the name of the slave girl. I don't mm-hmm. know if we actually said that. Yep, it says that. She yep. began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I'll put my servant into your arm. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with it as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Haggai so harshly that she finally ran away. Mm-hmm. Messed up story, hey? Messed up story. So when God God promised this child to them or, or to be a descendant, and then they take these matters into their own hands. They force God's hand. Yes. Yep. And then a multitude of issues and concerns and stress and worry happen. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's just interesting. <laughs> well, that's, that isn't that human nature. Where, well, that's the implications of sin, really. This, this is the implications of what happens when we think we know best. Very rarely, when we think we know better than God, does it work out. One thing I want to point out here, and Tim Mackey picks up on this in the Bible Project a lot, there's a pattern that is repeated in the, a, a, a lit, literary pattern that is repeated throughout a lot of these stories in the Bible, these stories of sin. And it follows the same literary pattern as the original sin in the garden. It says, Eve saw the tree. She wanted, she saw the fruit look good. She wanted it for herself, so she took it. See, want, take. Now, if we look at this same story here, we see those same words patterned here as well. She says, I can see that we aren't having any children, so she took her wife, gave it to Abraham. Abraham took because they wanted something, they took it. 
see, want, take, rather than trusting God and going, no, I trust that God will provide his wisdom and his answers and his time. What happens with us, this pattern is we see something, we want it and we take it. And when we take it for ourselves, the thing we want, we have done it at the expense of another person who is created in the image of God. So while you're saying this culturally acceptable, I think it's important to see that even in the literary structure is this see, want, take. And when you do that, it's sin and it harms the image of God in somebody else. And so I think we need to be throwing all that into the mix. And we're seeing, as we're talking about this story here, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the result of this story is going to be a mess because they saw, they wanted, and they took, they didn't trust God. Mm-hmm. Yep. You jumped straight in there to the original sin. I was going to ask you that in the next chapter. Okay, we'll go back to it in the next chapter. <laughs> we'll go back to it. Uh, but here we are establishing, I agree with you, see, want, take. Yep. take. It's a self thing. Yes, it's self-focused. Self-focused. And as yep. you said, when we fail to recognise uh, the image of God. In uh, other people. In other people. Yeah. Yep. All right. And I think that will develop that. We'll see how we go. That's part of what I'm developing in my own thinking around this is that sin, we'll talk about it more when we get to Psalm 51 and different Psalms today, but that that sin is failing to honour the image of God that he has imprinted into another person. And uh, when we when we take for ourselves at the expense of other people, that is sinful. Yeah. And I actually think, I'm going to get straight, I'm going to go back to the Ten Commandments here, yep. right? So, and you mentioned Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and I think that sin is twofold. I will actually say that when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God and they ate of the fruit, that was actually their rejection of God. Yep. So that, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, the first five commandments are all about honouring God, right? And then the second five are all about honouring others. So we reject God in the first five and then we harm Mm -hmm. the image of God in the others. I link them a little bit more than that. I was talking about it with Simon on the podcast. He had a great analogy of this. I said, I think that um, to separate them out completely, we run the risk of making God into some kind of egotistical being where somehow we dishonor him and he gets angry or or, or, um, or upset. And I think what Simon said, which was a good thought, he says, as a father, he said, um, you know, if my child hurts me, I can take it. Might be sad, but if my child hurts another child... I'm really disappointed. And he was, and I, the light went on for me and I went, that's the point. I think think the sinning against God is one thing. The rejection th- of God. The rejection of God. But I think what it is, is it's linked to the fact, it all comes back to this image of God. It's failing to, I'm sinning against God because I'm failing. When, when I take for myself, I am failing to honor the image of God that he has imprinted in me. And I'm failing to honor the image of God in others when I sin against them. So love God with all your heart. What you're saying is what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's loving God and loving others. Uh, What I would be careful about doing is is thinking that is, is completely separating the loving of God. I think God, sinning against God is sinning against the image of God in ourself or in other people. Because if he has, if the wonderful creator God has gone to so much trouble to imprint himself into his creation in these beautiful human beings that he's made, that is tragic when we fail to do that. So sin is both. I'm, I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. Sin is, sin is not just harming another person. It's, it's harming, it's turning on God. But I, I think when I reject God, 
it's sinning against him and myself. It's sinning against the image of God in myself that he's imprinted and entrusted me with, that I'm failing to honor that image. And when I sin against you, I'm sinning against the image of God in you. Mm-hmm. This is all yep. a work in progress for me. No. But <laughs> Well, me too. Yeah. That's why it's so exciting to yeah. talk about. Yeah. But when you also reject God, you also reject the image of God within that, people. Within, Yep, within yourself and within others. Yes. I think that's the key that I'm starting to realise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so out of that rejection, when a rejection ultimately means that you put yourself before God. Yep. So you make yourself your own God. Yes. Right? Yep. So you come up with the rules like Adam and Eve. When they made that decision, they ultimately said, we know more than God. Yep. We have the right now to choose to discern, to say what is right and wrong, what is sin, what is evil, what is good, and all of those decisions. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. That's, okay. That's where we're going. So the rejection of God is the promotion of self. Yes. Yes. Rather than the honour of the image of God in me, which requires that I love and serve him. Yeah. And yeah. if I promote myself, I do not have to honor anything That's about right. you. No, absolutely. Because I am my own God. Yep. You are my servant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which comes back to this story again. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say it's culturally acceptable, but it's not according to God's intention. If you look at the the, the Genesis plan, this is not what God intended. No, it's not what God intended. Yes. That's right. None of this is what God intended. No. He intended the relationship. We're going to look at a whole bunch of stories today. Yes. To illustrate in one form or another this same point. Yes. It, yes. Okay. Am I going off track? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. No. Oh, that's good. Because my brain is going. Keep going. Well, at least there's some activity in there. There's plenty happening in there. Even my okay. brain's sort of working at about 80%, so we'll yeah. see how we go. Yeah, I do want to say this is a it is a work in progress yes. for me too. There's so much about this and just all of the YouTube watching. Dare I confess I get a lot of research on oh, YouTube. Yes. Uh, it's, well, I, it's been blowing my mind. All the things that I have thought I knew about sin, yeah. I know nothing. Yeah, well, I feel I feel the same way. And it, um, all right, let's get back to the topic. What back to the topic. <laughs> Where were we? Chapter 12. We're still going on chapter oh, yeah. 16. Okay. All right. So Hagar, she's run away. Yep. Right. So she's, and I don't blame her for running away, no. but they both sound like they've been quite awful to each other, Hagar yes. and Sarai. Yeah. But I see, I blame Sarai more because, because she's hurt. Hagar is abused. So she's going to, she's lashing out of her trauma. But that's just me. Yeah. Doesn't make it right, but I understand when people have been traumatized that they will, hurting people hurt people. Yes. Yes. That's true. Yes. All right. So she runs away from her mistress, and here we have the angel of the Lord. I love when the angel of the Lord appears because yeah. it makes me stop and think, who is the angel of the Lord, which we've talked about. <laughs> we have talked about that before. Yeah, and you notice that it's the the uh, conversation sort of changes. Well, not he, he starts off addressing himself as him, I yep. later on. Anyway, so the angel of the Lord is going to appear in a couple of stories today. Okay. And he said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then... I will give you more descendants than you can count. So a sin has been committed, but God still decides to bless it. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. I think that God's redemptive nature means that he will turn even our biggest failings into um, redeem them means to bring them into part of his plan to buy them back. So the greatest failure of all human history is the Garden of Eden story, the, the original sin story, and yet God redemptively turned that into the catalyst for the greatest victory of all, this, the coming of the Christ. So I think this just is another illustration that just we see time and time again throughout the Bible that 
human sin never arrests the purpose of God. He is bigger than human failing, human sin. He will have his way and he will. He is faithful to his promise despite our sin. Okay. All right. You were taking me somewhere else then. Though that was good, you're right, and that's true, and then that's the whole reason that we're here. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. See, I, I shouldn't do this podcast. This I is, think this too is many a, things. This is a challenging podcast, folks, if you're listening to it, because we are, we're dealing with individual chapters, but we're also dealing with a very big topic. So bear with us. We're, we're going somewhere. We might fudge our way through yeah, it, I think to we be will. honest. All right. So the angel said, you will, you're going to have birth, give birth to a son. You're, you are to name him Ishmael, which, mean God, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry mm. of distress. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing that God would hear a cry of distress, even amongst all of this madness and that they had turned against him. Just exactly what you were saying. God hears her cry yeah, of distress. This little Egyptian slave girl. Yeah. I think cry of distress. I think that's to me is just, it just amazes me at the graciousness of God that he hears the weak. He hears, he hears the vulnerable. Weak. I would love to hear God say that to me, but then I wouldn't be so happy about verse 12. <laughs> you have to go back home, yeah. you mean? No, this son of yours will be a oh, wild yes. man. Yes, absolutely. As untamed sure as how. a wild donkey. Hmm. He'll raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. He will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Yeah, not really an encouraging thing to hear about your son, is it? No. So this is Ishmael. Um, yeah. Can you tell me anything about the family line of Ishmael? What happens to him? So Ishmael ends up becoming the... Um, the people group that uh, will later become the the Canaanites. So those that live in the land, are living in the land at the time that uh, that Israel comes back. So I'm pretty sure that's where they'll be. They'll be they, – But they're already they're, well, in Canaan. They've been in Canaan for 10 years. Yes, but then they're about years. to go to Egypt and have oh, spent time in Egypt in, in slavery. So when he they stays. come back again, yes. Yes, Abraham's – the Ishmaelites stay – so Ishmael will also Ishmael would be Abraham's first son, and Jacob, his uh, grandson, uh, Jacob. Well, Jacob, yes, yeah, so um, Esau, who's Jacob's twin brother, will also marry an Ishmaelite woman. So there'll be two levels at which they marry into this Ishmaelite family. So I think the common the common uh, understanding is, and this may be just Christian propaganda. So I'd have to research it to find out, but I think. That uh, Christian propaganda yeah. is there such a thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Christians love to throw stuff yeah. out there without doing their research to get their point across. So I, I and I'd have to do my research to be one hundred percent certain. But but um, and I don't think I have actually. I don't think I've ever done it, which is shame on me. I should have. But um, I think my understanding of what I've been taught is that the Ishmaelites are the um, descendants of the the Arab peoples of today. Uh-huh. So the Arabs are the Ishmaelites. But this- once again, I want to. I'd want to. You may have done the research. I think that's what I've heard, but I've never, I don't think I've ever researched it, found out for sure. Well, you know what? It's what Bono says. When he gets up and he sings and he wears that headband, he has, we're all sons of Abraham, and he has the Arab, um, I can't remember, the Star of David on one side, and what's uh, the Arab, I'm not what, sure. The crescent the, moon or something? Yes, yeah, right, on, the on the other. other. Okay. Yeah. So if Bono says <laughs> yeah, it, Bono says it, it, has it must to be, be true. true. Yes. <laughs> Well, definitely the Ishmaelites are sons of Abraham, but whether or not their descendants are the Arabs of today, I think that's what I've heard. But look, it wouldn't be that hard to find out, but I don't think mm. I've ever researched it much to well, my chagrin. And I actually, I'm starting to really enjoy looking at family or bloodlines rather. It's just a funny way to say it, I suppose. Uh, what actually happens to them? Because um, it's going to come up 
again and something maybe not maybe I'm reading too much at the moment but it will, it will come up I think yes yeah okay it, yeah. yes so what happened these children who are born what happens to them and yep. uh, yes it does come up in what we're yeah, talking about yeah and, and what my Bible reading this morning while I was setting up for our podcast was uh the one chapter the one, the one day of the year which is really hard going I read but it's 1 Chronicles 1 to 1 Chronicles 9, which is just nine chapters of genealogy. Oh, so, I love it. I love it. So I've just done that this Read morning. it after this. <laughs> add it to the top of my list. Yeah. And so it, it, this is interesting. Yep. I know it sound, it's going to sound boring to a lot of people, but the, the Bible sort of plays out yes. on births, nations, it, it is. children's. And it's building that into Sins the of the Father, totally. all that sort all of that's stuff. All there. It all adds up. Yep, for sure. All right. Okay. So. Mine, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so therefore, Hagar, verse 13, <laughs> Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She calls him. Uh, she gives him a good name here. Biela Hoi Raoi. Oh, yeah, well, you, whatever that is. But it means uh, you are the God who sees me. <laughs> yeah. Say it again. Well, that's how my NIV guy used to say it. Biela Hoi Raoi. Ah. But it just looks like Biela Hoi Roy to me. But that's how he used to pronounce it. Elroy, the God. <laughs> I've got it here written in my notes. Elroy. Elroy. So, yeah. Elroy. <laughs> or Elrach, I suppose. Elrach. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The God who sees me. Uh, so that, it is actually written here. Well, actually, further down, yes. Yeah, so she calls the place the well of the living one well who sees me. Well of the living me. one. Hey, yes. Hang on a second. Is she standing by a well? Yes. Yeah, I think she's actually, is this Beersheba she's standing by? Um, no, she's the, the well. well of the, well was named Beelahiroy. Yeah. That what I don't saying? know if it later becomes Beersheba or not. I'm not sure. Beer, well by the of, way, means well, folks. It's um that's what the term means in Hebrew. Um yeah, she's so obviously she's standing, by a well. Oh wow. So here we have the angel of the Lord coming to see a woman uh who has he has heard her cry. Yeah. Where else do we hear about the angel of the Lord, or rather the Lord visiting a woman by the well? Ah, John 4. John 4. Yeah, yes, very good. Your favorite, one yeah, of your favorite, one of my favorite chapters, yeah. Jeannie. Yes. 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 I've not seen that similarity before. That's the women a, by the, yeah, but there are so many similarities. Here the, we go. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, on many levels. Wow. That John 4 continues to amaze me. <laughs> it's one of the most richly dense stories. That's, by the way, that's the Jesus meeting the woman at the well of Samaria, folks. Yes. Yeah, which we talked about previously. Yeah, we have at some point. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So he he tends to speak to women at the well a he lot. Does. Women who are in need, who are in need, and um, and hang on a minute. The well here was the well of the living one. Yes. Who sees me? Yes. And the next well he comes to give living water. Living water. Yes, that's right. I reckon Jesus is deliberately riffing off this story now, the more I yeah. think about it. In I feel John like 4. he's smiling at me. Yeah, I think he is. Let's give you a round of applause. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. All right. And uh, Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's about 20 years later, roughly, that Isaac. Uh, is born. 13, 14 years? Oh, right, I think he's 100. Whatever. I think he's 100 when Isaac's born. Terrible at math. Yeah, I think he's 100. So it's 13 years later or something. Okay. Yeah. So here we have, I think this this chapter sort of shows us that this is the human working of salvation. Yeah. Good point. Right? Because that's our overarching theme. Overarching theme. theme. We are trying to force. We're trying to force God's hand, force save ourselves. Force God's hand, save ourselves, make yep. his promises come true in yep. our lives. Yep. Form up our own security. It's the whole Tower of Babel stuff that I did with Amanda recently. It's building our own fortress, our own safety. 
So I might call here Hagar the a salvation of works. Yes. And I'm going to contrast that with what actually we know ends up playing yeah. out, that Sarai, whose name is changed to Sarah, Sarah, sorry, um, it's almost like she's the salvation of faith yeah. because it's only God who works out the birth of that yeah. child. Are we going to Galatians today? I don't know if we are, but that's what No, Paul, we're not. It's Galatians. No, it's Galatians. Yeah, I've got it written what Paul picks up on. It's Galatians. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, he does. So Paul has taken... This little section. Yep. He's turned it into an allegory. He's turned it into an allegory. Yes. Um, it's part of his mysteries of working out yeah. the salvation and yep. things. But this is very much, I want to stress the point, faith by works. Yes. Right? And God is saying, hang on a minute, you need to stand back and let me do this by my effort, mm. by my grace. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's what he's trying to say. He's illustrating that point is when you do it yourself, it goes wrong. It goes wrong. It goes wrong. But when you trust me, um, it will be for salvation. It's a beautiful little analogy when he, he talks about the two covenants and all that. It's Galatians. What have you got in front of you? No, I just have Galatians. Yeah. I didn't have what Galatians, it was. <laughs> I didn't go Galatians into that Galatians 4, I think. Galatians 3 or 4. Right. And the problem with this story is that no one, at no point does God mention that when he launches a dream in your life, when he gives a covenant, there's this little word, patience. Oh, yes, that's right. Patience. <laughs> it goes with it every time. Yeah. And I wish God's timing was more like my timing yes. and that when he says, hey, this is going to happen, you think it's going to happen immediately, mm. but it often takes yeah. a long time. Yeah. There's a lot of years of discovering, mm. trusting, and a name change, a change of heart. Yeah. Totally. And it is in those, it is in that patience that our character is formed for sure. It's in the trial and the testing that we, we find God refining us. And so could I, could I say that out of this sin, this rejection of, um, trusting in God, that he will bring this plan to fruition out of this sin, he actually changes their character and, and, makes them become the people that he needs them to be. So he uses the sin. Yes, I think so. Because it's the very next chapter when it's 16 years has gone by. He turns, he's 99 now or whatever it is, 12 years has gone by. Um, but it begins with the name change. Yes. So it's almost like there was a 13-year hiatus there where they had to realize the error of their ways. And in that, we don't know what's going on in that period of time, but it's kind of it's written in a way that kind of presumes that God goes, are you ready now? You've, you've had a good crack at this. <laughs> it yeah. didn't work. Are you ready for me to do it my way? And it's that patience waiting game, isn't it? Oh, the patience. Yeah. I wonder what was going on during their mind. I mean, we're speculating here, but it's a bit of philosophy. I wonder what was going on in their mind in that 13 years. Doubt. Yeah, it has to be. Absolute like, didn't doubt. Didn't we miss it? No, I'm talking about the th- after, Abra- after they've had Ishmael and it hasn't worked out. And yeah. Is they thinking, do we miss this? What have we done? You know, there's there's a some soul searching going on in that time and so I think it's almost like God says, okay, now you're ready. Did Hagar have more sons? Um, more children? Abram had more sons by another woman called Keturah, I think. I don't know about Hagar. I doubt it, but I, I'm not 100% certain. It does say Abram ha- had more sons and he gave his sons gifts and sent them away because he wanted... Where does keep, it say that? Uh, in later chapters. Let's have a look. Um <laughs> Towards the end of Abram's life. So what happened to that? Oh, look, that's not. Well, what happens is um, after, it basically just says that after Abram, after he got Isaac, the promised son, he blesses 
uh, the death of Abraham. Abraham married another wife. He's, this is oh, chapter 25. Yeah, whose name was Ketera. She gave birth to Zimran, Jokshan, Maiden, Midian, Ishbak. He's not bad for a hundred year old. Ishbak and say. Shua. <laughs> Yeah. And then so and then he said and then it says uh, Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac, but before he died he gave gifts to these sons, the sons of his concubines, and sent them off to a land in the east away from Isaac. Right. Okay. So there's Hagar first, then Sarah, then this then other Ketera, Ketera, and then there's obviously concubines as well. Concubines messed up, messed up. See, this is another cultural thing. Yes. It was okay to have concubines. It was okay to have concubines in that culture, and concubines were not slaves. Uh, I need to look up this history. Uh, they were generally, I don't know if you'd call them slaves. They were probably, they were probably a subcategory of slaves in that they probably, concubines were predominantly just for relation, sexual relations, not for other areas of slavery, I think, which to me still makes them slaves. It's just a subcategory. Yeah. You know, I feel like I have to, um, on another podcast, come back to this issue of slavery because there's things that I've been reading about. Mm-hmm. Um, that slavery, yes, we see it as really bad, but slavery also provided opportunity. Yeah, they were economic. And economic. The way the economy was set up. Y- yes, but also a slave was looked after. Yes. So it might have been better for a slave yes. to be, a, for a person yeah. to be a slave in a household than to be lonely in the mountain, yes. dying of starvation. Yes. And that's something that we don't, we haven't really talked no, about. We haven't talked so about we'll, that. We'll come and back to that. That was part of the wrestle when the abolition of slavery was taking place. Was that our economy is built on this? We we provide for, you know, we provide for the people on our properties. They get fed and all that sort of stuff. So that was and they're protected by our armies yeah, and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it why a it's brutal deeply life. context. Com- yeah. yeah, a complex issue. I think the problem is that it's this what brought about the need for slavery was human selfishness in the first place. That's the problem. If if the humans hadn't have being selfish in the first place, there would be no need for slavery because there was enough to go around and everyone would have been following the upside down kingdom and loving one another and preferring others over themselves. But because of that, systemically, society, the rich got richer and the poor got poorer and therefore the poor without any Centrelink out there needed to be slaves in order to have any hope of survival. Hmm. So essentially it is putting self before others. Yeah, it's back to that. We'll keep coming self back to that Self before others. Yeah. All right. I want to go into the original sin. Can we go there? Yeah, okay. Where are we going now? Uh, we're going to Romans 5. Romans 5. Quick, quick, quick. Oh, quick, quick. We, we normally have a little pause so we can find the next chapter, but I just pressed the button straight away. Yeah, and also because I'm jumping in from so Old Testament yeah, I'm to right, New. I'm, going, oh, I'm no. like, I'm a bit lost. So, but anyway, we're back, folks. All right, we're in Romans 5, and I have a confession to you. I, I seem to be confessing a lot today. Yeah, what's your confession now? My confession is I find Romans really difficult to read. Ah, uh, right. And that's why I wanted to do it second because it's so in-depth. Yeah. And I start to read it and my mind boggles. It's not hard for my mind to boggle, but it, this it happens really <laughs> it, quickly. Why, why does it boggle? Because it, there's so much there's so much depth. Depth. Yeah. So much new thought. Yeah. And so much that challenges me, I suppose. Let me let me recommend a little book to you folks. Um, Scott McKnight has written a book three or four years ago called Reading Romans Backwards. Oh. Interesting. Superb little book. And he, he kind of flies in the face of a lot of traditional uh, theology, which says, you know, Romans is the treatise of salvation. And, and we will probably spend a lot, of, a lot of time in Romans, I imagine, because there's there's 
when we're talking about salvation. But, um, you know, a lot of theologians have said it's all rich in depth theology, which it is, but he actually brings it back and anchors it in the problems in the church at Rome. And he says, in order to do that, you've got to start with chapters 14 and 15 and then go back and do uh, chapters 9 to 11 and then chapters 1 to 4 and then chapters 5 to 8. Reading Romans backwards. Romans backwards. I like the sound of that. Yeah. So this book is written by Paul, as we yep. said, in around AD 58. Yep. Well, correct. Yep. yep. Okay, I'll so take your word for that. He was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. He was planning to go to Rome, not having been there before. That's what I understand, yep. Okay, so he wrote this. I'm reading my Bible intro here, Yeah, by go the for way. it. I can, yeah. He wrote this letter to introduce himself to the church there. What a way to introduce yourself. Yeah. Holy dooly. And to summarize his theological teachings, for the latter reason, Romans is Paul's most systematically structured yeah. letter. He begins by showing the universal sin of humanity. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna pause there. Yep. The universal sin of humanity. Before I even get into this, can you just just tell me quickly what is the original sin? Original sin is what's described in Genesis three. That's the term that theologians give to it. The very first record of sin was when Eve and Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. Wrote a. Was it? Uh, uh, what are the terms? Uh, now my brain is fried. Ra and to, um, I'm trying to think of the Hebrew word for good. Can't I don't know. Tove. No, something tove? like that. Tove? Tove. Tove. Tove <gasps> and Ra. I got Ra. that right. He did. Oh, my well, gosh. Tove and Ra, uh, which is right and wrong, good and bad. And when they ate from that tree, essentially what we've already touched on, they def- defied God and said, we want for ourselves, we don't trust that God will provide for us. And that is what is described as original sin. All other sin flows from that. Do you know, or would it shock you that Jewish thought does not believe in the original sin? It would shock me because I didn't know that they didn't believe in original sin, but nothing shocks me because Jewish thought's very different to ours. (laughs) So I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this, what Paul is writing here is radically different to the way that Jews uh, everybody prior to Christianity yep. thought about the Garden of Eden okay. and what happened. Instruct me. I'm not instructing you. No, help I, me out. No. What, 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 did that, what was the difference? I don't honestly don't know. Are you serious? No, I, I'm intrigued now. You've got me. What, right. what, what's Jewish thought? Both thoughts, uh, Jewish and Christian thoughts, both say that something catastrophic happened in yes. this moment. Right. Okay. Now, I've gone through a lot of this because I saw it and I just, I actually can't even quite get it all right mm-hmm. in my mind. Okay. So this idea of the original sin, uh, and would you say that the original sin, the Christian thought states that we are inherently sinful? Uh, as a result of original sin? Yes. Yes. That's been the traditional um, thought. That's not what the no, Jews say. And I, I've, without knowing the Jews have said that, I've, I know the scriptures that kind of are used to point to that, but that's part of what I'm reconstructing, deconstructing, reconstructing my mind. So you're about to instruct me because, yeah, I just think that's been oversimplified. Yeah. And so when Paul is saying all this stuff, this is all new to everybody. Right. Right. This is not, this is not a, an old thought that he's rehashing here, you're saying. This is a brand right. new thought, which yep. completely differentiates Christianity from, from Judaism, yep. which I had no idea about. Yep. Okay. So Help I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to get this right. Yep. So when well, Paul basically says I get the sense here, you're about to drop a bombshell and I'm really going to like. So I'm not, that. I'm not, I'm not. No. Uh, no. Uh, well, I don't know, actually. I'm just 
I'm excited. Yeah, come on, bring it on. <laughs> okay. Am I going to read that first to give you some context of what I'm saying? Uh, in this chapter, chapter five, we, um, I'm just going to read this. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yeah, so that's that's sinned. the bit that Christian, that's the verse that Christians use to indicate this whole concept of sin is a trait that is genetically passed down for one of the, or biologically passed down, passed down through generations. Yes. So we are innately sinful. Yeah. And this is the Christian thought. We're innately sinful and we need to be redeemed. Yes. Yep. That's what Christianity That's what tr- says. traditional Christianity says, yep. Judaism, now I'm trying to get my head around it and I'd love to hear, I'd lo- I wish there was, if there was a Jewish yeah, we had a, We had a rabbi next, a rabbi next to us, it would help, yeah. They believe that we are made in the image of God mm-hmm. and they do not forget we are made in the image of God. Yep. And they say that when uh, Adam and Eve did what they did, an animal nature somewhat became part of us mm-hmm. and that our animal nature fights our human God innate yeah. Yeah, I now <laughs> image I know where you're of going. God nature. I, I love that. Keep going. You got more to say? I've got plenty more. You keep going. But it's very difficult for me to put this no, into words because it's all very... I, my brain's now firing with all kinds of stuff like the very next story, Genesis 4, it says sin is crouching at the door and it wants to get you. Yes. Yes, this whole idea of this animal nature. It's picked up time and time again, the beastly animal nature, nature. The beastly nature. So beasts are always seen as this part of our nature. Daniel talks about this, the beasts, the enemies, the empires. It's it's all through scripture. So I'm not surprised by that. And Paul picks up on it when he talks about sin. He doesn't he he talks about sin as an external thing that attacks us. So is that where you're going? Yes, but it's even more complicated okay, than that. Okay, keep going. So I've always thought as a Christian, I am inherently uh, sinful, that I will always give over to my sinful nature. Mm-hmm. But the Jews say we are not inherently We're sinful. inherently good. We're inherently good. Yes. And that sin is actually, um, they describe it as when you aim an arrow mm-hmm. and you're aiming your arrow to hit a target and it yep. doesn't hit the target. Yep. That's the sin. It's almost accidental. Yep. It's a mistake. Paul says that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, I know that. But um, what they're actually arguing, what they believe is that we are good. We are good. Yes. And if we just do these things, if we just do the right by the law, Uh, okay, we are. We will then overcome the beast. Overcome the beast, yes. Right. Okay. So you've got to think, Paul, if if this is true, and that does make sense because for all, all the reasons I just said and many more, that is the narrative of the Old Testament. It fits much more with the Jewish understanding that people inherently have the image of God in them and that there's a battle going on inside of them and... I'm not even sure they really say it's a battle. It's that we missed the mark. Mm-hmm. We've missed the goal. We failed to hit the goal. Our arrows, our best intentions yes, yep. did not hit the goal. Yeah, yep. So we just keep trying until eventually we will hit the goal and we will be holy. Yeah. And the Jews also believe that we, every day, every year, we are getting closer to holiness right. by our actions yep. and that 
we will be in that holy state ready for the Messiah to arrive. Yeah, okay. So our actions make us holy. Mm-hmm. Can you see the massive uh, difference I can, here? and I think Paul, what I'm trying to say is I think Paul knows that and what he's, what he's saying, especially in Romans, is trying to uh, counteract that view from within the Jewish world mindset. So he's been raised a Jew. He would have been raised with that mindset. And following Christ, he's come to that realization that he spent his whole life trying to make, to hit the mark. And he would have believed that eventually he can hit the mark because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. But in Christ, he's realized that no matter what he does in and of himself, he will never hit the mark. He cannot do anything that will hit the mark. And so I think he's actually critiquing his own previous worldview and he's showing that it's great that you want to hit the mark, but you can't because of this sin that is Romans 7. Are we doing Romans 7? I think we are. No, Romans 5. We are doing Romans 7, yeah. So we'll come to where he says this sin that is living inside of him, which wages war and he wants to do the right thing and he can't do the right thing. And so it is this external force that is – that is attaching itself to him, which is preventing him. So I think he is, I think he's coming from that same worldview you, you have. He's critiquing it though. He is critiquing it. Uh, and he's, he's causing a huge division between Christianity and Judaism. Yes. I think this would be a massive one. A massive one. And this is why a lot of uh, Jews would reject yes. this because they think, they say, hey, we are holy. Yes. Christians say, eh, no. Yeah. You're not. No. Holy. I, I reckon I reckon this I don't know the history of it. I reckon there's some we've got to find some nuance in the middle there. I reckon this whole thing of Christians are going down the path of you're just a filthy sinner. Every one of us is just filthy. We you know there are scriptures that would seem to indicate that, you know, the the intents of the heart are selfish all the time and all your works are like filthy rags and all that kind of stuff. So there's scriptures that, that Christians pin up as if they want to prove the innate worthlessness sinfulness of human beings. But I reckon we've potentially taken that too far and we need to get more comfortable with the fact that God said when he created humans, it was good. And it's not like because sin came, everything about humanity was completely corrupted. I think we need to go, there's something innately good within us, but we're in this struggle and this battle. I think that's what Paul's trying to say. There is this Struggle. Sin is crouching, wanting to take you, but you must master it. God says to 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 Cain, "It's there, but you must master it. You have to." Be it's ha- mastering the animal nature. Mastering the it's animal nature. The fl- Paul would call the it flesh. flesh. Yeah, that's the term he Gives would it use. New words. He uses a new word, but it's the same thing. It's the fleshly nature. It's this part of us which is doing war. Is at war with the God part of us. See, I've grown up my entire life just believing what I was told is that we are just bad. Mm. We are bad. Mm. And I had to pause and, and we'd go on a lot about being created in the image, image of God. And I had to pause and think, hang on a minute. I've ever never really you hadn't thought heard that. about, no, I had heard it. I never really thought that there is goodness within us mm, mm. that I've always just been told you're bad. Yeah. You need to repent. You're, you do awful, awful things, which is actually true. But <laughs> but we also but do good things. We do good things, yes. Yeah, I totally – this is what, I guess, frustrates me. I know I'm probably losing a lot of my far-right conservative friends when I'm saying this because 
they will think that I'm watering down the gospel or whatever. I realize that, but, but I'm, I'm honestly trying to make an assessment of it and go, there are lots of people in the world who do good things, who aren't Christians, who don't follow Jesus. And there might be a problem there. I'm not, but, but you can't say that everything a person does is, is always selfish. That's not, it's just not the observation I see in the world around me. There are people who selflessly give up all kinds of things. Now, the far conservatives say, oh, no, it's always for selfish reasons. I don't know. I, I, I'm not convinced of that. I know lots of people who wouldn't call themselves Christians who, who are selfless. There's something about the nature of the Im- image of God in them which does compel them to, do, to think about other people before themselves. It's not all. I don't think it's black and white. I, just like I think once you become a Christian, it's not like suddenly you become selfless. I think this is a struggle that we all have. It's just that Paul would say through Christ, we now have the ability to put to death the beast. Yes, he does say that. And I just want to ask, why has the church gone down the angle of badness, blackness, sinners, rather than um, saying what, like what you just said, there is goodness within people too. Why have they pushed that idea that to have any relationship with God, you must confess how bad you are? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I wonder how much of it might be stooped in power and control in the early church. I think I could, like, if I wanted to build that theology from scripture, I could present you the list of scriptures that I've already touched on some of them, that, you know, the human's heart is deceitful beyond all things who can trust it and all that sort of stuff. So I can find you the scriptures to build up that theology. Um, and I think that has been built up. But I think I, as I've become more aware of the wider preach, um, wider story of scripture, I can now build up the theology to prove the other side too. So why the church picked one side or not, it's beyond me, but I would not be surprised if part of it was power and control. Power and control and cultural norms, yep. what was culturally acceptable. Yep. We've already talked how there's been culturally acceptable things yep. in the Bible. Yep. Um, and I think there have been culturally accepted things within the church. Yep. Well, let's look at the Pharisees. Yep. They... They built up all these rules, maybe for the right reason, because they, they put fences around the fences around the fences because they didn't they want to do the right thing by God. And in the process of doing that, they Jesus said, you weigh down others with burdens that you can't even carry yourself. So I wonder if it's the same thing with the church, is that when we've been able to teach people you're filthy, uh, the church has been able to say, you've got no hope without Jesus. I wonder if it's really the message behind that has been, you've got no hope without us. You need... You, no hope without us. And as in, you need to be part of us. The church. And you need to, the church. Okay. And you need to do what we say in order to be saved. So it's really, we've been talking about Jesus, but I wonder how much of it is still power and control. Okay. I agree with you there. And I have a lot of questions about that. Which maybe I have a lot of questions too. <laughs> a lot of questions. But I'd really love to go there and wrestle with that one for a few hours. From what I've been reading uh, about this, I, their concept, the Judaism, the concept of sin I can now understand why Christ comes and he talks about the Pharisees and all their rules because I can see how their faith is a faith-based yes. work. Yeah. Is that right? A works-based, works-based faith. Works-based faith, yes. Yeah. Um, the harder you try, the more practice you get at shooting that arrow, eventually yep. you will be holy. Yep. And when you can't shoot that arrow, you make up more kind of mm-hmm. rules yep. to make yourself more holy. Yep. I can understand that yeah. based on what their version of sin is. Yes, what their version of sin is, absolutely. Yeah, it makes and how they achieve holiness. And I think to some degree that's that's not a Jewish problem, that's a human problem. It's I think we all problem. do that. Yeah. yeah, and so I wonder, has the church actually started to place rules to uh, 
to give laws or cultural things uh, that we think should make the church holier. An emphatic yes. Yeah. <laughs> Part of why I'm very, oh. you know, I'm treating this this podcast and this sermon very seriously because I think that's one of the biggest things. I, I don't want any of our preachers to be standing up and saying, oh, this is the list of sins. I think the moment we do that, we have defeated the whole purpose. We've just created a whole lot of things that keep people out. Yeah, we have created a lot of things that keep people out. And yeah. s- but so did the Jews. Yep, it's the same thing. It's, uh, that's yeah, what I mean. It's a human that's problem. That's exactly the thing. It's legalism is what it is. Legalism. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'm just going to read this little bit. That Judaism teaches that human beings are not basically sinful. We come into the world neither carrying the burden of sin committed by our ancestors nor tainted by it. Rather, sin, the word chet, or shed, uh, something like that. I can't say it right. There are multiple words for sin, so I'm not sure what they are. It's the result of our human inclinations, the yetzer, which must be properly channeled. Chet literally means something that goes astray. It's the archery term Mm -hmm. that we're going off. So we go astray as humans. And if we go astray, we can bring ourselves back which means we do not need a saviour to bring, you back. To bring yeah. us back. We do not yeah. need the idea of a blood sacrifice, yeah. which is what the, the Christians talk about, the yes. sin atonement. Yep. Yeah, um, a, human, a sin hu- atonement human sin atonement versus the animals, yes. which they all yeah. did. Yep. And so they basically believe that humans can be absolved of their failure and rid themselves of their guilt. And the ideology of Yom Kippur which is the year they the all year of, the, the, time day of the, year, the day the of atonement. The day of atonement in the says year. Says that yes. Which we'll actually be doing, by, by the way, as we record this, I've already recorded it like a month ago with Jeff, but next week's podcast is about atonement. All right. So, so we'll touch on it in some depth then. The Jews believe they rid themselves of their guilt. Yeah. By the um, getting by, their actions right. By Yes, by preparing their hearts and repenting and yeah. Christians do not believe we can rid ourselves of guilt. Yeah. And I wonder, has Christianity made a lot of money out of guilt? <laughs> yes, funny, it has. Yeah. No, it has. It has. Selling um, arms. To, selling arms. I, I know that when the church started, they did. They actually oh, totally. did do a lot of that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, made a tremendous amount of money out of guilt. I don't think that. I don't think that questions Paul's teaching in Romans. No, we're going to go back but, there. <laughs> but yes, human nature and power and control, which are the big ones, Sex, money, and power—big three. Um, the church was Christians in the name of Christ were guilty of uh, abusing other people for sex, money, and power. All three of those throughout okay. the history of the medieval church, one hundred percent. Doesn't it, they've just taken what Paul said and twisted it to suit their own purposes? I think Paul would say you cannot defeat sin on your own. No doubt about it. Doesn't matter how good you try to be. That's the, that's that is part of Paul's gospel is that we needed Christ to die for our sins. He, he um, stood in that gap, paid that price, whatever terminology you want to use. We'll talk about that in depth with Jeff next week. Um, but then to then go and guilt people into some kind of power and control, where we say you pay us and you can get your friends out of purgatory or, you know, you, you, um, you, you, uh, you know, do a certain, certain number of things that suits us and we'll, will uh, allow you to be forgiven and all that. That's where it went way out of whack, back to power and control again. Power and control. Churches had a lot of that. Well, sadly. Yeah. And I just want to point out that if you've wondered why Jews reject 
Jesus is the Messiah. This, I think, is one of this the is reasons. This big one. They don't this think they need one. a Messiah. They don't need They a, don't need a, a Messiah a to die for their sins. Atoning because yes. they're not inherently Evil. sinful. Yes, right. Okay, so this yeah. is totally throwing a spanner in the way that I have to read the scriptures. Right. From now on. There are two that I can read it the Jewish way. Yes. And I can read it the Christian way. Well, I think, folks, if we read this Romans now, I'll, I'd be interested in going back and studying Romans in light of that because, like you said, it's a tr- Paul's treatise on salvation. And he's definitely been entrenched in that worldview that you've described, the Jewish worldview. So he's going to critique his own worldview from the inside. So I think this is where Romans might actually come to life in an even greater depth. Okay. I was just going to throw another little interesting point in there. Well, I think it's interesting. You, Paul here is talking about the original sin, which you believe he's talking about the original sin. Mm-hmm. The mourners, that man, sorry, man is born into the world sort of in a state of sin. Well, that's that Romans, back to where we said we were about 20 minutes ago, Romans okay. 5, 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the this. world, yeah? Okay, you have this, this is what people are reading as Romans. Yes. Yet it was actually St. Augustine in 354 to 430, yep. that's the year. the 4th century. He was the first theologian to teach that man is born into this world in a state of sin. Mm-hmm. So you've got hundreds of years after that. Are mm. people at the time reading it the way that we read it now? Well, I think it's quite possible they weren't because Paul seems to be, and we'll touch on it again in a few minutes' time, I'm sure, Paul seems to be talking about sin as an external entity. In Romans, that seems to be one of his primary understandings. So let's read Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now that can be read probably as it has traditionally been read to, to indicate some kind of biological, genetical defect within the human, whether it's spiritual or genetically or physical, some kind of defect that sin is like a, you know, a defect that's passed down from line to line. It mm-hmm. could be read that way. But if it was just simply stating that when Adam sinned, this force, this beast came into the world then it not, doesn't have to be directly linked to Adam. It's just that there is now this, as a result of this original sin, there is now this force called sin in the world, which is, Paul will go on to say, is war, making war with the members in my body. So I reckon you could read that to, to externalize sin rather than internalize it, in which case it would fit with the Jewish worldview, wouldn't it? I, I'm a little bit lost so I think I should be saying yes there. No. But I'm, I, <laughs> go ahead. Go. I, I'm lost because I find this this is such a strange concept. All of this is a strange concept to me. That sin is external? Sin is external, external, because I've been taught it was internal. Yeah. And now I'm meant to think of it of external. Yeah. And I'm just totally confused. Uh, I think that it warrants further conversation. I don't think I'm totally there yet. I'm coming to, I'm a bit like this. I'm coming, I, I too have been taught that it's internal. Um, and I'm coming now to think about what are the implications if it's not 100% internal. Because if it is internal and it comes from us, why do people say, and Christ lives in us, yet the devil is outside of us and it's the devil that causes temptations. That's external. That's external. Yeah. So devil is not inside us. Yeah. Oh, this is all right. Yeah, but I'm James slightly... also says, don't think the devil's tempting you. Each of us is tempted when our own sinful desires, own sinful desires take us away. So there is something inside of us. And I think probably the best way to wrestle with it is that there, are, that there is this, this is probably Paul, he's talking about the, the spirit and the flesh. There, there's two parts to his being. 
and this fleshly part is still part of him, but this fleshly part is as a result of sin, this sin nature. Might I suggest to you that it is actually our desire for self, self-importance, self-love, self-reliance, self-reliance. Yep. that is what is in us. Yes. We're made in the image of God in that. And then sin attaches itself well, our to that. belief that we are better, our belief that we are bigger and better than God, that we have the right to choose mm-hmm. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's what is within us. Yeah. And also within us is this desire to have what other people have. Like we covet things yes. and we think, well, I need that. I need that for myself. I want yeah. that. Yeah. And out of that desire to have everything that we want comes our actions, which are sinful actions where we hurt each other. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're onto something. I think that's the pathway I'm going down. I'm aware that the risk we're going down this path is that we get to the point where we go, well, it's not really my fault because it's this sin thing out there that's doing it to me and it's not really my fault. So why should I be blamed? Well, I did hear one Jewish commentator say it's not really our fault because God made us that way. So, well, I wouldn't <laughs> argue that. I mean, there's I, a lot of things. YouTube can be a wealth yeah, of trouble. Yeah, I think that's trouble because Paul, oh, goodness, because yeah. it wouldn't be good. I think. No, I think that I'm 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 wary of not wanting to just blame something external and then not blame myself, be it because that could lead to pride in itself. Because then I could become sinful in the fact that I don't think it's my fault. And I think Paul wrestles with that. We're going to see it in Romans seven. He, he wrestles with that himself. I think we still have to take responsibility for the fact that. We have selfish attitudes. Yes. And when we choose self, we reject God. Yes. And we reject others. Others. Yep. And then with that in mind, we need to realize that there is something living in us that sin attaches itself to that springs to life and leads to death. Desire. Would desire. You call it desire. Yeah. Well, I think which what James does. I think James quotes it in that pattern too, that sin gives birth to death and desire and he uses well, those we terms. Want more. We, we want, want more. what everybody to has. Want again, yeah? We want what God yeah, has. Yeah. We want what. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's uh, innate within us. And then sin comes and attaches itself to that. And then it leads to death. So we need to be aware that we have this nature that probably where we differ from Jews is Jews would say, well, we can just try harder and we'll eventually overcome that. Whereas Paul would say, no, no, you can't overcome that. It's impossible to overcome that. You need someone to release you from the power of sin. The, the power of sin needs to be defeated. And on the cross, this sin power was absorbed into Jesus and he took it upon himself and defeated it. And therefore now, through Christ, you have victory over sin. And this is why Paul compares Adam to Christ. Yes. Because Adam is the first Adam, Christ is the second Adam. The last Adam. Where, where, the last Adam, yeah, where uh, Adam brought into the sin mm-hmm. to the world by one action. Yep. Um, Jesus actually gets rid of all the multitudes of sin. Yes, correct. By one action. He says, how, if, if sin brought death to all, how much more will the love of Christ bring grace? He says that in verse, verse, 19, verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For if the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, how much greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to the many through the one man, Jesus Christ? So he sets it up and he goes, you think sin's powerful? You think that you see the results of what one man's sin did in the world? You think that's bad? Just watch and see how much greater will the goodness of God be in the world through the through the victory of Christ. So we think of sin as, oh, it's nothing going to defeat sin. And Paul would say, ha, Christ's victory is so much greater 
than the effects of sin in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. I get all of that, mm. what you're saying. Uh, I just want to point out one more thing about sin. Come on. <laughs> like, this is a lot of stuff. So it is that, um, and this is another Jewish thing that I was looking at. It's that basically when God says to you or God, or a person says to you, you cannot have that, you cannot do that. It is then that that desire from within says, well, actually, I want that. I want that. Yeah. I want that. So they disobeyed one commandment, not they being Adam and Eve, not to eat of the tree. Mm -hmm. But they went, hang on, one thing I can't do is the very one thing that I want to do. Yeah, that's right. And when they did that, they rejected the commandment. They rejected God, a relationship with God. Yep. Yep. And they promoted self. Yes. Yep. And Paul says something like, we would not know what it is to covet if the law had said, do not covet. Yes, do not covet. So if the law says... It's probably in one of these verses. It is, look actually. At. Yeah. It is, one <laughs> it of is those somewhere things. here. Somewhere here. Somewhere in Romans. So if suddenly um, the law says, I don't know... This is taking a long time, folks. We're actually doing Romans 5, 7, and probably several oh, of these chapters. Well, anyway. We've got scriptures from all of these all at right, the moment. Well, we'll just... We'll now, round. this is good. Keep going because this is an important topic and we might be a little bit over top, but it's, as I said, it's a bigger topic than just the chapters. These, it is. We'll yep. just sort of... Merge and blend. Yeah, we are blending a little. Ones. If we get to chapters verses later on that we've already discussed, we'll just skip over them. Yeah. So when somebody makes the law, do not drive on the other side of the road. Yes. We suddenly think, oh, what I would oh, like to drive over there. I'd like to drive <laughs> over there. <laughs> what right. am I missing? That's the sin. That's the flesh. Paul would call it. And that's what humans do. Yes. We actually don't decide in the moment. No, no, no. I know better than this. Yeah. I am going to go and do it. Yeah. Regardless of how many people that I run over on the yeah. road. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Now, that's an extreme example, but that shows that there's something inside of us, and Paul would call that the flesh. The flesh. That is a war with the members of my body, he says, forcing me, wanting me to do wrong. This is uh, this makes more sense to me, but it's still all very hard to grasp, I suppose. If we're finding it hard to grasp, I imagine our listeners are too. But bear with us because we're on a process. We've said this multiple times. This is fresh to us too. This is to me. This is very much a, a new way of thinking or an adapted way of thinking. Adapted? What? Yeah. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's really a deconstruction in many ways of what I've understood over the last thirty years, and I'm just in this process of trying to deconstruct, keep this good stuff, and then reconstruct the stuff that probably was out of sync. Well, the, and that's exactly the same for me too, mm. because I've always been said. Uh, the church has always said, this is a sin. This, I, I, yes. I can rate I could, You could list all the sins and rate them on a scale. Yeah. Yeah. But White you know lies down here and sexual immorality is up there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. So let's just go with, um, just pick one for this moment. Um, the idea of divorce. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to just pick yeah, divorce. Yeah. There's, there's good divorce is, it was like a really bad sin yep. in the church growing up. Like anybody yep. that got divorced was yep. like kicked out of the church and you didn't see them again and they probably lost their faith. Uh, but now, divorce is no longer a sin. It's not no longer treated treated as a the, sin. Yes, that's right. Within the church, with that same way. So, just yep. off that one example, there makes yep. me think I need to go back and look at everything. Yep. What is sin? Which is precisely what I'm doing too. All right, let's go to let's go to the uh, hottest topic of the book. Um, the hottest topic of the book, Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Here we are. We're going to jump in. I shouldn't say jump. We're going to wade through. 
Waiting through a heavy Wade one. through. Uh, chat- You've all been waiting for this one, folks. Genesis 19, possibly the most, uh, you know, controversial chapter in the Bible. <laughs> It'd be up there. Uh, yeah, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. You know, interestingly, it doesn't really talk about Gomorrah. It's really no, just Sodom. It's really just Sodom. Yeah. So what's yeah. Gomorrah? It's another town. Another town. But, yeah, I don't know why. They, the story is centred on Sodom, but it's, the, it's a neighbouring town. Okay. Yeah. So we basically, most people will know this story. And it, this is where two angels come into the town, the city of Sodom, and Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. nephew. Yep. Uh, he's sitting there at the entrance and he says to them, come uh, to my home and be my guest for the night. And they're like, no, 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 we'll just spend the night in the city square. But Lot, Lot insisted. So they went home with him. Lot made a feast with fresh bread and um, they ate and retired for the night. And then all, and then verse four, all of the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men you came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Then Lot steps outside to talk to them, shutting the door, says, no, no, please, my brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I've got two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you. And you I shouldn't laugh. At it. It's just a <laughs> and you can do story. do them with with them as you wish, but please leave these men alone. Uh, they're my guests. They're under my protection. Stand back! They shouted. This fellow came to town. This fellow Lot came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like a judge, trying to tell us what to do. Yeah, we'll treat you far worse than those other men. And then they lunged towards the door, tried to break it down, but the two angels reach because um, the two travelers that came into town are actually angels. I don't know if, if I said that before. And they pull Lot into the house and they blind the men and uh, basically the next day the city is destroyed because um, the angels say, we're about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great. It has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. And the next day um, the angels tried to take out Lot, uh, sorry, remove him from the place. He doesn't actually really want to go, but he goes and Lot is saved and... um, And his daughters. His daughters are saved and his wife is saved until she looks back. Until she turns around. Yeah. And she turns into a pillar of salt in this story because she looks back. Mm -hmm. And um, what is it here? In verse, um, the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we know this story, right? I think most people would. Probably, we know this story. Would know the story at least some part of the story. Yep. Yeah, and, and you've pretty done a pretty good job of covering the the narrative of the story. It. Now we have to dig into the, the dig story into behind it. the story. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to read you another part of the story. Sure. Um, I'm going <laughs> to hang on a minute, or am I? I'm just going to flick to something. But this story is essentially. What I've been brought up to be to be told is a stormy story about homosexuality, yes. right? And yes. and this is like the greatest sin. That's here. what you've probably been told. Yep. Yeah, this is what I've been told. Okay. I'm just gonna read you another part of the story that you might not have really kind of heard before. Because it's actually not that story. You're going to Oh, okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you're going to Ezekiel, but you No, I'm not no. going to Ezekiel. I'm gonna go straight away to Judges nineteen. Okay, yes. Judges yep, nineteen. I know where you're going. Go so ahead. basically, um, here on the, here's another story. Uh, people who gets up early here, a Levite go who lived in a remote area in the hilly, the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. She was unfaithful. She left him there and went back to her parents' home, and he goes to uh, rescue her. Right. Yep. And basically, what happens 
is almost exactly the it's same very story. Same story. He it's, sends her outside. And he sends her outside. Yeah. Uh, gives the men come and they demand yeah. that they want to have sex with who? With the concubine. With the concubine. Which is not a homosexual relationship. Oh, then I'm reading the wrong story. No, you are reading the right story. The concubine is a woman. Yeah. And the men um, sexually assault the woman. But it's essentially the same story. It's the same story, but it doesn't involve a homosexual relationship. Huh. Okay, then my whole point is just destroyed right here. I thought you were about to make the point. that No, I, it is. It's the same. They have come in. Yeah, it's exactly the same story. They've come in. The dude has taken them inside his house. And they've come and said, we want to, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. They've said, they've come to the house and they've said, bring out, you know, we want to basically have sex with who's in the house. And the man, the host of the house does what Lot does in this one. And he says, no, 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 don't do that. But then Lot, then, but then the, the man gives his concubine, puts his concubine outside the door, doesn't he? Hang on. Let's pause it for a sec. Pause it for a sec. We'll be back. Pause it for a second. So we're back. We just had a big pause. Jeannie just needed to do some back study. I did. I did. I know that was just like that for you, but it was about five minutes. Was it five minutes? Oh, my gosh. I I did lots of stuff around the building while we were doing it. Okay. So you doubted me in a second there saying it was. I didn't doubt you. You did. You said it wasn't a homosexual story, but it is a homosexual story. Keep going. Verse 22. While they were enjoying themselves. uh, So hang on. 20. You're welcome at my house, an old man, an unnamed man said. Yes. Let me supply you with whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. Yes. Right? Okay. Yep. That sounds very similar, doesn't it? Yeah. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys after they'd washed their feet. They had something to eat and drink. Verse 22. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Yes. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, Bring out the man who came to your house so we can yes, have sex sorry, with him. Yeah, I did clarify that. What I meant, what I was, keep it going. Yes, that, that's right. That's what I wanted to do. The owner of the house went outside and said to him, no, my friends, don't be so vile since this man is my guest. Don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I'll bring them out and you can do whatever you wish with them. But the men would not listen. That is the similar story. The only difference is they actually do rape the concubine. Yes, uh, that's where Lot's I was going case, with it. Okay, so that is a another homosexual moment. So tell me, why wasn't this town destroyed? I see. Um, well, if it, if it, if you read the rest of the the rest of the book of Judges, it really was. This town was brought under judgment because this was a a vile act. In in fact, what happens? The story goes on that. Um, I know we're off track in one. No, sense, the vile act is what they do to the daughter, to the to the concubine. To, yes, they end That's up right. going and, and he uh, ends up waging cu- war, cutting. He yes, cuts correct. her up, sends he it cuts to her all the tribes. Says, Come on, this that, is yeah. not on, and then they come, and all the other tribes go to war, a war against ben- okay. the entire tribe of Benjamin because of this act. So, okay, but why didn't God rain down fire and brimstone over this uh, homosexual moment? Um, well, for the same reason that I don't think that the primary problem was the homosexual moment in Sodom and Gomorrah. What? What? Is that the wait, what moment you're looking for? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the last 10 minutes. It took me a while to lead you into this oh, direction. you said ask me the question. Yeah, I don't think that's the primary purpose of the Sodom and Gomorrah story either. It's not. No, it's not. But my entire life it was like, this yes. is why. Yes. This is a, God is raining down fire because of this homos- these homosexual encounters or yes. rather. and. Yes. That, listeners, is not the reason why, no. which has blown my mind. Oh, I'd like to go further and say that, you know, I'd like 
to apologize to same sex attracted people who have been exactly um, please everybody listen affected, to this <laughs> <laughs> deeply affected by this because this is um this has been taken out of context and we, we won't be able to deal with the whole issue of LGBT in, in this podcast and we will do it in other contexts. But but sadly, um, sadly, the church has not handled this topic well because of these sorts of stories that have been uh, twisted, yes. shaped for an agenda, which is completely wrong. Um, that is not the issue here. As as we can see, I mean, they in that judge's story, yeah, okay, so they, they – these wicked men, it says, wanted to um, have a same-sex relationship with the man that had come into town, but ultimately they they raped and abused a woman. So it's not about same sex as much as it's about sexual desire being corrupted. Full stop. The once again, it's, it's this taking. We see, we want, we want to take, and it's that sinful nature deep inside. Is that what was, you think this story is about? I think there's an element of that same thing in here. It, these men oh. just wanted for themselves at the expense of all – remember sex, money, and power are the three big ones. And this is this is one where there's a corrupted sexuality taking place. I think the Sodom and Gomorrah story, we're going to see if we go to Ezekiel, is that um, – We will go to Ezekiel. We will go to Ezekiel. Well, that puts a different it, – you know, it's not saying that there isn't a corruption in the sexual desire, but Ezekiel also talks about it being more than that that um, it's all about sin. It's the, it's the taking at the expense of others. And that is what brings judgment. Why did the judgment not come on Sodom and Go- Why did it come on Sodom and Gomorrah and not on this town in Benjamin? I think that's just locked up in the divine wisdom of God. To say that judgment didn't come, I mean, judgment definitely came upon not just this town, but the entire Benjamites because there was only 600 of them left at the end of the story. Um, so there was definitely a, a judgment that came upon them for their actions but I think you could say the same thing as why, you know, why is why Ananias and Sapphira are able to – we might be going there, are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. Why did Ananias, eventually. Eventually, Ananias and Sapphira um, sin um, and get struck dead, but, you know, why did another pastor who still money not get struck dead? You know, it all those things, they it's locked up in the, the wisdom of God, I suppose. I would just like to state before we get into this that I feel like I've been manipulated – Okay. By the church. Uh, this story has been sold to me over and over and over again about that God destroyed this because of the homosexuality. Well, the term sodomy yes. was being used by the church and it comes from this story. Yes, but... And it I, was a legal term, for goodness sake. Yeah, <laughs> but it's actually, when I read it, it's a tiny part yeah. of the story. Yeah. And it has been held up as the part of the story, I believe yeah. that um, actually the Quran also has this story in it mm-hmm. and it's one of their um, reasons for being yep. anti-homosexual yep. as well. I, should I say homosexual or should I just say LGBTQ? That's I'm not the, sure. Yeah. That's another question. Yeah. But um, when I've been doing the study on this, would it surprise you, Rowan, that the Jews – never thought this story was a homosexual story, that this story is a story about hospitality. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if you said that Jews think that it is that. It is a story about homosexuality, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if they think it's about hospitality because mid- ancient Near East culture was incredibly hospitable and to not care for a guest that was in your home. I mean, we read that and it's it's like seems terrible that that he would say, 
um, you know, I'll send out my virgin daughters. It just seems, once again, it's back in its cultural appropriation, but it was so abhorrent that someone would come under your roof and not receive your protection, that it would be less abhorrent to give them your virgin daughters than it was to bring people under your protection. It's just crazy. Which is the hospitality issue. Yeah. And that's still the case. Bedouin cultures today are still incredibly hospitable. It's deeply entrenched in um, in Arab cultures. It was. It still has remained a big part of hospitality. Hospitality remained a big part of ancient and middle and Middle Eastern culture. So to be generous with people when they come, yes. to be kind yeah. to the poor, to uh, welcome people into your city centre. Totally, that absolutely. Sort of and my, you know, my son-in-law Nick is Lebanese, and so I see the, the Lebanese culture is very much that way. It's like extravagant, over-the-top extravagance in hospitality and generosity and all that kind of stuff, but it's deeply entrenched in their culture. Yeah, I actually made the mistake of misunderstanding or not knowing anything about it. I was in a house in Palestine and uh, happened to point up to their beautiful decoration on their ceiling. I said, oh, that's a beautiful lamp I know where this is decoration. Going. They probably gave it to you. They gave they? it to me. Yeah, that's right. They gave it to me and, uh, yeah, I felt so bad. But they ref- profusely, they like, would, take, 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 they gave yeah. And it was, oh, anyway. Was, so, uh, yeah, so understanding that hospitality in this story will put a, nif- a different nuance on the story as well. Yeah, okay. It doesn't excuse them. No, no, I'm not excusing it. it. Once again, it's back to it's very similar to the, this, the last story we looked at. It doesn't excuse the culture of Abraham and Sarah, but it gives some nuance to it. Yes, we need to understand the nuance in this. Yes. And I should also state that Sodom uh, is actually mentioned quite a lot in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it was a wealthy town beside a river. Yep. Right? Yep. And it's known throughout all the land. Even Jesus talks about Sodom. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people talk about Sodom. It was, uh, and, and Lot, actually, Abraham's son, chose to go when he separated Because it ways, looked good. Because it, it looked good. He saw that land. He saw that land. He wanted it, it so he good. took it. He said, I'm and taking that there. one over there. So you, so you want take. Yeah, so he, and they even talk about this man in this story, Lot. He came to our town as outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. All right, so I've always sh- been shown this. Um, through that lens. Through this Sodomy. lens. Yes. But I need to, you need to go back to the ver- the chapter beforehand yep. to understand exactly what's happening here yep. and to compare the two stories. So in chapter 18, um, we have the angel of the Lord mm-hmm. visiting Sarah With at two this of his point, mates. Yep. two of his mates, and says, in a year you're going to have a son. So that promise is playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but before he does this, um, Lot, sorry, Abraham Has actually, a conversation with them. It's after that story, I think. It's the it's the second part of chapter 18. Chapter 16, yeah. Chapter 16, sorry, is it? Chapter? No, it's chapter 16. 18. Yeah, verse 16. Uh, verse 16. No. No, Keep going. that's when they said that. This is when they come. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near an oak in verse 1. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent oh, uh, during the host- hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to them and he welcomed them, bowing low. And then he he feeds them. He gives them yep. kind of everything he's in the house. He's hospitable. They cook a whole calf. Cook a whole calf. Yeah. He gets his entire household to serve them. So he he serves them. He's doing he the gives hospitality. The hospitality and the importance. And the the three men, the angel of the Lord and the two other angels or dudes, um, they're very great uh, grateful to this and they accept his hospitality. And during this time, they he they then the Lord says, in a year from now, Sarah's going to have a son. Yep. Right, so there's this great moment that yep. goes on, and, and then he says, "By the way, should I tell him what's going to happen down the road?" Yeah, so, <laughs> but they've had this hospital moment where Abraham is now in a close relationship with the angel of the Lord. We can call Jesus if you yes, want to. Yeah. He's conversation with him and in relationship, and 
Jesus then, or the angel of the Lord says, should I hide my plan from Abraham? Uh, For Abraham will certainly become a great nation. Um, And then the Lord says to Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. Right? Mm -hmm. Did you agree with that's the story? That's the story. But then Abraham, he goes on and he... He intercedes. He intercedes. He says, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. What if there's 50? Yeah. So the Lord's already decided to destroy the city. Yep. Right? That's going to happen. That's a given. And he says, what if there's 50 people? Don't destroy it. Blah, blah, blah. And then it goes down to... It's down to 10. To 10. Yep. Right? He says 50, 40, 30, 10, 2010 or something like that. Yeah. He's interceding. And he knows that Lot is there. Yep. And he also knows that this is a, a wicked city yep. because he doesn't want Lot to go there in the first no. place. Nope. Okay. You, that's all very clear? Yeah, yeah, that's clear to me. Yep. Okay. So then the uh, angels descend. They go down the next I wonder day. what would have happened if he said, just one more time, Lord, what if only five could be found there? Yeah. I wonder if the Lord would have said, no, nah, 10's the limit. 10's the limit. Because he stopped at 10. He did. Yeah. There was five. There was yeah, well, well was there? should One, we call two, them righteous? Th- well, I don't know. No, Lot I, was righteous because it talks. Rather, about- it says, no, it says he, Abraham remembered Lot. Re- yeah. uh, sorry, the Lord remembered Abraham and saved Lot. Wasn't yes. that Lot was righteous? No, but uh, Hebrews talks about that righteous man caused Lot. That righteous man was tormented in his spirit day and night. So there was something about Lot. Hebrews comments on that much later in the book of Hebrews. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but yes, I think, well, there wasn't five. Technically, there's two, it's only four of them. <laughs> four. four of them. So what if there was only one left, Lord? That's the point is that there's this intercessory component thing there that, um, anyway, they stopped at 10. Stopped so. at 10. Okay. So here you start to, in chapter 19, there's differences in the two chapters. Mm-hmm. The two, now it's two angels. Was it two or three? There's two angels. The, the the angel of the Lord is now left, and the two angels that are left. The okay, other. come to the entrance uh, yep. to the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. I should also mention that Abraham was in the heat of the day, yes. and he still gets up. He's not sleeping. No. He's active, and he gets up and he serves. He serves. Them. Yep. This is later in the day, yep. the cool of the evening. Yep. Evening. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet meet them. Then he welcomed them. And he bowed down, like Abraham. Like Abraham did. did yes. Come to my home to wash your feet. But they they say no. Mm. Whereas they said yes to Abraham, they say no to him. Mm-hmm. They say, we want to spend the night in the square. Because what happens in the square? What is the square? It's the central place of the town where things happen. Where things happen? Yeah. Would you say it was like it was a like good the example of the town? No. I'd say nighttime in this town. It's probably... It's the it's the rough part of town, I would think. The rough part of town. Mm-hmm. So the angels know they're going to see some roughness mm-hmm. in this. Maybe area. that's why they're there to inspect what things are. They were sent there to inspect. Yep. Keep leading me along. I like it. So, <laughs> uh, but the no one else greets them in this story. No. These are two travelers. Zero hospitality. Zero hospitality. Else. Oh, I see where you're going with this. All right. Two travelers yes. in the town late at night. No yes. one greets them. Come no on. No one comes to serve. Come them. on, Jeannie. But Lot. I'm and giving you a round of applause it. already. Oh, I can see where you're going with this. This is brilliant. You need to, it took me a while to leave this dumb old fella there, but I'm getting there. Oh, dear. All right. Okay. So Lot takes them home and he gives them a feast, but it's not as a large feast as what Abraham has given. So the hospitality on both parts is is uh, different. Yes. Okay. Yep. And in the town square where you would expect you people. You would expect hospitality. Hospitality. They get the complete opposite. 
they get the complete opposite. And then there's this, the, all the stuff happens after that. Now I went and looked at the Jewish side of this again. She's turning into a Jew, people. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> no, it's I, good because this is Jewish text. So it's, it's the good Jewish to, text. Yeah, exactly. And this is what they were steeped. This is what the New Testament writers were steeped in. Yes, it's the Jewish, the the Talmud. To understand our theology today, we yes. need to go back and look at this yep. and see. They never saw this as a story about the condemnation for the behaviour of the the men in this mm-hmm. scenario. They saw it as a lack of hospitality. A lack of hospitality because we know from other verses in the Bible, um, Ezekiel, which now you, we're can, go you to can, Ezekiel. can quote that to me. What do you, What is it? Um, it's, well, off the top of my head, I, it says something like, this was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says something like, I'm going to misquote it, something like they failed to recognize the needs of the poor or something like that. Is oh, that what it is? Something, yes. I, I, can't, don't, I, I can't even remember what verse it is. Do you have any front they of you? Fa- no, I don't. They, I, I, I did, but I've got. I'll find it. It's an important one. It is. Because I remember the very first day I read this scripture uh, and it just, I went, wow, I saw things from a different, because I'd been raised like you to see this as uh, as a, a, a gay yeah, and, and it's not because if it was a sin of homosexuality, why doesn't the Bible explicitly say in the verse that you're about to read, "This was the sin mm. of Sodom"? Yep. Instead, it, it says, says, "Instead, it says in Ezekiel 16, it says, now uh, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me." Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. So I've seen people go, well, the detestable things is, you know, the argument is, well, that's the gay part. Well, I don't think that fits in the context of what it's saying. I don't think that's what it's, the detestable things is everything that's just listed before it. Mm -hmm. The fact that they were overfed, they were arrogant, they were selfish, they were taking for themselves. They didn't care about other people. When you've got guests in the middle of town, you care for them. You show hospitality to them. And here in verse 48... I think, I think it's Ezekiel, but it is a verse 48. I've chopped off the little bit. I don't know why. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked as you and your yeah, daughters. That's the passage, I think. Or is this a New Testament one? Oh, why did I cut that no, off? No, no, I'll, I'll find Sodom's it. sins were pride, gluttony and laziness while the poor and needy suffered yep, outside her quoted. door. That's it. So the Jewish people, they have these, I think they're called mitzvahs. They have... Um, teachings and speakings around certain topics yep. and there are hundreds of these yep. and they have always said that so, uh, Lot's daughter got in trouble because Sodom was a town known for its um, its love of self mm-hmm. in that they hated the traveller, they hated the poor and anybody giving anything to any poor person was killed, mm-hmm. uh, was was either killed or abandoned or... Um, so this is a town where sin and selfishness has been amped up to a destructive... Destructive, yeah. Yeah, the, capacity. Yes, but you weren't allowed as part of the you, laws you of this place. You actually weren't allowed weren't to show allowed hospitality. allowed to show hospitality right. to people. Yeah. And the story goes that Lot's daughter was busted uh, one day. She was going down to the well to get the w- to get water and saw some poor people, poor un- unwell people, and on the side gave them some food. And so they were coming. They were coming for her. They were coming for her. They yep. were really upset about that. And also Lot had done the same 
as well. And so when Lot gets these guys and he wants to show hospitality to them, this is like they say. They say, "Uh -uh, I'm coming after you. We're coming after you. You've done everything against us. We are a town. We don't help anybody. This is what Sodom is. We are a town. We look after ourselves. We look after ourselves. Hospitality is not allowed. Right. And so therefore you can understand verses uh, that you just read. Yes. And uh, also it makes sense when Jesus says – when he says things like it's going to be, it's be- better for <laughs> better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum and and um, Beth Bethsaida. Yes, because if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago and sackcloth and ashes. Exactly. It says. But look at what happens. Just in Matthew ten here, Jesus sent out his disciples and he's sending them to towns. To hosp- right? He's talking about hospitality. He's talking about hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he says, he says to them, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. So what you've done there is you've just told us that Jesus is reading and interpreting this scripture In the as a story way. of hospitality. As a, Yes. Because he is directly linking it, Sodom and Gomorrah, back to the fact that if they don't treat you well, they are doing a Sodom and Gomorrah thing. Yes. Once again, it's hospitality. Yes. Round of applause. That, and then that's brilliant. On. He goes on verse twenty. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles, and he basically says what you said before. I think, yeah, uh, because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. And you people of Ca- Capernaum. Will you be not honoured in heaven? No, no, you will go down. You to will the go depths. down the place of the dead for if the miracles I did been done in Sodom. You see, if the miracles I had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be there. Mm. Even if you view this as a homosexual story, right? What he's basically saying is, even if these people were homosexual, that city would never be destroyed. Because That's right. I t- because because. They repent. They, they would came have to me. Come to a point of relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. You you, you hit the nail. You, I think you've done the job you needed to do. That's brilliant. You've explained <laughs> that it's about know. hospitality in such a good way, and I think we we just need to put ourselves in that mindset and recognise that in this culture, hospitality is huge. But it's it's that's Genesis two mandate. Genesis one mandate: fill the earth, subdue it, put others before yourself, make the rest of the earth look like heaven. Well, you can only do that through hospitality, but giving up of yourself for others. Yep. This town epitomizes the opposite of that. When uh, I was going to say back when you were just talking there about quote, just for our listeners, you were quoting some Jewish extra biblical literature there. Okay. Yes. Now there'll be Christians among us will go, well, you shouldn't be quoting from other things that aren't in the Bible. Okay. So I just want to give some context to this for you folks. Um, when Jeannie says that we aren't saying emphatically that that is biblical. Um, because it's not in our Bible, but there is a whole bunch of stuff. There's a book called the Book of Jubilees, which is written in, which is part of the Old Testament apocrypha, which fleshes out the stories of Genesis hugely. It tells a lot more context. So we believe the scriptures are inspired, but we don't dismiss the other things because what we're seeing here in a commentary, and I've talked about this about the Book of Enoch multiple times in this in this podcast, with what Jeannie is saying there, with some other extra biblical commentary among the Jews that's talking about their commentary on this hospitality issue and the story of, I hadn't heard that story of Lot's daughter going down and giving out money. We're not saying that did or didn't happen. That's not the issue. What it does is it shapes the worldview of the people of that of the people who are writing these scriptures. It shapes their worldview. So Jesus has got that story in his mind when he is 
when he's telling that story about hospitality and the sending out two by two. So the extra biblical literature isn't scripture, but it fleshes it out. It gives context. Context. That's that helps us interpret. And so I just want you just wanted to put that at ease and go, we're not saying that's Bible, but at the same time, it's incredibly useful because it's historical context that we can then interpret the Bible through. And when you do, I mean, hopefully you've seen, if you haven't quite got it, go back and listen to this conversation again, because Jeannie's done a great job of explaining how this is really about hospitality. Well done, Jeannie. Oh, have I? I you don't have. know. No, you've done a great job. <laughs> but it has really, really thrown me because mm. I was always taught was so one thing. Taught. It is yeah. so different. And because I had been thinking the way I had, when I come, came across all these other verses, I thought that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Sodom sins with pride, gluttony and laziness. Go, that doesn't even list what I thought it was. doesn't even list it. Yeah. No. Yeah. It doesn't list it. So this leads to the conversation, which I'm not sure we're really going to get into, but why did the church just take this one thing, this one little tiny part, yeah. this homosexuality thing about it, and forget everything else that's going on, even the fact they forget that he offers the... Uh, While they're guilty of pride, sin, and gluttony pride, themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they have... Uh, wait, they have... What's the word when you prioritise a sin? They... I think... When you read the Bible, you or the church has been guilty of prioritizing or um, giving importance to some, some things over, over the others. others. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a human problem. I think it's the Pharisee problem. I think it's the church problem. I think it's our problem. Part of what I'm trying to do is help us to not be so pharisaical in our thinking and step back and go, not so much what are other people doing that sin, but looking at where, where am I affected by sin? Where is the sin nature at work within me? And when we do, I think we will separate it from partisan politics. We will separate it from, the church will separate it from the list of all these bad things that other people do that we don't do. And hopefully we'll start to look at, no, that's not the call here. What's going on inside me? But once again, it's it's power and control. Yeah. And the church has, would you agree, or maybe you both agree, but the church has manipulated this, this whole story. Yeah, I, I think it has. Um whether it's manipulated it, you know, and I can't talk for every individual person that's ever taught this stuff, whether it's manipulated it maliciously or naively or a bit of both, um, I think the problem with human nature is that we see what we want to see and we don't see what, what we're blind to. So I'm sure there are good people who genuinely believed that this was about homosexuality, but they're blind to the fact that all the while they're not showing hospitality to people. They don't have a hospitable heart towards the outsider and the poor and the the vulnerable and thinking that and then they go, oh, well, I'm, I'm not homosexual, so I'm okay. And can you miss the point? Yeah, can you remind me again what Jesus says? The two most important things, the most important thing is to love. Love the Lord your God. And you, what? And love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, mm. okay. Which love is hospitality. Your na- which thing. is hospitality. Yeah. And if we're going to go uh, with the idea that sin is, which I, my idea is that it is the rejection of God the promotion of self, mm-hmm. which leads to sin against others. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yep. That's it. That's it. We will end up sinning against others when we promote ourselves over God. Yep. Yeah. And and Sodom, if you're taking that story you just gave, Sodom, 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 if we take it to say this whole thing of we, it's against the law to show hospitality, that is... That is selfishness 
on steroids. That's a city. I mean, the Bible Project have been talking about a city in their podcast at the moment. Um, cities are where the sin nature gets amplified. Everything within the city gets amplified up. So this whole city has become self-focused and they will not allow anyone else in lest there's not enough for them. So they have done the complete, they have built, it's almost, almost like another Babel. They've built another city and they won't let anybody in who isn't part of it. I don't even know how Lot got in the door, but clearly they judge him for being there because he's not abiding by their rules. This is what happens. And churches, probably back to your question about churches, I think that's what churches do. We we build up and we protect ourselves. We want to stay safe and we won't let other people in who don't fit. Who don't fit, who don't look like us, who challenge us, who make us feel strange or make us, which is so anti what Christ says. Yep. Yeah, upside down kingdom. Mm. More I read this Bible, the more I realize how people at times have bent it, twisted it to meet their own cultural norms, I suppose. My question is where where do we do that? We should be looking at this. It's because we have become self-righteous and go, we don't do that, rather than looking at it going, I wonder where we're doing that. Chances are we are doing that somewhere oh, well, because we're a product of a system. Time. We're a product yeah. of what we don't know. Yeah. So let's be self-reflective and go, where are we sinning? Where are we failing to show hospitality? Where are we sinning against other people and against God? Where, where are we putting ourselves first? If yes. we love ourselves, we reject God. Yeah. That's what they've done here. They have That's rejected what, any notion of God. Yep. Yeah. What whatsoever, and yep. then the sin of desire yep. has, has come uh, forward, has come forth, overtaken them. Yep, yeah, that's what this story is about. That's what this story is about, and pretty much Sodom all the other stories in this rather long episode. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> We're three chapters in, yeah, Jeannie. three chapters. Oh, geez, Louise, and I just <laughs> I think wanna, we'll be back on Friday to record the rest of this one. I think we might actually. I just want to point out as well that if this city was so bad, right? Um, if this was a dreadful city in Lot's eyes. Why does he give his two daughters in marriage? Because they're engaged. Yeah, yeah. I the don't two know. daughters are in, daughters are engaged to this awful town. See, it, this is why I wondered why Hebrews says that righteous man was tormented in his spirit. Maybe he was tormented because he went there. Because prior to this, Abraham says, "Hey, Lot, we're not getting on. Our herdsmen aren't getting along with each other. Where would you like to go? If you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way." It says Lot saw that the land of, down on the plain looked good, so he wanted it, so he said, I'll go that way. Now, Lot should have, if he was doing hospitality properly, he should have said, well, look, I'm your guest. I came along with you on this journey, Abe. Uncle Abraham, you go where you want and I'll take whatever's left over. But he didn't. He he took it for himself. Yep. Maybe when he got there, because all all the – what is it? All the, what's the saying? All that glitters is not – whatever the saying is, all that glitters is not glory or whatever it is. Maybe it looked good, but when he got there, he realized – this ain't good. Might look good on the outside. Might look like it's it's good lush land and it's got streams and all that sort of stuff. But when it gets when he got there, he realised this is not what I thought it was, and so he ends up being tormented. It's tormented. All right. Okay. I'm actually not really quite familiar with that. At least right now, I can't think of what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't locate it in my mind. Um, I think I would say Hebrews. It might be Peter. Let me see. Okay. I will, I'll just point out, though, that when um, the next morning the angels become insistent, they're like, come on, it's going to be destroyed. And Lot, uh, they say to Lot, take your wife and your daughters who are here. So there are, four, there are other daughters. There were, seemed to be more daughters that were married. I, I'm actually confused with that. Were uh, there two thought, daughters or were these two daughters engaged? The two daughters were engaged, but in that sense it was like they were married. Okay. 
get out. But Lot hesitates and the angels have to seize, seize his hand. Yeah. So they, he doesn't believe. Yeah, I'm not well. sure. He doesn't yeah, there's, really there's believe There's probably more going happening. on here. Yeah. Yep. And they seize his hands and they rush them to safety outside the city for the Lord, Lord was merciful. But then um, he says, the angels say, run to the mountains, you know, or you'll be swept away. And Lot's like, no, 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 my Lord. Oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You've been so gracious and kind. You've saved my life. Let me go over here. But I want to go. Place. I don't want I can't go to the mountains. I want to go to that little city down yeah. the road. Yeah. To the little city. So he was still in this city lifestyle. He still Yeah, maybe there was comfort there. A small village rather. A small village, a little place. Just a little town. So he goes to the small village. Yep. Uh, but uh, It still doesn't work out there. It doesn't work out. He gets no. to, it seems to be he's probably chased off or he flees later on yep. to the mountains. Yeah, he ends up in the mountains. Where he should have gone in the yeah, first place. That's right. He ends up in the mountains. Yep. In the mountains. And uh, then there's further complications here. Um, he's, all, he's basically... Because we know his wife, his wife died. has died. He's got two daughters. How is he going to carry on the family line? I don't blame her for looking backwards either, because she knew people there. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah, she. Maybe I would she imagine friends, your Jewish studies have probably the stuff you've been reading. If you go into this, they will have spent. Yeah, you know, there'll be arguments. They say they say if you've got two Jews, you've got three opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they will have spent time wrestling with the implications of the rest of this story and filling it out and debating it as well because it is there's probably a lot more going on here i mean we're focusing on what's happened in the square and the judgment but this whole second part of this chapter as well this is the complications now we're going to talk about the bloodlines okay because this is what i mentioned before because from this whole um chapter, we yes. now see the birth of the Ammonites, um, Ammonites and, Moabites. and the Moabites yes. who become vicious enemies, enemies. of yes, that's correct. the Israelites. Yep. Okay. So Lot, he's taken out there. He basically con- condemns his daughters to a life of yes. loneliness. Yep. So they get him drunk. Get they him drunk. sleep with him. And they both get Well, he's pregnant. not even aware of it and they both get pregnant. Yeah. And one has a son called Benham, Benham, Benami, which becomes the father of the, ben- the Ammonites. And another one has a son called something or other, which becomes the f- the father of the Moabites. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of wars happen there. Yes. Yeah. So this is an origin story. Yeah. This is an origin story of these other people groups that we'll interact with for the rest of scripture. Mm. Mm. The yeah. bloodlines. And you just need to think about stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you'll oh, find wow. Of, yeah. you can, we can just easily read over that. Oh, you could. But, but they're two major starts, people two groups major. That, that they will have. And who's a Moabite in the end? Um, Ruth. Ruth. Yes. Ruth's a Moabite. Ruth is a Moabite. So yep. from this act here, we actually have Ruth, who is a descendant of Jesus. Yes, which is redemptive once again. <laughs> redemptive. Yep. It's all this big plan. It's like a it's master all, plan. God, it's like God goes, you know, mate, you, no matter how much you try and mess things up, I'll still work it out. I'm going to find that scripture. It's 1 Peter 2, 8. I said it was Hebrews. And it, it says this. But uh, 1 Peter 2, it says, um, God, verse 7, God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final day of judgment. I reckon... Peter is riffing off some extra biblical text. I know Peter's often ripping off the book of Enoch. I reckon he's riffing off something because there doesn't seem to be any indication in the Genesis account that Lot is tormented that much. Like you're just saying, it seems like he he wants to stay if he possibly can or whatever. 
but there's more going on in Peter's psyche behind the scenes when he's when he's writing this down. And I would like to add, Peter's been talking about this story, these stories, a lot since a child. Yes, since a child. That's he right. went to Jewish school at that yep. point, and so this is. Yeah, this is bedtime conversation. This is what they this know. Conversation around yep. a couple of glasses of wine. Yep. You know, tell me, what do you really think happened a lot? Yes, you yes, know? that's very good. Put your Jewish accent on right there. <laughs> that wasn't, I wasn't trying to. <laughs> but so it's so much more in their um, social collective conscience, yes. I should say, yes. than it is ours. That's right. And thus you have what we call the mitzvahs, which I was yes, saying, the these stories yep. that come out of the stories yes. that the Jewish people base their mm. faith mm. on. And their understanding of the scriptures yep. on. For sure, Jeannie. And Peter knew about this. Peter knew that. He grew up with it. Yeah. All so, right. Is there anything else you want to bring out of that story? You mentioned the bloodlines. No, just just noting that. Um, yeah. And you'll see this a lot. You'll see these um, these bloodline, these other enemies, the, the other nations are often brought in through the book of Genesis. Introduced. Yeah. Introduced. All right. Well, let's just go move on, shall we, to Romans 6. Romans 6. So we're going to go to Romans 6, which is basically sin's power is broken. Mm -hmm. The idea that we're dead to sin and alive to God. And I just want to state, um, going back to what we were just talking about, but uh, the why I'm looking at this Jewish perspective is because Jesus knew these Jewish perspectives. Yep. He quotes the scriptures. He knew the understanding uh, that they had. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. And so for me, I feel like for me to understand more of the Bible, that's why I'm going back looking at the Jewish perspective to mm -hmm. help, to give, yep. to shed light. That's why I'm doing it. That's absolutely right to do it. Just <laughs> um, That's perfectly, okay. yeah. A lot All of, right. If there'll people be some are people who will tell you, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. There's a whole branch of the church that says, oh, you know, some aspects of the church have become too Jewish. Um, I think you can become too Jewish in that if you, you go back and you try to um, somehow replicate all the Jewish practices, that's, that's, that's probably missing the point. Um, however, understanding the Jewish practices informs your cultural understanding of what New Testament writers especially were understanding and living in at the time. But it also helps me to understand exactly what Jesus did yes, and how different his yep. theology was yep. uh, to theirs. Good point. And uh, how when here we read that sin's power is broken, exactly the intention and purposes of Christ Yes, and how radically different he was. Yeah. And how they missed it. How they missed that. That's good. It's good, Jeannie. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. So Romans 6. Romans 6. So here, um, well, just verse 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Can you just explain to me what does that mean, we've died to sin? I think he's going to elaborate a little bit more on what it means. But I think uh, I have to let the scriptures commentate for itself. But I think what he's meaning is that, you know how he's talking about the sinful nature um, being at work within us and and um, this attaching, it's the sin attaching itself to our flesh, to our sinful nature. Well, it's saying that through Christ, sin externally has been defeated and your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. So you're now, that part of you is supposed to be dead. So you're now dead to your sinful nature. You're now dead to the thing that attracts itself to sin. That shouldn't be, that should be why you shouldn't go on sinning because that part of you is supposed to be dead now. And it has no power over us. Yes, is because that what you it's mean? dead. 
Yes, of course that's it's right. Dead. So this is if you're saying this Jewish practice of oh you know just get better and better and better, and, and Paul would say no no you're not going to get is better. Sin is my mistake. Your sin is my mistake. Accidental. Yeah. Where Paul's saying no you're never going to get better, but now through Christ your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. You're dead to this. Now, because it's dead, it shouldn't have any power over you. So now you need to live that way. I can't imagine how hard it would have been for people who have lived their lives saying or or doing the actions like I need to sacrifice this animal, I need to fulfill this law or do whatever it is. Both for Jews and Gentiles because the the pagans were exactly the same. They were constantly appeasing this God and that God and thinking, what about it, make sure we keep that one on side and this one on side. So it was was, in both But now the idea that you don't have to do any of that. No. I think like, that would have been hard. It's a radical worldview change, radical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very hard to just sort of down tools and go, well, yeah. you know, I'm dead to sin. There's nothing yeah. else I need to do. Yeah. I am redeemed. These are new thoughts. Yeah. We probably take it for granted and we go the other way. We take it for granted and then we just become flippant about it rather than realising, no, Paul will go on and say, you need to, through the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, he'll say in other parts, probably here in Romans somewhere. So you do need to do work. We Christians probably don't realize that we, it takes effort. We have to apply what Christ has done to defeat sin, whereas these guys would have been the opposite. They would have been thinking, what, you mean I don't have to do anything? We think yeah. we don't have to do anything um, and we should be doing something. They come from the other perspective where they, we're being told, no, you're doing too much. You need to stop and just let Jesus' work speak for, speak for itself. So if we're running with the idea that sin is a rejection of God. Mm -hmm. And when we reject God, we sin against others because we put self first. When here we read in verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin. So Christ's actions killed that part of us that desires self is that a, a way to think this through um that when the holy Christ's spirit actions killed killed our <laughs> our desire within us that where we were no where before we did not have love for others we're now able to love others more because the holy spirit comes into us and enables us to love others I would. Well, <laughs> does I would, that make sense? Yeah, it does. I would want to do more research into what Paul was thinking. Um, my gut says Paul would say Christ's actions defeated the beast. The beast, so the, not the sin nature in us. That's still there. But this is just me spitballing here. I think he would say that sinful nature is still there. But Christ's action has defeated the beast, which is trying to, that it has been making war against your sinful nature. Now you can do what the Jewish thing says. You now should be able to master it because you aren't fighting against that external beast anymore. I have set you free from that thing that it's attacking your sinful nature. Now your desire to do good, you'll say in Romans 7, your desire to do good can defeat your sinful nature. Your spirit can defeat your flesh. When we acknowledge that it is not of our own abilities, right? Rather that Christ working through us enables us to do yes. good. Yes. Yes. Well, Christ's, well, this is, this is getting into that thing of how much of it's us and how much of it's God. And you know, you almost, yeah. what you said there is almost going back to the stuff no, you were critiquing earlier. Oh, oh there's yeah. nothing good in us. Well, Paul says, I, I am convinced that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature, he says. 
That's in that's also in this passage somewhere. I am convinced that nothing good lives in me. But what I want to mean is nothing good lives in my sinful nature. It could be in Romans 6, could be in Romans 7. It's all in here somewhere. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. That's sort of what you're talking about? No, it specifically says. 14, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That's not it. No, that's not it. Let me find Don't it. Don't you realize you become Romans a slave seven. of whatever in, you choose How many times to have we quoted Romans? It's Romans 7. Romans 7. We're not there We're yet. We're not there yet, Jeannie. Romans 7 says, yeah, well, wait to, let's wait till we get there. Let's park it until we get to Romans 7. But he All says, right. I'm convinced that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. But there is a part of him which is good, and he acknowledges that. And I think that's what you're trying to get at. Christians have missed there's a part of us that is good. We need to acknowledge yep. that. And it doesn't make doesn't make us prideful to acknowledge that there is a part of the human nature which is good. The problem is not the good our goodness. The problem is that we have this other part of us that wants for itself. And that's the part that sin, the force of sin, the beast of sin, has attacked and used. And Jesus Paul is saying Jesus has defeated that sin. That virus has been completely, he's the antidote to that virus. He's completely absorbed it and defeated that virus. There's no longer anything out there that has power over you if you follow him. So he would say, so put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Well, who's, to, who's putting them to death? We are or Jesus is. And Paul seems to be saying, no, that's your responsibility. I've defeated sin. Now you master your sinful nature. Okay. You master your sinful nature. Uh, this is so tricky. This is so this complicated. Is this is why we're just talking so and I'm much well about I'm well aware it. we could be even in the realms of heresy here. It's, it's, this is what good Bible conversation is about, not just shutting everybody down but thinking these things through. Because what I just said then, you put to death your sinful nature, that could, to a, to a Christian who's heard, oh, there's nothing good in me, that could sound prideful. That could sound works-based. It does sound works-based. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm trying to build an argument that says no. I don't think it is. It's it's the fact that the sinful the sin has been the force of sin has been dealt with. So now you're not powerless over your sinful nature. You have been given power over your sinful nature. Sin has been broken over yes. our lives. Yes. So this is uh, this is really talking about the freedom that Christ yeah. gives us, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a very different concept to the, the Old Testament thought. Correct. Yes, I think so. Yeah. All right. And here we, it talks about the law. We live under the requirements of the law. That law at this time was the um, Mosaic law. Yes. It's talking about the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. The law of Moses, which were how many laws in that? Uh, 613 or thereabouts. 613. Not just the big 10 commandments. Not just the big 10. uh, But 613. That would Mm -hmm. have been very, very difficult. And I can understand if in that, I understand that concept that if if sin is you're just shooting an arrow and trying to hit the mark and you just keep accidentally missing. I can see how you can accidentally break 613 laws yeah. if you didn't know they yes. existed. But And I want to talk about the law here because in Chapter 7 it's going to talk about the law again. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul says that basically the law, the Mosaic law, was intended to show us that we failed it. Yep. Uh, or to reveal our human nature. Yep. So why why did God have this law? Why do we have this law in the first place? Um, 
I reckon Paul's wrestling with that too because he's been raised under this law and he comes to the point where he goes, that law was put in effect to show us that our that we were incapable of abiding by it. That law was to show you that because of your sinful nature and it's war with the beast sin, you were incapable of abiding by it. And it's to set a standard to show you what God was like that God was into caring for others and putting others before yourself and show us up. The Jews, which we've already said multiple times, read that as, no, this is a standard. If I can live by this and we can live by this, we'll be okay. Paul comes along and says, no, that was not the purpose of the law. The law was put into place to show you that you can't abide by the law. But they still think they can. They still thought they could. They missed that part. That's a fundamental part of it. They saw a bunch of rules. And they thought, if we can just obey these rules, we'll be okay. Jesus comes along and says things like, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, you missed the point. The point of the murder, do not murder, is if you were even angry with your brother, you've committed murder. So Jesus is showing you that there's a spirit behind the law. So Jesus is um, enlightening the law, if you want to mm-hmm. put it in that perspective. He's saying, yep. here it is. Here's the law, but you're actually kind of, you're missing the point a bit. It goes deeper and further than just simply the words on the page. It's actually a matter of the heart. Yeah. Is that what Jesus is doing? That's exactly what Jesus is doing. The Sermon on the Mount is all about that. Uh, Paul calls it the law of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. So, um, yeah, he's he's trying to show that there's a, a deeper principle of the heart behind this, the spirit behind the law. They, they label it, leveled it down to tablets and, you know, tablets of stone. And he's going, no, no, no. Jeremiah, all the prophecies talk about this. Jeremiah says there's coming a day when I won't write the law on stone, I'll put it on their hearts. Jeremiah's prophesying into the future. The the purpose was that it was always supposed to be on our hearts. The external stones weren't rules to keep. The external stones were designed to show us that there's a principle behind that that should be written on our hearts. And going back to Adam, he he had one commandment. Mm -hmm. He broke that. Mm -hmm. Moses had 10 and then the 613. Yep. So... As well as the ten, so I'm not sure. I think I think the six thirteen includes the ten, but I may be wrong. Okay, and they all get broken too. Mm-hmm. All those commandments get get broken, and the reason they get broken essentially is Jesus is pointing out that again we have put ourselves above the yep. laws, right? Yep. So, and if there is um, if there is a law that says don't do this, you will go and do it. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is making the argument that we are, am I right? Am I correct in thinking this? Jesus is making the argument that there is this idea of sin that needs to be dealt with, that the Jewish faith hasn't really acknowledged or thought about in this way before. And Jesus uh, is Whether they've expanding. thought about it or not, it's certainly not the common prevailing view at the time. Okay. For all the reasons you said earlier, they thought that they were good enough. They could become they were good, good enough. enough. Or they could become good enough, yeah. Yep. This is a huge stepping away from that this and is it's saying you're actually, you splitting. need, yeah, you need redemption. You need, um, you're incapable, you're incapable of being good enough Yeah, because your sinful nature is under the control and is a slave to sin, the capital S sin out there. And that actually, that sin, that rejection of God creates the separation between God and humans. Mm-hmm. And am I correct in the whole idea of Jesus is that he brings, he 
is that ladder between the two. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he bridges it. Yep. He bridges that. Yep. So where we have thought before, like Hagar and Sarah, we thought that we can bring about our own say, uh, our own salvation or mm-hmm. we can bring about our own we can bring about God's purposes by our own yep. way. Jesus has come along going, actually, no, there is nothing that you can do. Yeah. This is all an absolute act of grace. Yes, come on. This is a new beginning, a new thought. Yep. Right? That's right. I like that. That's well put. Am I along getting this right? Yes, I think, well, you're getting it as right. By my understanding, you're getting it right. I'm not presuming to be an expert on this, but. And this is reading this chapter here, because a huge part of me wants to believe that, hang on, uh, that actually feels good within me that I could go, oh, I could hit that point and I could mm. be holy. I could mm. do this and I could be holy or I could do that and God would bless me and I could do yeah. all of these things. And innately, I actually want to be active and yeah. bring about my faith. And so when I read this chapter 6, it actually doesn't really sit well. It doesn't well. sit it goes, well because it, it seems to define anything. This. Yes, yes, yeah. it, that's right. It's nothing I can do. Can I actually just have to admit. Well, that. Paul takes it further in Colossians. I think it was Jeff I was talking about and we were doing Colossians. Paul, Paul actually takes it further and he says, when you submit to do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, when you when you abide by these rules, he said, just what you said, he said, Paul, Paul says, they actually look like they have an appearance of holiness, but they lack the power to defeat sin because the very act of ticking a box makes you self-righteous. I feel good now because I've done this. God will bless me because I don't do this. And he's saying it's actually feeding the sinful nature. And Jesus has a lot to say about the self-righteous attitudes yes. of the Pharisees, yes. et cetera. They were a classic example of it. He says these things, Paul says, these things lack any power to defeat the sinful nature. They have an appearance of godliness, but they lack it because the very act of ticking boxes makes us feel good in our own strength. And a few weeks ago we were talking about Nicodemus, Nico. Yep, Nick. I, yep, Nico, can, you're calling him. Uh, Nico, I can understand how he feels when he goes along and he says, I've done everything yeah. that I can. Yeah. Because that's what the Jewish faith says. He is, he is righteous he was a devout in their eyes. Jew in those ways. He's, yeah, righteous yeah. in his eyes. But this is so different. Yes. It's so this hard is, to So, you know, Paul spent all these years after he was converted, this is the stuff he's dealing with. I think he is having to rework and, and unlearn so much of what he had learned and reinterpreted the Jewish scriptures through the lens of Jesus. And he had 10 years plus to do that. That's what he comes out with, stuff like this, which is revolutionary, Romans. And when he, Paul is saying the power is broken, you were dead to, dead to sin, you're no longer, it's, you're no longer a slave, uh, I can see the mini Eden in that he's calling us to rest, he's mm. reminding us of the yeah, rest. Come back and trust me in the Eden yeah. Garden. To yeah, just let you go around. Nothing that you can do for your salvation. Yeah. This is my grace. You're in it's the great. rest in me. Don't try to bring your faith about because you can't. Yeah. In fact, just love God, love yep. others. Yep. Live your life, and put others first. Yep. And when you put others first, you don't make those mistakes. Mm. And you don't bring about the sin. You don't bring about generational sin Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. That's taking a, a step up and looking at the whole biblical story. But that's great. Well done, Jeannie. Isn't that what we're meant to do? Look at the we whole story. We should look story. at the whole story. It all points to Jesus. Yeah, great. Anything else in Romans 6? 
Ah, no, let's just move on. We'll move on? <laughs> no, I could talk There's lots in there about being slaves to sin, being you're no longer slaves to sin. I think that's the key. And so out of that scripture, what was the title at the beginning? Sin is power, sin. Sin's power is broken. So think of sin as this external force, this power, this beast that has been defeated by Jesus. He has, it has exhausted its power on Jesus and Jesus has defeated it. And now you're no longer a slave to that sin. And because you're not a slave to it, through Christ, the good part of you, the part that is created to worship God, is able to defeat and silence and put to death the sinful nature so that you can live the life that God calls you to live, to love God and love others. That's my little summary on it. It was a really good summary and it just made me want to point out that in this lifetime, that's what you mean. Yes, in this lifetime. In this yes, lifetime. Yes, not, not in the future, now, in this life. In this lifetime. Yep. We are given this freedom. Yep. So verse, verse 12 says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. There's a lot of do nots there. Yeah. So if you go on this whole attitude, I mean, there's some, there's some, Paul's telling them to do something there. He's telling them this, well, not to do some things. But you go, well, hang on a second. Is it me or is it Jesus? And Paul's saying, no, because Jesus has defeated sin now, you have the ability not to let sinful nature control you. And because we have seen his character, because ultimately yeah. it's about us trying to be like Jesus, yeah. right? He's he exists as of, this character. We can now um, mimic him. Mimic him. Yes. As he loved Become others, like he put others first. Yep. So this is what it is. When it says do not do this, essentially what it's saying is love others, do this for others, or do not put yourself first. Mm. Yes, that's right. And Jesus now, because of Jesus, he said, otherwise you could go, well, he just taught the Sermon on the Mount so we can all do it. The Jews would say, well, okay, I can do that. That's a new way of living. It's a little bit higher elevation than the previous law, but I can live that way. But Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, but then he went to the cross to defeat sin so that we now have the power to live the Sermon on the Mount. If he hadn't defeated sin on the cross, we'd still be powerless to live that life. We could try. We'll come close at times, but we'll keep falling short, like you said. But now, because Jesus has defeated sin, we are now empowered to be able to put to death our sinful nature and live like the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. I'm going to give you a wow there. Oh, I'll get a wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give, give myself a, a round of applause. <laughs> All right, where are we going to go next? We're going to head back to somewhere in Samuel. Oh, David and Bathsheba probably, is it? Yes. Oh, we're picking up the big ones today, Jeannie. Here we go. David we and Bathsheba. Go. Here we are in 2 Samuel 11. Uh, this little story that probably no one's really heard about ever. <laughs> <laughs> David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba or Beersheba? Bathsheba Bathsheba. or Bathsheba. Bathsheba. It sounds so very Australian. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Oh, I don't know. It could be Bathsheba, Bathsheba, tomato, tomato. I feel like in a lot of ways your faith can kind of live or die on this story. Okay. It's a big big call. Yeah, a big call because King David is held up to be this amazing man. And there's that line where it says, or the verse, uh, he is a man after God's own heart. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Do you know where that's from? Yeah, that's I found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. I don't know where it is. Somewhere and who says that? 
God. 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 What? <laughs> God says, I have found David son of Jesse. To be a man after my own heart. Was this before or after this chapter? I think it's after this chapter. It's after this it chapter. It also says, um, it comments on David, it says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. Except in the case of David and Bathsheba. <laughs> Where does it say that? Where does it... Oh, I'll find it for you later. Okay, that specifically says that. No, that's a really interesting point. Is that New Testament no, or Old, Old Testament? Testament? All right, can you find that while we talk? Yeah, sure. So if you don't know this story, uh, this story is a cracker. I, I love it. If you know anything about King David, he has been um, brought up from a child to be the next king, the king that God has chosen uh, for Israel, he will actually end up being the second king yep. uh, in a long line of mostly bad but some good kings. And not too long of a line, actually. Well, actually, a never-ending eternal line. <laughs> well, David's king, <laughs> if yeah. You, if you read the rest of the book. Uh, but so David, he's gone through these battles. He's he's made, he's made the nation prosperous and uh, and people seem to have liked him. Right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So in chapter 11, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. Oh, the Ammonites. Here we go. Here we go. We talked about this the Ammonites lots, before. Lots. Lots. lots grandson. Yep. Son. Yep. Family line. Yep. The Ammonites. Son, son and grandson, all in one. Yep. They destroyed the Ammonite army and blah, blah, blah. However... <laughs> I don't really mean to blah, 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 but I just, just save time. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem and then one afternoon after his midday rest, such a yep. lounging king, yes. midday rest, David. Which is, it says in the spring when exactly. kings normally go to war. David should have been at war. He wasn't where he should have been. That's yes. Just, that's the start of it. Yep. Yeah, that is. And that, that's no, the that's start a, of the slippery slope. A very worthwhile point, um, which we need to discuss. Yeah. But one day late afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace, as you do. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Stop there. What did he saw? A woman. He Keep saw, going. He saw a woman, what, yes, taking a <laughs> bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of... Um, Eliam Uriah. And, the, yep. and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messages to go get her. Yeah, he wanted her. Wanted and her. He and then he slept took with her. He took her. And when he came, she came to the palace, he slept with her. And uh, she has no match. No, you know, if the king calls you, you go. This is David. Exactly. See, want, take. I'm glad you said that because growing up, here I go. I, oh, yeah, she's, the, like she's a, a scarlet woman, yeah, isn't she? It sounds like I have a lot of issues with it my sounds <laughs> like you do, don't you, Jeannie? <laughs> oh, yes. dear. Yeah. Uh, the patriarch has painted the patriarch, Bathsheba as though she was up there on the roof. She's a scarlet uh, and, woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wrong if, story. The king calls, you go. Yes, correct. Okay, and later on we find out she's pregnant. And then yep. David goes through extraordinary effort to cover up the pregnancies. He does. But I just, I want to start with, you already said it, when kings go out to war. Normally they go out to war, David has not gone. Mm-hmm. And instead he's given control to his army, uh, this guy Joab. Joab, yep. Can you just tell me a little bit who Joab is? Joab is David's nephew, the one of the three sons of his sister who's name is Zeruiah, and he is the commander for much of David's, all of David's life. He is if the he's commander. his nephew, does that make him older? David was the youngest son. Uh, he, he may have been or he may have been the same age. All right. Um, well, you know, because it depends. I mean, David was, yeah, the youngest of seven, so it's possible he could have an older nephew or a younger nephew. I don't think, it, I don't know whether he was older or younger. Um, but I get the impression, it's probably, probably get the impression they're around the same age, just from the storyline and the way it goes, but don't think the t- scriptures tell us. Okay. And so um, 
we were actually talking a little bit about this before we were recording. Just about Joab? Joab. Yeah. So Joab has actually killed someone at some point, right? He's, uh, he actually murdered in cold blood a couple of people. A couple of people. But David um, has not um, made him punished. <laughs> made him punished not, not in his lifetime. According to the law, yeah. David, because you, if you kill someone, aren't you meant to be According to the strict Mosaic law, yes. Mosaic law, you're meant to be yes. put to death, but yes. David doesn't do that. So he well, gives... so, should, so should David have been yeah. from this very story. Yes, mm. yes. Am I jumping ahead, Jeannie? Yeah, Sorry. you're jumping ahead a little bit. But that is true. So there, do not commit murder. Yep. If you kill someone, you Your should blood, be killed. That's right. right. Eye for an eye yep. sort of stuff. Yeah. All right. And um, in my um, New King James, in my King James New Version, whatever it is, I love it. It starts off, uh, it happened in the spring of the year. It ha- And I, I read that and I had to stop. I was like, it happened. So this sounds like a story that people have been talking about. It happened. Mm-hmm. Like they're going back going, oh, this big event. Well, that happened then. Yeah. So this seems to be common knowledge. At some point this story becomes common yes. knowledge and discussed. Yeah. David actually turns it into a psalm, which we're probably going to do next, and uh, he teaches it. He does teach it. He does. Uh, And I'm glad you mentioned that there because going back on my studies on this, I was gobsmacked to learn that the Jewish belief on this is that David committed no sin. What the? Wait, what? Yeah, the Bible, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, committed no sin. There is no sin based on, here's the question. If you have a king who's after God's heart and a king who is held up today in Israeli history as being the greatest king on earth, how could he be a sinner? How could you how could you hold up a man who committed murder and a man who had committed adultery? This man needs to be punishable by death. I think the same way you can hold up Abraham as a father of faith and you know, he committed sexual assault of a Slave woman. But we're talking about a king here. We're talking about a king who is meant to represent God to his people. Well, maybe First Kings fifteen five, which is that scripture I was talking about, talking about Abijam. Abijam became king over Judah in the 18th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He, res, he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother was Marker, his granddaughter was, who was a granddaughter of Absalom. He committed the same sins as his father before him. He was not faithful to the Lord his God and his, as his ancestor David had been. But for David's sake, the Lord God allowed his descendants to continue ruling, shining a lamp, and he gave Abijam a son to rule over him in Jerusalem. For David had done what was right and pleasing in the Lord's sight and obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. So that black and white acknowledges to me that ah, the right. Bible is saying David Seems did to be. There's stuffed some... up in this thing. So yeah. I don't know what the Jews, why you, that's why I'm baffled when you're saying the Jews would think that. I think ah, it's well, in their own text. Yeah, but is it? Is it really? Is it something you could just kind of gloss over or, or you know, interpret a different way? Come on. I just want to put this to you. This is what I've been reading. All right. So we know in the story that, if you do know the story, David gets her pregnant and to cover up the pregnancy, he calls back her husband from the battlefield, right? So he has no intention of claiming this child as no, his own. No, he's trying to cover There's it no over. inheritance, no sonship, nothing like that. He wanted nothing to do with the child. Correct. With the uh, responsibility or the acknowledgement of it happened. So he invites his um, Uriah back and tries to get uh, Uriah, he gets Uriah drunk yep. and he wants Uriah to go home so that he could. Um, he could make out he that could, she, he got her pregnant. Yeah, he could make that out, but Uriah refuses. 
And then David summons him again and he actually refuses twice. And then David uh, sends him back to the battlefront with a, a letter saying uh, <laughs> to Joab, who is it? Joab? To Joab, yep. To Joab put saying, him on the front put, line. Put him on the front line. So Uriah carries his own letter yeah, of death. Put terrible. him on the front line that he's going to die. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm intrigued to see how you're going to say this isn't bad. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here it is. Yeah, come on. Okay. Uh, I've. I actually have lost the notes on this, so oh, I'm, no. I'm ripping off what I remember. My memory's not great, but it was enough to arrest me yeah. uh, that David is not a sinner for this very reason, that David knew, there's multiple reasons actually, but I'll just start with this one. David knew that Bathsheba was going to be his wife, that he knew that Bath or Bathsheba? Bathsheba. Yep. Bathsheba. He knew that she was going to be his wife and that the Messiah would eventually come from their bloodline. Who's saying this? This is the mitzvah. These are these are the Jewish thoughts and conversations around it. And, and it, okay, but first of all, I'm going to say this. Need a bit more evidence. This okay, <laughs> the evidence is so many scriptures cult- going off my head from culturally, the Old Testament right now. Well, I know, and that's why I'm wondering. My question is how did they I've ignore got, these other scriptures I, and Psalm 51, but they unless ignore I, it. Unless I'm missing something. Just this, let me finish. Yeah, let keep me, going. <laughs> Okay. You should see Rowan's face right now. Oh, it's just, amazing. This it just sounds like one of those crazy Christian stories where Christians just twist things just, to start with a premise that they want and then they just David twist. committed no sin because, first of all, Bathsheba was not married because when men went – you can see me pointing my fingers if you're watching yeah. this video. <laughs> when, 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 when men went to war then, they effectively divorced their wives. Yes, that was the cultural thing at the time that when the men went to wars, they divorced their wives so that if they died in battle, they weren't left a widower. They weren't left a widower and they were able to go on and marry because if they did not find their bodies, they were considered uh, okay. married forever married and forever. could not get married get until the body okay. turned up. All right. All right. All right. That this may be it. true. That makes sense. So I haven't heard that before, but that makes Bathsheba sense. Bathsheba is not married. She's divorced at this point. Right. So she's a single lady out ready on the town for any man, husband, any man or king right. to come and pick her up. Still thinking you're twisting the story, Juice. Sorry. This is what I... Yeah, I'm, not, I'm just saying, it just sounds... This is a classic case of trying to make the story fit your narrative that you've come up with beforehand. Keep going. I, this is not me. No, no, way, you just, just keep going. This is that. a good All example right. of that. Okay, yep. so she's not married. Yep. So when David takes her, uh, he is just... He's actually just listening to God's instruction that, that the line uh, is going to come from Bathsheba. Yep. So he effectively marries her in that sense. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's no sin. He yep. didn't commit adultery. No, he didn't commit adultery. Didn't commit adultery. He might have fornicated because okay. he wasn't married to her yet, but that's all right. But he was because God said this is what people say. Okay. And <laughs> this then. Is a classic case. You know that stuff we were saying about listening to the mitzvah before? Yeah, listen to it, but then be prepared to be a bit picky about it. But it, this is this is extraordinary, this, this stuff. And then, okay, so Uriah. Um, yeah, I want to know what I'll, Uriah did wrong. <laughs> I'll read it to you. Here, here, here. Send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then, um, okay, David, but Uriah, then David sent a gift to Uriah and Uriah didn't go home. Now, here we go. When Uriah appears, he does not present himself as he should present himself to a king. (laughs) 
this, this is funny. Oh, this is brilliant. This is what it is. <laughs> this so, is like Christians manipulating things to get their point across. Unbelievable. But this now I I should state I'm not sure if this is believed by the general population of no, the, this, the Jewish faith or believed mm. by a certain, ver- a certain, certain sect version, of it. Yeah. But um what should he have done? Humbled he, himself. And, he should have humbled himself. He should have presented himself to a king and he should have done what the king had asked him to do. Oh, to go home. To go home. So, because, so that let him off. He was the sinner. He commits treason. He commits treason he commits against treason. the king because he didn't go home, despite the fact that the Bible is putting up here that his honour was, how could I do that when the king's men are out on the battlefield and the he Ark of the Covenant is out on the battlefield? Tre- I wouldn't do that. I would be dishonouring you, Lord. And he, he's committing treason he's when committing he's trying treason. to treason. Be- and because of that oh. act, David should have killed him then. My but goodness. he doesn't. Folks, right. um, the opinions of this podcast neither <laughs> this stuff do I'm not represent the opinions of the pastor of this church. <laughs> and here, and it's this answer here when Uriah answers, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. But, David, you are home living in your, com- in your yeah, comfort in life. That's right? what the so narrative he, is supposed yeah, to be saying. So he's it's supposed to be judging out, David. He's pointing out that David is doing the wrong thing, but he's also going against the king. And Joab and my master's men, now he, he gives Joab the leadership of, of the, the army. army. Yes, correct. Right? So it's almost like so Joab. So that's treason. Treason. <laughs> Joab is, is out to take uh, David's position. So how could I go home to wine and dine when, and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. It's treason. Therefore, he decided to die. So you can see the point that I'm making. He commits no adultery and he commits no more murder. Yeah. Okay, so... The simplest answer to that is that's a load of crock. <laughs> Honestly, I'm awfully exploring things, but I can pick a thousand holes in that argument. That one, you can. I'm trying. So I'm I. trying to be as honest and and reflective as I can, but I really think that is what Jesus says. You're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're missing the point when they have that. Not you, but not that me. argument is missing the point. I think that just goes against the overwhelming testimony of this scripture throughout the Bible. You've got to ignore Psalm 51. You've got to ignore uh, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Kings 15. I just read. You just, yes. There's so many things you have to ignore. Yes, but this goes along with my line of thought. Here the, um, the Jewish faith is saying, or these people, this part of it, I don't actually know who, what, how many people believe this yep. version of this story. But David is not a sinner, right? Yeah. And we are not inherently sinful. Yet David takes the extraordinary depth in Psalm 51 and describes himself as a sinner, sinner, Uh. which is anti their thought, anti the way that their faith has worked, their belief of the sin. So David is actually signaling a new way of thinking of sin. Can you see what I'm saying? Maybe not. Maybe I'm not making any sense. Yeah, keep going. He's confessing in Psalm 51, which we're not even there yet, that he is a sinner from within. His version of sin is so much closer to the Christian version of sin than the Jewish perspective of sin. Um, So David does see himself as a sinner. David does see himself as a sinner. But the Jews think he didn't sin. Yes. That's quite possible. But that, that would reiterate what we believe, that David did sin that David recognises his sin. I thought you were saying that da- the argument... Oh, no, I was never saying David didn't recognise ah, right. his sin. The- well, actually, David doesn't recognise his sin until chapter 12. Well, he gets convicted Nathan, by Nathan yeah. the prophet and then he recognises his sin, but then he realises it. 
Um, okay, I'm prepared to admit then that as long as the point wasn't that the teaching was that David wasn't a sinner, I think David definitely saw his own sin. I think he's not being deceptive there. I still think that you can hold that argument that we're mainly good but we still sin because we have this sinful nature without having to go to that point where you think um, that we're in, um, like that we're all perfect and that this wasn't really sin. Uh, to me, it's starting with an argument we're basically good. How can the king, like you said, how could a king of Israel who we revere possibly have done anything wrong? And they're starting with that premise and then they're reverse engineering an argument to show that David didn't sin rather than going, how can we hold a man in honor as, you know, the descendant of the Messiah and still be comfortable with the fact that he, like all of us, has sin that he has to deal with. And that is two different arguments. I, I have no problems with wrecking. The Bible is full of argue, of people who the, who we uphold as heroes of the faith who are broken. That's the that's the beautiful thing. I've read the Bhagavad Gita uh, and and all a lot of the other religious writings. They are there's no they they do everything they can to water down the sinfulness. Um, and present their heroes as perfect. The Bible does exactly the opposite to that. The Bible lets us see all the flaws, all the failings in the character of all the men and women of the Bible, and yet God's redemptive story is weaved through that. So to think that we need to try and water that down is just just seems ludicrous to me. I think it makes a really interesting point that we do want to water it down. We actually want these these people do want David to be this amazing guy and they're not able to admit that yes, right. that, he's they're, not. that he's not. That's right. That's what yeah. I mean. That's the premise they've started with. This couldn't be right. So let's find an argument to prove that he would, really didn't sin. Yep. And uh, if you're going to go along that line, then that when God says he is a, a man after my own heart, you can see how that makes sense, mm. right? But then when you come to Psalm 51, which is so shocking – but Psalm 51 so, will show the so man after his own heart that in the middle of that he goes, so God's not God's not dismissing him because of his sin. What makes him a man after God's own heart is his repentance, is this passion to get right with God, to have his spirit cleansed and restored into right relationship with God. That's what makes him a man after God's own heart. Rather than, can, yes, he sinned, but then he can, but he did something about wanting to get back into right relationship with God. He's mm-hmm. pursuing God. That's yep. making him a man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean that he needed to be sinless in order to be a man after God's own heart. Uh, yes, but then the perspective of the Jewish thought and all of the laws and the Pharisees and and everything that Jesus encounters is they are acting on that perspective that yep. they are sinless. Yes, they are. They are sinless. Yeah. But if they go back and they look at what David says, David is very much signaling, confessing that we are sinful. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Bible story goes on from there. It, yeah. it uses, it says, hey, your heart is actually deceptive. It's deceitful. Yes. And then Jesus comes to show that there is nothing yeah. you can do. So you're saying this is a me. pivotal moment in the storyline where we're starting to see um, the Bible starting to tell us yeah. in more clarity about the sinfulness of our natures. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I think maybe the Jews, your argument you've just presented, wherever that came from, <laughs> missed that point. It does miss the point. Yeah. Yeah, and it also shows how we can manipulate the Bible and uh, have it say what we want it to say. Yeah. And damage people at the same time. Yes. Um, ostracize some people if they don't act a certain way and do these things. But I'm actually kind of, well... <laughs> relieved that 
it's not just the church. <laughs> that, this is a human problem. That it's a human problem. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't excuse the church and doesn't excuse us. Once again, once again, it's back to us to go, where are we doing the wrong thing here? Where are we mistreating people? Mm. And David here, he does so many things wrong. It's mm. not even... It's, even if you could excuse, uh, you could say that he didn't commit adultery and he mm. didn't murder. He actually does. He's not out on the field with the no. kings. Uh, oh, sorry, with this. Um, with yeah, we're the out army. with the army. Yep, he should be doing that. He's resting in the middle of the yep. day when all these other people are out dying. So once again, he's taking for himself. Yes, and putting other. He's not. He doesn't care about his army. Um, yeah, no, he doesn't. No, he should be out there leading the charge inspiring the troops and instead he's gotten comfortable. He should be representing God to his people, yes, leading right. the charge yep. and being the, the face of protection yep. and salvation and yep. righteousness to his people. I think people. we're going to see, actually, see, in, Chronicles doesn't tell his story at all. Chronicles repeats David's story, but le- it leaves out, the it whitewashes his story for some of the reasons that you've just mentioned, actually. They want to present the messianic line because Chronicles was written after the exiles, they want to present the messianic line and purity. So they completely ignore the David and Bathsheba story. But I think it's Chronicles story says... While this is all happening, uh, after a long siege, Rabbah is the town that they're besieging. Joab sends a word to David and says, hey, Dave, he says, if you don't come out here on the battle line, I'm going to take the city and I'll name it after me. Well, there's the treason. <laughs> yeah, that's the treason. <laughs> You're right. That's I knew treason. that. You well, see? Well, no, it's not treasonous because he actually says, come on, Dave, get out here and you claim the battle. You put the crown on your head. You're about to defeat the city. So there's more to this than we think. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much to read and it's really quite exciting yeah. to read from both perspectives. Yes, it is. You really do start to actually think, good what wrestling. do I believe? What do? Yeah. How do I see this story? Where is the truth? Yeah. And I'm trying, this? while I'm honestly trying to wrestle with the legitimacy or find the legitimacy in that argument. So I know I was joking about it. I still think it's a load of crock, but but I was wrestling with it, honestly. I didn't say I thought it was true. No, I was wrestling with it because I've got to. That's a good example. Rather than dismiss it, wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. And if that is indeed the thought of many people, then that thought has continued on yes, throughout it. Yes, it will shape things too. It will shape yeah. it. Yeah. It will shape some of the schools of Jewish thought as well. Yeah. And and particularly because Bathsheba, she it becomes a really good queen. Yes, she does. Yeah, and yeah. she is wise. It's incredibly redemptive, this story. Yeah, for her, not yep. so much for him. He has a lot of uh, issues oh, that result, are the result the, of this. The mess of his family, the rest of the story of David's life is messed up because of this story. Yeah, which we'll learn more about yeah. Samuel too. But um, it's just, it's worth to point out that she is redeemed and that she is this queen and that her child becomes the king yes. later on because of what I was taught, that she was the scarlet mm-hmm. woman um, and that was sort of missed from the point of the story. Well, this is because, oh, yeah, she shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. That was tempting. This is this is the argument that has been used. Yeah, she's about the temptress. This. Yeah, she's In the her temptress. own house, her own space yeah, exactly. and time. Yeah. Hello, Jill's here. Yeah, we know Jenny's finishing too. Yes. Yeah. We're getting the hurry we're, up and we're, finish. We're coffee. halfway through our podcast, Jill. We're getting the wind up yeah, from Jill over there. Yeah, the wind up. We yeah. do. This is. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Ron. We're, we're going to take a break and come back in the next. We are going to have to come back in a couple uh, of days because we've spent so long. But I hope that you guys listening, uh, at least it has ignited your um, interest and to want to read more and to come to conclusions yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a. It's a big one, guys. But um, hopefully, we're giving you some food for thought. Yeah, but I'm not actually sure we stop pausing this or we're going to do one or two posts or anyway. What are you saying? Sorry, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm we'll saying, just you. You'll just listen to this. We'll just carry on. Oh, we'll be, we'll ba- just we'll be back on. with Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and yep. Is that where we're going? 
No, we're not. Oh, we're, we're actually going to go oh, we're back going to, to the Romans. New Testament. We're going to Romans. So we'll we're be going in, to Romans. We've got a big one, Romans 7, which we've already basically read half the chapter of. But we will go to Romans 7 um, in about 30 seconds, which will be about two days for us. Yes. <laughs> See you guys. It might not sound that we've been away, but we actually have been away. There's been I don't know, a day or so, two days, two days in yep. between these recordings. Yes, that's so, because Jenny talks too much. Yeah, <laughs> I needed to drink a bottle of water after that, <laughs> <laughs> and to digest and wonder what exactly were we talking about? Lots of stuff. We sin, were. sin. It was a heavy topic. It is. I've written since written in the intervening period between our last time and today. I've actually written my sermon on this topic, but. It's amazing how helpful our conversation so far has been with me finalising that. Helpful or confusing or? Uh, both. <laughs> Maybe dig a bit more, but it yeah. was good. It was good. Yeah. Obviously, we're not going to be going to the depth that you're hearing in this podcast in a 25-minute sermon. But, 20, yeah. but anyway, we, it's been helpful. Well, that's good. It's been helpful for me too, and I've actually really enjoyed these last few days not recording so I can go back and have a deeper think. And today we're going to go to Romans 7. Romans 7. That's where we're going to start at. We have referred to it a few times. We have talked about it a few times. And uh, it's basically talking about no longer bound to the law. Mm -hmm. And the law uh, that they're talking about here is the Mosaic law, correct? the Torah. The Torah, which we find in which books in the Bible? Uh, It's Well, the whole of the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Most of the law is contained within Leviticus and Deuteronomy with smatterings in Exodus Pretty much, actually, it's in everything except Genesis, probably. Okay, so, so when we say we say uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're pretty much the two books of the Bible that you haven't read. Yeah, the two books of the Bible with infectious skin diseases, bodily fluids, and all kinds of stuff like yeah, that. Oh, it's yeah, disgusting, <laughs> disturbing, but it's true. So and, molds, infectious skin diseases, and bodily fluids. I like to say. Oh. Okay. How do we even do this podcast? All right. So the law was set up to basically set the people apart, to set God's people apart, to make them look different. Yep. And uh, it was a list of, a whole long list of do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And some do's. And some do's. Yep. Okay. But mostly do nots. Yeah. Okay. And so this Romans 7, so this letter that Paul is writing, he's writing to people he's never met. We yeah, said that before yes, in Rome. Yep, yep. He's never he been to Rome. No indication he's been to meet Rome at this point. He's writing this big letter to explain who he is and the theology Yep. and uh, what's happened. Mm-hmm. And But he's basically the people in Rome at the time are Jews who have converted to Christianity. Uh, in this church, it's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Okay. So what's happened is that they were it was largely a Jewish church and then – one of the Roman emperors, not Nero, one of the others, um, Caligula or someone, banished all the Jews from Rome for a period of time. So the Jews left, including probably Priscilla and Aquila, and that's when they went to Corinth where Paul met them. And then this seems to be after that when they have come back. And so the church has had about 10 years where it's been ex- almost exclusively a Gentile church and suddenly a whole bunch of Jews have come back and now they've got a problem because the Jews and the Gentiles can't figure out how to make it mix. Okay, so if you've... People have grown up Jewish. They've grown up with the law. They've grown up with the law as the idea that if I hit all these points in the law, I'm getting closer to God. Yes. And now Paul is coming in with a very different 
idea? Yeah, it's radically different. Okay, so I heard this saying that's like you can take the person out of the synagogue, but you can't take the synagogue out of the person. I haven't heard about synagogue, but I heard about Egypt. You can, so Egypt, you can take yeah. Israel out of Egypt. Yeah, you can't it's take the same Egypt idea. Out. It is the same idea, yeah. So they have questions like how do we – what is the law doing uh, should do should we still obey the yeah, law yeah. and and can't we shouldn't we make the Gentiles obey the law and all that kind of stuff? Okay, just one question: What's happening to Christians at this time in Rome? Are they being treated nicely or are they? Being... Um, well, they've just come out of that period of persecution. I don't specifically know how they were treated. In They're not the, being killed. They're not being. Well, they've been through, dipped in by, oil by, and assuming burnt. Assuming this is being written, when I think it's been written, it is following a period of persecution. So under Nero, there was definitely persecution, which is like 63 to 66 or something, 60 to 63 right. AD, somewhere around there. There was a massive amount of persecution. Christians were being burned and martyred left, right and centre. In fact, Nero started a fire. The theory is he started a fire in Rome and blamed it on the Christians. You can see me looking at my book there. It's like, oh, this seems to be saying it's been written in AD 58. Roughly around 58. Then. So that, that's an assumption it's, it's happening earlier. Okay. So, and I think you'll find that there's some conjecture. I often find, whatever that Bible is, I often find that, that your Bible study notes seem to be quite, it's obviously coming from a different perspective to what is, I've. You're saying my Bible's taught. wrong? No, no, there's just multiple perspectives. And it's a lot <laughs> of it is speculatory. A lot of it's trying to piece together. I believe every word in this Bible. The, not Rowan. the Bible, all the yeah. comments, it's all the, the commentaries. <laughs> it's all the commentaries. It's all the introduction and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The thing is, uh, N.T. Wright says, listening to reading some of Paul's conversations is like listening to one side of a television, com- a telephone conversation. You can't really hear what's going on on the other side. Uh, and you try to piece together the other end of the conversation. And that's why it can be hard to piece everything together and go, okay, this book was written in this time. And so some some books will say, oh, it was written in 58 or it might have been written in 69. That's that kind of thing. All They're right. just trying to piece it together. I so, get what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, so if it is 58, then that predates, I would imagine that predates mm, the big persecution that they were suffering under Nero because I don't think that would have happened for a couple of years. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to put it into concept or yeah. not uh, time and yeah. what's going on in the it, world around yeah. them to explain yeah. why he writes this letter. And it's kind of a little bit defensive, I think. It's a, it's a, it's a strong letter. Who's he defending? Well, he's defending this faith. Right. So it's okay. it, first read you can say this sounds just so arrogant, mm-hmm. this whole thing. Yep. And it's hard to read. The yeah. concepts that are in it are hard. You you struggle with it. And I think that every sentence almost needs a podcast. Yeah, oh, it's huge. It's this is the major treatise on salvation and all the other things. But like I said, I think it was last last time we were recording recording earlier in this episode about you know Scott McKnight's book Reading Romans Backwards is a good way to understand this because you start with chapter fourteen and fifteen, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So in the, the break that we had, I I've gone and come back with something, an idea of something that I never do which is I'm just going to completely personalise okay. this. All right, go I, for it. And the reason I don't like to personalise this because I don't like to look for myself in the Bible. I like to look for God in the Bible, to look for Christ, oh, to look for everything. Right. But I'm going to put myself directly in this to help me to understand it because I don't think I can understand it in any other way. All right, let's do it. All right, so now, dear brothers, verse 1, now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, the Mosaic law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he does, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. What the heck is Paul talking about? He's talking about marriage? Talking about why is he talking about marriage when he's talking about Christ and the law? 
Uh, I think he's about, he's about to set up an example and he's just siding on something that makes sense to them. So he, he, they were familiar with law of marriage and how that works. And it was probably exactly the same in Roman. This, I think the Roman law is probably the same as the Jewish law here, but let's assume it's just talking about Jewish law. So he is about to use, um, an earthly, earthly analogy, an earthly example that they know to represent and be a metaphor for a spiritual truth that he's going to go on and tell us about what it means to be, um, what does it say? No longer bound to the law. Okay. So am I correct or along the right lines if I think of marriage uh, as a covenant? Yeah. So he's talking here, um, the covenant to the law, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm under covenant to the law and he's using the example as a marriage so I can I can see what that means. I can see I have been, I have to make a commitment to this law, to the, under the covenant, to my partner. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, but what he's about to say is that marriage is over, that covenant, that covenant ends, ended. and now I'm under a new covenant yes. and a new marriage yes. to Christ. That's the, that's the metaphor he's going to use to illustrate his point. Is that right? Yeah. Do I get it. that right? So I've, that. I've moved from You've that marriage yeah. to a new marriage. And how do you move from one marriage to another marriage? And essentially there were two ways you could do it. <laughs> you could be, well, actually, no, really in Jesus, but there was two ways. You could be divorced and that's a whole, actually Amanda and I talked about that in, well, what is last week's episode uh, prior to this? Um, I think it was a week before. Um, so what that process is that, the, that um, they were able to, certificate of divorce and, and divorce a woman. But in God's intention was that marriage would be, assuming that we were able to live the way we should and selfless lives rather than selfish lives, marriage would be for life. And that that would then end at the point of one of those parties dying. And that would free that other one from the covenant relationship. And they would be free then to enter into another covenant relationship. And they all understood that. That's how... Okay. I mean, it's still essentially how it works. It's just, even today, that's still... Uh, a marriage, according to the law in Australia, is the union of two people voluntarily entered into for life. That's what I say when I do a ceremony. So that's the law in Australia. Um, there are, but once you've entered into it, it's a covenant, it's a legal contract, and there's only really death or divorce to actually, or annulment to get out of that contract. All right. Okay. I, I get what you're saying. So then in verse four, when uh, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. Mm -hmm. So when Christ died, my old covenant marriage died. Yes. That's what I'm to think about. That's what and you're thinking about. Yep. Re resurrected into this new. Yep. New genie. New He's in genie a new covenant. In a He's new in a new marriage. So where I was married to the law, yep. I am now married to Christ. You got it. That's what he's saying. Exactly. That's what he's saying. That's it. That's, that's the basic premise of what he's saying. In fact, you've said it so succinctly because there are little nuances in this where he mixes and matches things and he goes, you're dead to the law, but hang on, is the law dead or am I dead? And yeah, he, it's he, weird. It is a bit <laughs> weird. And I've often wondered, to be honest, whether or, whether or not like I'm trying to drill too far into the metaphor and just not letting it speak to itself because it's just like all metaphors. It, I don't think it's perfect. I think it, you could pick holes in it, but I think the overall emphasis is what you just said is really good sum up of it. Oh, well, thanks. I, actually, I'm guilty, I think, bit... of trying to explain every little bit of this point. And it's just occurred to me for what you said, maybe I'm, I've done this for years. Maybe I just could come up a step and go, don't worry about all the intricacies of it. The basic point is, say it again, you just said. You... I said that previously I was married to the law. Yep. Then when Christ died, I died, died with, with him, him, which are 
absolved that marriage, as you yep. pointed out before. Yep. So now in the resurrection, I am now married to Christ. Yes, that's it. That's that's it. Well yes. done. I think that's I think that's what he's saying. All right. Yes. I I'm, I hope that's what yeah, he's yeah, saying. Yeah. This is what I've come to. This is I'm trying to personalize yeah. it. Put myself in yeah, this. That's so. Great. Under my first marriage, I needed to behave a certain way. Yes. I had to tick all of these boxes to achieve the holiness. And now under my new marriage with Christ, it's a completely different thing. And that marriage actually says no boxes to tick, rather become like Christ. Yes. Uh, we say, and the way we've heard it said is it's no longer do's and don'ts. It's done. It's done. Yeah. So it's been right. done by Jesus. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's, yeah. I'm so pleased you say that because yeah. I was... T- no, that, that's I'm so it. worried about redoing this today. All right. So, and here, um, now you, we are united in verse four with the one who was raised from the dead. So we're united completely with Christ. Yep. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old, this is a little bit different again. When we're controlled by our old nature, sinful desires will work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. So what I'm going to do, personalize this is, uh, controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires. We talked a little bit this about this before and he's going to actually go on and say it, um, talking about if the law didn't tell me do not, to, covet. do not covet. I wouldn't know I what that not means. Yep. Okay. So. Wouldn't the, say you could not cover it. You didn't realize what coveting was. Re, yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. Yes. Sorry. I was thinking ahead because this, yep. I'm trying to really get to this one because yeah. it's so hard. This is, this is a, um, a pyramid, uh, what's the word? Pin, uh, pivotal. That's the word I'm after, not pyramid. Pivotal passage on this whole concept of sin and law and judgment and what Jesus has done. Romans 7 is the microcosm of that. Yeah. So the law aroused these evil desires by saying, basically, I'm going to put this simply here, an evil desire that I might have, a law might be saying, <laughs> real simple, do not park here for longer than 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I look at it and I go, well, you know what? If there was nobody going to find me, my evil desire we is go, I'm going to park that. here all day. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yep. All right. That's it. That's the sinful desire. Yep. And under the, the sinful law. desire says, why can't I? I can take that for myself. Yep. And it's the consequences the risk of consequences, which is the thing that's actually driving you not to do it. Yeah. But also, you know what? I want to take the risk. You want to take I the risk? I want to take the okay. risk. Yeah, right. And see if I can park there all yeah, day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that is what Paul was called the old nature or the flesh, other yeah. versions say. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. And But now we have been released from the law. And for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. What do you think it means to live in the spirit? So this term live in the spirit or walk in the spirit as its other versions. Um, I think, I think I like walk in the spirit. I think that's the, probably the most literal translation of what it means. So when I think walk of the Greek that Paul uses. So I'm thinking of walking in lockstep with the spirit of God, which means as I go about my day, the spirit of God is right beside me, leading me, walking with me. I'm partnering with the spirit. The spirit's partnering with me to enable me and prompt me to not live according to the flesh, according to the old nature according to my sinful desires, but according to God. So it's through the spirit that I'm um, in relationship with the spirit that I'm able to choose to not park there, not because I don't want to 
risk a fine, but because it's the right thing to do because I'm honouring other people who need that space. Yes, those people who just want to grab a coffee or exactly. they just want to go to the yeah. IGA. <laughs> and that's it. You've got it in a nutshell. And that, that's the difference is that the law is – Paul is saying the law is all about trying to protect you from doing the wrong thing. When you walk in the spirit, you want to do the right thing because you're honouring the image of God in other people, not yourself. And because I'm united in marriage with Christ, as I walk with him, he is revealing his character to me. And in our marriage, I learn to emulate yes. him. Yes. Right. right. That's it. Okay. Okay. And here, verse 7, When well then, I'm just going to go through this because it's really in depth. Am I sh- suggesting the law of God is sinful? So basically, people... The question here is: Do we get rid of the law, or do we keep the law, or is and the he's law basically wrong? and he's just told you that the, he's basically left you thinking: Is the law a good thing then? Because if it's doing all this bad stuff, if it's just a whole bunch of rules, and it's not really achieving what it's want, what it wants. If you just stop at verse six, you can see why he's put verse seven in there because you, you left thinking maybe Paul doesn't think the law is very good, and he then questions. It's almost like he's writing this in real time. He goes. Oh, maybe I meant to clarify that because maybe they think the law is a bad thing. So I'm yeah. going to go on and say, no, it's not sinful. It's not a bad. It's not a bad thing. The law, because I hear he says, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires with me, which is exactly what I was saying about wanting to park there all day. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Simple yep. thing. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. So just stop. I want to pull that one thing here. I know I touched on already. Yeah, please we- do. Yeah, and in the NLT, the sin is not capital S, but the context of what Paul's saying there, can you see how sin is something external? Sin is using a command. So sin is some kind of intelligent, some kind of external force that is doing something within our sinful nature. Sin would not have, he says, if the law, there was no law, sin wouldn't have that power. So can you see that sin is externalized here? Yeah, I can. Yeah. It's, it's Paul's thinking of it as an external force of some kind. Is that all you're going to say on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want us to, okay. as we track through the rest an of this, I think it's important force. to see okay. that because we just think of sin as something we do, whereas Paul is thinking of something, sin is actually a force in the world that is it fighting with us and then our sinful nature, our flesh is aroused by that and is attracted to that. And that creates a harvest of death in us. Right. Okay. That's very clear what you're saying. At least it's clear to me. Yeah. <laughs> At one time I lived without understanding, but then I learned the command not to covet. covet. For instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. But when I learned the command not to covet, the power of sin came to life and I died. So when I learned it was wrong and mm-hmm. I did it anyway, that's when sin was so powerful that my actions resulted in my own in, spiritual in my own death. death. Yes. Death. Yep. Physical or spiritual or both? Uh, I think the concept, concept here is probably a spiritual death. Um, it, it, well, it's more than, yeah, it's a spiritual death and a physical death, but not an immediate physical death. In, in, back in the Garden of Eden, God says to Adam in chapter two, the day you eat of it, you will die. But yep. you think about it, they didn't die. I lived another 900 and something years after that. So, but at the point at which that happened, the end result of his actions was going to be death. He was yes. going to experience it. So it doesn't necessarily mean physical immediate death, but the, the implications of that, the end result end of that result. is death. Yes. All right. Good to clarify. So I discovered the law's commands, which was supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. 
Sin took advantage of these commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right are good. I read somewhere else that said that the law is spiritual. Yep. I, love the version. I think the NIV says the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. Yep. Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. This is such a chunky statement. Mm. I feel like you need to do a full series of sermons on each chapter of this book. Oh, we might have to. Maybe next year we might do some books because we'll see. I'm, I'm toying with the possibility of digging into some books. But it's so hard to read. You just want to kind of put it down. Don't you? you just go, oh, oh this it's is, all over my head. I don't know. This is massive. Folks, if you get yeah. confused by Romans, don't feel like you're just... Oh, by Romans or by Rowan? <laughs> Rowan. Rowan. If you get confused by Rowan, yeah. that's, that's totally different. Rowan is confusing. But if you get confused by Romans, don't feel bad either because yeah. it is um, it is deep and rich with Paul's reflections. Um, no wonder when Phoebe goes there to take it, she's probably spent days explaining it beforehand and because she's probably read the book and gone... Uh, Paul, you're going to have to explain this to me. If I'm going to stand up and explain this to everybody else, you're going to have yeah. to make it clear to me. Phoebe's taking the letter Phoebe to read. Phoebe is taking the letter to, to read Rome, to the Romans. Just to, to, yeah, yeah. Just to, yeah, yeah, Romans 15. Phoebe is the lady who takes the letter to Rome. That's the lady who takes the letter. Amazing. Yes, she takes yeah. it. And she has to teach it and explain it as well. So she knew it. All right, okay. Yeah. So here it's saying the law, um, these laws that were given, God knew that no one was going to be able to uphold Mm-hmm. But what the law did was actually, as we try to uphold it, and we believe that we're ticking the boxes, marking the X's, we're actually um, believing that we're in our own righteousness. Yeah. We're, we're assuming that we're right with God when we hit the law. But what the law is actually doing is exposing, exposing our Exposing our sinful nature. Yeah. yeah. Just like when I want to park there all yep. day, I could actually park there for 30 minutes. Yep. But my desire to park there all day is... Because I don't want to go back and move my car or I don't no. want to park down the street. It's so, it's And convenient. so is my right. I think yeah. no one else is going to park right. here. This yeah. is my spot. No yep. one's going to bust me for it. Nope. I deserve it. So that that's my desire. That's your so sinful desire. It's that command, do not park for more than 30 minutes, is showing me that it's I feel actually I'm illuminating your illuminating. sinful desire. It should do yeah. that. That's what Paul's – and that's a good thing. That I'm putting myself above everybody yep. else. That's how it's – that's what Torah should do. It should, it should shine a light on your life. And go, oh, this is showing me what's wrong with me that I want to park there all day at the expense of other people who deserve that space. And that's supposed to work that way. What they did is they turned it into a bunch of rules and they actually made it selfish rather than selfless because they failed to see what it was trying to do, which was expose their sinful nature. And they went, oh, okay, I've deliberately made sure I only park there for 30 minutes. I don't go one second over. I make sure by the time the 30 minute comes, I'm gone. Oh, I'm a righteous person. Yes. See me leaving 29 minutes, 59 seconds. Exactly. But you know what? Even if I parked for 29 minutes and 59 seconds and I waved goodbye to all the people wanting my parking spot, it is not going to stop the thought within me that wants me to park there longer. Come on. Every day. This is actually such thought, a good analogy. I've yeah. never used a parking spot. I like it because it's I want it so to be simple. Oh, simple. That's, it's just gold, Genie. Yeah. I might pinch it and add it to my sermon. It's because it's just something that makes sense to us, but it's it's illuminating the issue that's going on inside our heart. Yeah. And I think, well, I'm hoping that everybody is like me. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe people I, are like, no, I would never <laughs> want to imagine park there longer. Oh, but I always want to do what's good for me. If I park there every day for 30 minutes, it it would only anger me 
eventually after a year, like, why can't I be there longer? Mm, mm. I see that no one comes and parks after yeah, me. Yeah. I, I deserve that. Yeah. Or I might you see the person who you, you, you start walking along and taking note of everybody else's license plates and you start to get judgmental and critical when you notice they go over 30 minutes. That's right. I could do that. See, it's this law is never going to get rid of that thought yep, within me. That's right. That self oh, desire. Yep. Yep. And it's actually just going to make it worse. It does. And I that's am going to start booking people. All these do not, to, do not, Colossians 2, do not taste, do not touch. These things have an appearance of godliness, but they actually lack the power to subdue the flesh. Yeah. Because you you actually end up becoming self-righteous because you think you're righteous. That's right. And you know what? What's that Facebook site people are on? Oh, yeah, that Thoreau Living. Have you heard about that? Uh, I'm going to get on there and I'm going to go such and such, <laughs> K-R-Z, Z, sorry, whatever, parked here for longer yeah. and I didn't. So this is what I'm saying. <laughs> we actually had down in our Kemble Grange Facebook page, we had one that got so poisonous that they shut it down and started a new one. Oh, wow. Because it was just, people okay. were just putting vitriol on it. It's just horrible. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. So here, so you can see here in verse 13 how terrible sin really is, yeah. how it grows. Yeah. Nothing anybody can do, this law, is going to heal that Um Within me, no, nah, that's not right. going to change. Okay, here's, uh, here's, uh, this is the opening to my message that I came up with. When I wrote this down yesterday. James one says, "Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's the pattern. He's yeah. reflecting off the same pattern. Yeah, we get dragged away. We want that thing. It's the whole see, want, desire it, take it thing yep. we talked about. That's that's what James is saying here too. All right. So I'll just confess, I'm not going to go out now and I'm not going to write, this is Jeannie's parking <laughs> spot. Jeannie's park. As much as I would well, love you, to. You parked here for 31 right. minutes, you, you hear that? filthy sinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So verse 14, the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual good. The trouble is within me. Yes, it is within me for I am too human. I am a slave to the sin of this parking spot. Yes, that's a great okay. one. <laughs> I don't really understand myself for I do not. I do, for I want to, to do, do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I, I'm going to confess here again. When I read that Paul wrote this, I started to think, man, Paul's got some issues. <laughs> He's got oh. the thorn in his side. Like, what's he doing? For That's I it. want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but he still does it. See, I, I right now I'm like, I kind of don't want to read Paul anymore because I'm purely he, judging him. Has he like, just become? Has he just lowered in your? Yeah, stick? totally lowered. Oh, you're funny, Jenny. Well, totally lowered I, until. <laughs> sorry, go on. Oh, look, I find myself visiting uh, Romans seven and Psalm fifty-one where we go. I find myself reading, visiting those scriptures probably more often than anything else because I see myself reflected. Oh, do you? In this, oh, I want to do the right thing, but I just keep falling short. Ah, oh, see, I didn't do. See, you're clearly the better Christian than me. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Didn't know this until I went. Oh, I got to think about this verse. I got to think about this. Personalize it. All right. Okay. Today, or not today, but I wake up in the morning and I go. I write. A, I go on my walk and I listen to a podcast. And Everything's holy. Music. It's holy and everything. And I make a list. Today, I am going to. Make sure I don't give my children mac and cheese. I'm going to make them like a great meal. All right? Okay. I am going to pray for 20 minutes. All right? Yep. Okay. I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to call this person. I am going to, um, in my workplace, I'm going to mention the name of Jesus. Whoa. I'm going to be super go all Christian out and go today. Real Christian. I'm going to be real Christian. And you know what? 
also when my children talk to me, I am not going to look at Instagram. All right? <laughs> I'm not going to look at my phone. This is what, I, you're, this you're is so what I'm doing. These are all my plans yep. for the day. This is what I want to do. This is how I feel like I'm going to be a good Christian today. I really want to do it. Yep. I want to change my life. I want to improve my relationships. I want to be you know, seen as the good Christian in my workplace, yep. be a great mum. And then I get to bed at night. And I look at that list. Look back on your list. And it's like XX, XX, <laughs> XX, XX. I did none of them. I didn't, not, not only did I not even pray for 20 minutes, I didn't think I even prayed for a second. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So, yep. see, so that makes sense to me it now. It suddenly now, makes sense because yeah, you've personalized it. I've personalized it. So, as opposed it. to thinking about Paul being that way, you've now personalized it and gone, that, and that's how you should read this. And now I feel dreadful. For Paul thinking is, about Paul, yeah, okay. <laughs> being such a jerk. Can you, well, that, isn't that what a self righteousness does? Where you can judge Paul and go, oh, you know, you, you sinner, Paul. But that's what self righteousness does. But we should be looking to see what is this scripture saying and how does it, what is it illuminating about our heart and how how is this scripture Torah to us? Yeah, right. And uh, if I know that, I won't read that. So this says, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. No matter how hard I try, I have a problem I still with this fail. virus that has attached itself to my sinful nature, this sin virus. Sin virus. Living yeah. in me, growing in me. So going back to the idea of th- that sin is, um, as the, the Jewish thought, it's the missing the mark. Yep. It's the arrows. Now, I can understand it in this context. I'm missing the mark. I'm not doing what I want to do. Can you see that? Oh yeah, playing totally. Out there? That's exactly what. Yeah. And Paul's thinking that. That's what Romans three twenty three. We've all sinned and fall short. That's the archery term. We all fall short. Yeah, that's what that's what is happening. Our best efforts are still falling short. I think that's exactly what Paul's saying here. I feel like I keep wanting to hit the target, but I just keep falling short. Falling short. So there's two ways to miss a target. If you're a, if you're an archery, you can miss a target by just completely shooting past the target off track, or you can be dead for the target, head on for the target, and come short. And that's the one Paul's using. Sure, there's narcissists and evil people out in the world that just don't care. Their conscience is seared, Paul would say, and they just, they don't care where they shoot. They don't care who they shoot. But for most people, we want to do the right thing, but we just keep coming up short. And that's what Paul is describing in Romans 7. All right. Okay. And here in verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I know nothing good lives in me when I say, Kids, here's your mac, here's your and, mac and cheese. Here's your mac and cheese and let me play on Instagram. Eat it, yes. <laughs> Look, we be thankful that I even put this in the microwave for you because you know what? I am so mad right I'm, now I'm with so my life. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I feel, yeah. and it, <laughs> that is my sinful nature, you, you know. Oh, I hope this is making sense to oh, people. It's, it's really making great sense to me. I, I thank want you. to do it's what really is helpful. right, but I can't. I want to I want to make them a good meal, but yeah. everything about my day, everything that I, all the choices that I have made have made it impossible for me to make mm-hmm. a good meal. Yep. Yeah. I can't. You, I can't do powerless. it. You're powerless. I'm powerless. You feel like you can, despite your best efforts, you just keep coming up short. Yeah. Not to mention all the other things on the list that I didn't get to. Yeah, I'm just sure. talking about the mac, just the mac and, and cheese. And cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do, do what is wrong, wrong, but I do, but it, anyway. I do it anyway. That's so true. I don't eat mac and cheese, by the way, so I do make myself another meal. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. It's not gluten-free. Yeah. <laughs> but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. This is a sh- this is where I need to ask you. Can you just explain that statement a little bit to me? Um, I'm, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is yeah. sin living in me that does it. Explain that. Just explain it. Okay. I think, think we need to take that analogy we've 
spoken about in earlier chapters where there's this part of us that is good. Remember we talked about that part, yep. juice, see that? Made it's in the image of God. Made in the image of God. There's part, now we just have dismissed that. Nothing good, right? But I think if we realise there is part of us that wants to do good because we have been imprinted with the image of God and there is another part of us, this sinful nature, which and the two are at warring with each other. And, and Paul is saying there's, which verse is it? I'm just, just let me read it. 20. Verse 20. It says, let me read it again. I do want to do it, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. What he means is not that good part of me. It's not the one who's doing it. It's this, it's this sinful part of me that has been attacked by this virus of sin, which is living in me and is taking over like a growth. Like a growth. And Paul's not, you know, this is, we're using 20, you know, I always say don't use 21st century analogy, but, but I think it's helpful as long as we understand that Paul's not thinking medically like we are. Don't Maybe they, they had some understanding of growths and gorges and so on. But if we think of it like this cancerous thing, which is just growing all the time and it's choking out the, the, the part of us that wants to do good, that just helps me to understand what he's saying. There's a part of me that still wants to, but it's just, I'm powerless because this, this cancer is taking over my life. Okay. And should I think of it also as like two wills? Yeah. A battle of wills. Yep. Battle of wills yep. in my mind. And in fact, there is here. I want to do this but I keep doing this. There's the two wheels right there. There's two eyes going on here. This is stressful. This is a hard work, battling yeah. each day well, he, within ourselves. He's about to say, what a wretched, you know, this version says, oh, what a miserable person I am. And I'll what a wretched man I am. Yeah. You can see, you go, I know that feeling. I get to the end of my day and I haven't made, mac, I've just made mac and cheese. I feel wretched. Because yeah. <laughs> I pretty much should have written, do not make mac, mac and, and cheese for your children. <laughs> so I've broken that law, yeah, right? right? So I'm, I'm, sure I'm totally <laughs> so then you're still wretched. wretched. That's right. Yes. So that's what I mean. I read this and go, I totally get where Paul's coming from. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it all this is showing me is that I am, I'm actually powerless. Yes. I try so hard, but I still fail. Yeah. And even just reading the Lord. Do not make mac and cheese. Do not park here. It's just such, it's setting me up to fail. So if Paul is quoting on having to unlearn all his Jewish thought that you brought up in the earlier chapters, where they thought they could eventually get there, yes. this chapter just completely yes. demolishes that argument and says, mate, you're never going to get there. Yep. Yep. That's right. You're never mm. going to hit the arrow. Never going to hit the arrow. Never yeah. going to hit the target. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also going to say that actually Christ Hits the, it's arrow. the arrow for us. All right, okay. Oh, just keep going. This yes, is exciting. It's great. I've discovered. I think it's exciting. Oh, if you're is, listening and you're like, this is gold. so bad. You might be thinking it's boring, but I'm excited. <laughs> I like this stuff. I have this, discovered this, this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And now I think, oh, Paul, I'm so sorry for judging you. What a lovely statement to make about yourself. <laughs> I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is in war at it. That war within my mind, the power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I am, yes, I am a slave to that desire to wanting to park longer and I am a slave to that inability uh, to, to feed my kids, to a, good feed my kids yep. a good dinner. Yeah. And I can, I don't want to say I'm a victim here. I don't want to say, oh, well, I didn't have the time. This person interrupted me. I couldn't make a meal. Nah, and I think this is this is important to realize too, because the Jews would be pushing back and they're going, Are you just letting yourself off the hook? If you just try harder, you'll get there. So you could read this as an excuse. And this is what Christians do. They read it as an excuse. And so they think, Well, okay, there's nothing I can do. I need the free gift. But then they go, I've got the free gift. It doesn't matter how I live now. Rather than recognizing as what Paul's going to say is that no, now that you've got the free gift, 
you actually are expected to live by the same righteous Torah law, the law of caring for others, the righteousness, said akah, the word is, to do right toward others. You're expected to do that. The difference now is after Christ, you have been empowered to do that. Yes. That's the difference. Yep. That is the difference. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh and then here's me at night in bed. This is exactly what I say when I realized all the things that I have failed <laughs> in the day. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And you've already just said, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In this reading, I realize that Jesus is the only one who can help me. He is the helper yep. as we're in that marriage together. Um and I see his character. He not only do I see the character that I should become, he actually helps me along the way. Great. Right? Well said. Well said. Okay, this isn't so hard after all. It's a powerful chapter. <laughs> yeah, it is. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I need to stop buying mac and cheese, I think. <laughs> Don't buy it in the first place. <laughs> what? It's a, it's a favourite in the family. Yeah, it is in our family too who's growing up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do have a, a cultural question though. So this is re revealing the sin within me, but what if, and I think this is at our time right now, the world outside me is telling me that what I think and that what I want to do is not sinful. Mm -hmm. It's right. Mm -hmm. Um, because my desire to want to park longer than 30 seconds, 30 minutes is actually right. Yeah. That's my truth. Yeah, sure. So how does this chapter, how do you make this chapter relevant to okay, now? So this is, this is really good because that's a really good question I've been wrestling through because the world's message is if it feels right, do it. Yep. It's good for you. It won't hurt you. Do it. That is, uh, and they say, you know, to, to stop that is the wrong thing to do, right? But if we repurpose the opposite of sin, and then we come back to that analogy I've been giving, that sin is harming the image of God in somebody else. And the scripturally, the opposite of sin is sedekar, it's righteousness. It's to do right by another person. It's to be in right relationship with other people. So how this works is the world says to me, Rowan, you just do what's right for you and you won't hurt anybody, okay? God's message is, no, you do what's right for other people. Don't do what's right for yourself. You choose what's right for other people. Don't harm other people. So now it's not about me doing what feels good for me. It's about me doing what's good for you. Jesus puts it this way. He says, um, he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I think that's how the, the gospel message counteracts the world's message right now, which says, oh, that, that won't hurt anybody. No one needs to know about that. You, 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 you're good. You feel good. That helps you. It's very selfish. It's actually, uh, it's actually selfish, isn't it? It, it? It's rather than selfless. Yeah. It, our culture now is selfish. Yes. Yeah. And you know, a couple of weeks ago on a podcast, I said to you, uh, I believe that sin is dead. That's what I yeah, said. I remember you saying that. Yep. Yeah. And I actually do think sin is dead in terms of that everything I do is right. But where sin is very much alive is everything you do yes. in opposition to me. To me whether getting my you, needs met. Whether, no, whether you disagree with me mm -hmm. or how you treat me, that is sin. Yeah. 
So you have externalized sin onto others. Is that what you mean? Am I tracking with what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, yep. Rather than looking at where are my actions failing to honor the image of God in others, I'm now thinking about how are you harming me? And every time you harm me, that's sin against me. Yeah. So we live in this victim culture. Yeah. So how are you as the pastor going to show people or not show but to be Christ in this moment that it is possibly unwise to act, to live as a victim. Uh, does that make sense? And how this message is relevant because if I am a victim and everything is done against me, I have no reason to confess my sins and I have no reason to give my life to Christ. I'm going to go, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this because Paul is. Does that make sense the way I, I asked that? I think so. I think. Whereas yeah. uh, growing up, it was always said to me, you're a sinner, you need Christ. Now I'm told I am not a sinner. Mm -hmm. So why do I need Christ if I'm not a sinner? Okay. So I want to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry, I was just going to, I was going to joke, but I won't joke. <laughs> so I want to externalize yeah. it more. I want to take it to the next level and go, where am I not acting with righteousness towards other people? And what am I going to do to do that? Assuming you want to act in righteousness to other people. Well, like, like Paul, I, I do. Does this culture I just keep falling short of. I love that you're um, coming straight at me with the Christian message, but I, I'm, I, I'm countering saying, well, this culture, this culture is want so to? hard, um, so hardened rather. Uh, look, I think most people in the world still want to do the right thing. What they don't realize is that the message of the world and some of the messages in the church is still about look after number one. And it seems like a good narrative. It seems like an important narrative. But if you really cut down and said, hey, do you want to be a good person? Most people will go, yeah, I do. If you say to most people, deep down inside, if you say to most people, you know, if someone was coming along, maybe they they wanted to grab a coffee or maybe, you know, they've got an appointment, you know, and you're sitting in your car, sitting there, and you know that 30 minutes is up, and you know that maybe, maybe they need to grab their coffee because they're in a rush. Do you? Does part of you at least want to get out of that spot? I no. think. I think most you know people what? will go. No, no, I, no. I see, but I feel like I probably should get well, out. Well, I think spot. Paul would say so from okay. Romans seven, "There's part of us that does, and part of us that doesn't." And that's what I mean. I think we have this. We run the risk of blacklisting everybody and going, "Oh, you're all sinners, but you're not like me." I think there's part of us because we're all imprinted with the image of God. With the exception of really, really evil people whose consciences are seared, I think that there are most people in the world have some sense of justice, of some sense of what is right. But they oh, have a sense of justice. Uh, That's right. That everything you do yeah, against me against needs to, me to be just. Yes. To be, yeah. Judged. As opposed to restorative <laughs> yeah. justice, which says there's some sense. I think some people. I think most people. I may be wrong here, but I think if most people you asked, if you're talking to non-Christian friends, if you said to most people, gave the example I said, and goes, you know, imagine someone's in a rush to find their parking spot because they're late for work and they're going to lose their job. Is there part of you that thinks you should get out of that spot? They probably would go, yeah. Now they might not get out of it, but if you explained it to them, they'd probably go, oh yeah. But then the, right now they're not thinking about that because they're just thinking selfishly. What? Christ does enable us to get outside of ourselves, to die to self and start to think about other people. So I think it's there in all of us. I just think that we need Christ to help us, empower us to live righteous, righteously and do righteousness yeah. to oh, others. Oh, because can I tell you something about a, a marriage with Christ? Mm -hmm. What happens is 
somehow the heart gets changed. Yes. Before you know it, you start thinking about of other people. Yeah, I think that's the, you that's start the point. thinking. You start seeing God's love for other people. Yep. Where you thought people like when I thought Paul was a bad person, and suddenly you, you, I suddenly you, like, oh, actually, Christ is saying to me, he's not a bad person. He, I love him. Yep. And he's switching the heart. So where the law couldn't change the heart before, this new marriage with Christ changes the heart. Yes, yes, and that's the. I'm just going to find it for you, Jeremiah. 31, 33, in the Old Testament, this is what Jeremiah says. He says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within their heart. I'll put my Torah deep within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They won't need anyone else to teach their neighbors for they will teach their relatives saying, you would know the Lord. In other words, I'm going to take my law, my Torah from tablets of external stone and I'm going to write it on your hearts. And now through the walking in the spirit, you're going to be able to do what is right. So you go from being selfish about the 30 minute spot to, um, to putting out a sign or saying, Hey, uh, you know, would you like me to stay here? And I'm just thinking, <laughs> would you like me to stay here and move you, move your car for you every 30 minutes? Oh, you assume I'm a good person. <laughs> I wouldn't I'm, you, I'm probably going a bit far with the analogy, but that's what I'm saying. Yep. Suddenly you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're saying, I'll give up my time. I've got a couple of hours to spare. I'll give up my time. Give me your keys. I'm trustworthy. You know, yeah. It's a bit of a yep. strange metaphor. And I'll, I'll move your car around for you and you just call me and I'll bring it to you. Can you see how that is now righteousness that's yes. not just the i'm not no longer blaming someone i'm actually doing righteousness something righteousness is something you do proactively towards the benefit yeah. of someone else as opposed to just looking out for myself yeah and what you're pointing out to me there is almost like you're a new person you're a new person yeah cuz yep. you that's the i'm a new creation all right let's put it on to me that was the new genie if i was doing that's the new genie yes. who's saying come and park here i would argue it's the it's the true genie the true the, it's the true human you were created to be the problem was your sin nature, that cancer of the sinful nature was was corrupting it. And now what you're always intended to be can shine out of you. So there's this supernatural sort of thing going on within yeah. you, life in the spirit, that your marriage with Christ is working within you and helping you. Yeah. Whereas you didn't have the help before when you failed in the first marriage. Well, that sounds a bit harsh to say, but yes. when you failed under the law under the of law, the yep. covenant, yep. the Mosaic law, yep. this one, there's new help and yep. it helps you on the way with strange things because I should, you know how I was going on about mac and cheese? Well, somebody a few weeks ago was like, hey, look at this dinner delivery, which I used to do that, but I, but it didn't work. But this one came along and suddenly I'm feeding my kids amazing food. Oh, really? And they love it. Yeah. 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 So I have been helped along the way Fantastic. somehow. I've confessed at night, oh God, I'm so bad with the mac and cheese. Yeah, so now the nature is starting to The nature is there. Up. I need to do, uh, I need help. Yep. And he's provided Who's rescued me? Thanks be to Christ who's rescued me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's rescued me. That's a great – so I know we, we <laughs> you might be thinking we're trivialising this, but we're, trivi- we're trivialising it down to simple stories because these then macro up to our to the really nitty-gritty stuff of life, the way we interact with our kids and the way we treat our work colleagues and our family members and our spouses and all that sort of stuff at, a, at an even greater level than this. But this, is, this has been so helpful for me, this chapter. <laughs> I don't think I've ever discussed – Romans 7 in as much depth as this. Great. Oh, and as much depth about parking lots. <laughs> it's really helpful. <laughs> I'm sure they had parking in, in <laughs> Chariot parking. Day. Yeah. Park and your so, chariot for 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we talked about the sins against others, this cultural idea of sins, um, sins done against us and sins done 
to us and yep. with others. And so now I want to go to back in time mm-hmm. to um, back to David yep. and ex- talk about his greatest sin against others. Okay, that's where we're going now. Here we are. Yes, we just had a few sound issues, but we're back. I yeah. think we sorted it out. <laughs> we sorted it out. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 12, which is Nathan's parable and David's confession. Who's Nathan? Nathan is the prophet. What prophet? One of David's prophets. Does he write any books? Uh, no, he doesn't write any books. Okay. No, no, no book named after Nathan. There's a couple of prophets that David has that are named that named in the story that don't write any books. And so as the prophet, he is in connection with God. Yeah, he's one of the, David's court. He would be the he would be God the representative, the prophetic voice is representative in David's court. All right. Okay. So he's in conversation with mm-hmm. God and then one day he comes to David and he says to David this story. Should I read? I'll just yeah. read it. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had brought. He had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate. That's disgusting. And <laughs> drank from his cup. He cuddled in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal for his, from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you a master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with this sword, with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be alone, to be your own. Now, you know, when I was talking about the, cha- the previous chapter to this, and I was saying that there was this... It is a minority thought. A school of thought. A school of thought. That David didn't sin. That David didn't sin. Then how do you have this chapter? Oh, you got to do some pretty, pretty extensive theological gymnastics, haven't you? Yeah, yes, you do. You do <laughs> have pretty, to do some gymnastics. Pretty painful twists and turns to cover this over. Yeah. Why do you think people like to manipulate the Bible like that? They they want it to have its own. Oh, I think it's reasons once again, answers. Human nature. We don't. I'm not saying it's all malicious. Sometimes. Um, some, I was looking at some of the stuff that you were referring to. You sent me, um, I don't think these are bad people. I think these people are genuinely wanting to do the right thing, but we don't know what we don't know. We all have blind spots and they're coming, basically they were coming from the premise that David couldn't be King David if he wasn't really, if he was really a sinner, if he sinned, therefore he didn't sin. Therefore let's reverse engineer the stories to make it clear that if it says he sinned, it must be saying something else, must be disguising that. And there's a greater truth behind it. And it's really a lie. If it says that, then God's hiding a deeper truth underneath it. That's what they were trying to say. Why do we do that? I think it's because, back to our sinful nature, part of us wants to do what is right in our own eyes, whether that's a belief to do the right thing or what's right for us, but it's that thing looks good. I desire it. I want it. And then that will then flow out 
in the outworking of me twisting and bending rules and regulations and scriptures to suit my need. My question is not where, uh, why do people do that? I think we should be asking ourselves, where are we doing that? Yeah, good question. And I think that we have done that, haven't we? Certainly we talked about the uh, story of Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. the way that that yep. has been spun yep, that's right. to my generation. Yep. And um, and we pointed out it's really a hospitality, mm-hmm. but I don't really mean hospitality. I mean they were uh, not treating the widows yes. well. They were hurting the poor. They were being unkind. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. being abusive. Yeah, it wasn't just about hey, it wasn't just about come it. in and I'll give you a cup of tea. No, no, no much more than that. <laughs> much yeah. more than that. Yeah. So I didn't want to trivialize it by saying hospitality. Yeah, that's right. Because we think hospitality just means that, but it's it's so much more than that. Yes. So, so human nature wants to do this. We, we, that's what we've said. I think the question we need to keep asking ourselves is not what, but where are we doing this? Lord, help us search me, David says, and see if there's anything impure in me. Where do you think the church has done this? Uh, constantly throughout history. Um, well, we touched on some of those issues, yeah. um, you know, like the using Sodom and Gomorrah to talk about LGBT issues in that context, um, where we've made it a hate cl- hate thing where churches have had, this is just my for their expression own cultural purposes right or cultural uh, possibly or even just believing it genuinely believing it's right um because you know and i'm not saying you know i'm, I'm not i'm saying we there there are standards that we want to live by biblically but how do we live by those standards in a way that reflects the heart of god um so let's go back historically the crusades were fought in the name of god thinking they were doing the right thing, and yet they they thought it was perfectly acceptable. They basically thought because they um, because they had um, been baptized that they could then go and wage war in the name of God and pillage the Arabs and think everything was okay. So where has the church done it? The church has done it in, throughout history constantly, time and time again. In our own lives, we do it when we, we have policies that say, look out for ourselves. Now, I'm going to get a bit controversial and risk getting political here, but I think we do it when we start shouting and raving against immigration policy or something like that and saying, oh, no, we need to have it our way. Whereas, I, you know, we're under threat as the church or whatever. I feel like going, no, we're not here for ourselves. We're here for other people. So if there are poor people, there are people coming from foreign countries that are got a hardship, we shouldn't be thinking there's not enough to go around. We should be thinking Christians should be the champions for advocating for immigration policy to allow more people to come in, not keep people away. That's just one example. I know know that's political and not everyone will agree with me, but that's an example of where I think potentially sometimes we miss the point. If you ask a lot of Christians, they'd go, oh, no, we have to look out for ourselves. There's only so much of us. We've got to protect our Christian heritage so we won't let immigrants in rather than seeing that's actually what the Bible's about. Immigrants is one of those top four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of mention them a little bit. Yes, it does. Yeah, Yeah, be kind to the foreigner within your gates. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, that's an example. That is an example, yeah. But there'll be other spots where I'm missing it. So we just need to keep examining our hearts, Jeannie. And uh, I just want to, would you agree with the statement that the Bible has been used as a powerful tool to control communities and it's been to weaponized. Weaponized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know when the Bible was first translated into English, people were so upset mm-hmm. with this, and not a, one reason because the English was a terrible language. It was like the yeah, language the, of the, the um, nobodies, the nobodies, the poor yep. people. But another reason is because then people might start reading it. Yeah. And was it William Carey? One of the first translators was burned at the stake or something. 
after possibly he, after he translated. Yeah. I think it was him or sent to the tower or something. Yeah, they weren't c- treated kindly. No. no, but and then once started people people started reading it, they could they started to see that hey, their clergy were, were not actually doing the right thing. They were, it says something um, very different to what they were doing. That's right. So it pays to read this. <laughs> I was going to yes, say the does. stinking book. <laughs> Excuse me, Lord, for I have sinned. No, it, it pays to read it because like the Sodom and Gomorrah story, yeah. I've grown up thinking this one yeah. thing, but I read it and I look into it and you I go, go uh, hang on a minute. What are talking about here? Yeah, but how I am now, I am upset in the way that the church has formed mm-hmm. my opinion, it has, mm-hmm. has forged mm-hmm. me into thinking one thing, but that's not God's heart. That's not God's no. intention. So what do you do with the upset? I get really mad. Right. Well, then we get self-righteous. Well, you're upset. We go, look, sometimes there's been, there has been absolutely abuse of power and control. There's been others that mean well, but have been caught up in that as, and and, and then have then perpetrated it. I I think at times through, I don't, I don't think I've ever been at the point where I've maliciously gone and controlled people, but I'm aware that being a part of a system that has been controlling, I've then perpetrated that further and perpetuated that. I want to be able to see, look at myself and go, where have I been caught up in the system and how can I unwind that and then do righteousness mm. to other people? Yeah. And that should be our question. So rather than them get, us getting judgmental and harsh, it's, it's call it out. The church has failed at this. This is wrong. But then say, I want to do better. I want to be a, a, an instrument of change, not just become hard, critical and judgmental of everyone who has gone before me and then I'll become self-righteous. But actually, let's how, let's see how we can tangibly give the world a different perspective of the church to what the church, the world has had of the church. We're moving into a cultural kind of conversation here. So I want to swing it back yeah, to the Bible. Yeah, because we're heading into Christian culture, Christian culture yeah, podcast here. Do want to encourage you, if you're listening to this and you have some questions, shoot them to us. Yeah. You know, so we can address that on another day. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, now I've lost You've my lost thought. It's not hard for Well, me we just do. had this big prophecy from David. To, to David, the story about killing the lamb and all that sort of killing stuff. Killing the lamb, yeah. And the idea that, uh, yes, the the word is, man, the Bible can be manipulated. Yep. That's where I was going. Now, I want to point out here that um, David had no idea he had sinned. Would you agree with that statement? Um, because he's like, what? Can't be me? In the very fact he says that person should be killed and then Nathan's like, no, no, it's you. Yeah, I, I don't know if that means that he didn't know he'd sinned or whether he was aware of it but had silenced it. So there's there's processes of the sinful path. I think there's the Proverbs talks about the different groups of people, the fool, the the fool, the um the next one is the there's another one before the and then the then the mocker or the scoffer. Um, there's three pathways. So I think there's a point at which if we, if we fool, a foolish person is a person who doesn't even know they're sinning, then they can move into the next phase where they know they're sinning, but, um, they don't really care. And then they move to another spot where Paul would say your conscience is so seared that you don't even judge right or wrong at all anymore. And you don't care that you're doing the wrong thing. And you actually think you're, you're so convinced that the wrong thing has become the right thing to do. I think it's a process. I don't know where David was on that process. I suspect or is he a narcissist and he's like, everything yeah. I do is right? No, I don't think that's what I see in David. There's no, you read the Psalms, there's definitely no narcissistic no, tendencies there. So um, I don't know. Your question is, I just can't tell from this story whether David was aware of it. And what you, what you can see from the story is that David didn't put 
he didn't link this story with his own in, his own sin, and that's what Nathan's doing. He's going if I get, if I confront David on his own thing, I'm going best way to confront him is to actually tell him a story that will appear to his sense of justice, and then trap him. Would do you think David would have come to this conclusion himself? No, I don't think so. No, because he is a king. He has the right of yep. way. He can. He was do already doing what was good in his own eyes. He saw her. He took her. He should have been on the battlefront. All those things. I reckon he'd gotten to the point where he was blind to his own sin. That's a good way of putting it. And I love what you say about sin. You see, you, you see, you, you want, yeah. you take. Well, actually, as I rephrased it in my sermon preparation. Oh, don't, don't do that. No, it's just, just a slight, re- no, it's <laughs> okay. slight re- I just I actually changed the word to desire because that's the word, that's the Hebrew word that is used. Eve saw that it was desirable. Desirable. So there's a desiring and, 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 and uh, James mm, uses that word too, us. that desire that we've talked about in Romans 7 and that one I've written in James that desires, and that's the desires that lead us to take it. So I think it's actually see, desire, take. See, desire, take. Okay, yeah, I get that because that we have talked a lot about desires on this. It's yes. a, your desire within, my desire yes, to. that's right. So yep. I mean, it's the same word, it's just that it's the biblical word that's used more, so I just think we'll use that word. Oh, see, I like desire, it. take. Keep it biblical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here, and he says, so the Lord says, because of what you've done, I'll cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secretly. You did this secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Remember when I said before, when we started on the chapter, David's chapter, it happened. Yes, you said this it happened. This event happened. Yes. Yeah, so I think. When this verse 12 here sort of says to me, wow, uh, this will be done openly. So everybody's going to know that this sin happened. Yep. God is, he wants everybody to, to know this secret sin. So when they write, it happened in, it's like the whole, the whole world, knows. whole world knows yep. of David's sin. Yep. But now David is, he, he realizes his sin and he confesses his guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I, I, when I saw this, I thought, wow, I've seen people say I have sinned before, but I haven't seen somebody say as much as I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah. So David is in relationship with the Lord and he realizes that his sin, his self-desire is against the Lord. He has kind of rejected the Lord yep. and the Lord's commandments. Mm-hmm. So the sin isn't a isn't something he's done, he's, it's sin is something that he's done more against God than against himself because he's actually hurt God yeah. more than he's kind yeah. of hurt himself. Yeah. So, and he'll pick this up when we come back to Psalm 51 in a few minutes' time. where he this Could be hours from now. No. No, can't be too long. <laughs> we're, we're short on time. Um, but, yeah, he'll pick this up again. I've sinned against you, against you only have I sinned. But I go, hang on a sec, Dave, you just, mur- you just committed adultery and murdered a guy. So how does this work? So I think what's going on is David has this recognition that even though he has committed murder and adultery, that sin is against God because he has harmed the image of God in um, Bathsheba, first of all, by using her, and in Uriah, obviously, by murdering and, and called, you know, brought Joab into the conspiracy and everything else. So his sin, perpetuated by others, has has caused him to do harm to so many other people who have the image of God impregnated into their spirit. And so he's able to say, Lord, really, this is this is against you. It's not just that it's only against him. It's the fact that it's grievously harmed and disappointed the Lord because he hasn't honoured the image of God in those other people. 
So God takes sin personally. Yeah, I think he I think he takes the sin against his children personally. And you know, I think there'll be people out there who would be saying, Well, hang on a second, you're actually hurting God. I think we sort of touched on this with Simon. It's it's not that God isn't hurt, it's he's big enough to handle it. It's it's more that I think the most disappointing thing to the Lord is when we uh, tr- we fail to treat him respectfully. We don't honour him when we don't honour his children, those created in, in his image. And he did actually break all those five commandments, those, I know, the, the, the bottom five, not the, the, the top bo- yeah, five. Yeah, the bottom five, yes. The bottom five, yeah. Bottom yeah. Five, he yeah. did all of every single one of those, yes. which is against other people. Yeah. Which is yep. also against the Lord. I think so, yeah. I think that's the point is he's failed to honour God by not honouring the image of God in others. It's interesting here that the Lord actually straight away forgives him, right? Yes, yep. Nathan says that. He forgives him, but there is still this, the human consequence that needs to, or not needs to, but does play out. Does play out. Yep. Yep. So is the human consequence, okay, that's a silly thought. I was going somewhere stupid, Rowan. That happens to be quite. No, it's not stupid. (laughs) This is what, this is what Bible study is about. Bible study. Going down and wrestling with all kinds of complexities. All right. Okay. So when David confesses to Nathan in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord, which we just talked about. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Mm -hmm. So Bathsheba, we know, is is pregnant. It's pregnant, yep. And this baby does die, sadly, but David still begs God to spare the child. Do you think David's thinking about those times when Moses would plead the case and um, God actually did seem to change his mind? I don't know. All we, all, well, all I know is what he says later on in a few minutes when the child does die. We see it in the next few verses where he says, I was hoping that the Lord would be gracious while, while he was still alive, but now he hasn't kept that child alive. I will go to him um, but he won't come back to me. So I don't know. I think he's crying out in this, crying out for grace, crying out for, for mercy, but some somehow locked up in the infinite wisdom of the Lord that is beyond our uh, possibility to understand is the thought that um, maybe he hoped that the child would be healed and in this case the child wasn't. Because he kind of does everything right to change God's mind. You know, he goes without food all night. He lays yeah. on the ground praying uh, but Charles still dies. Yeah, and I think you said the point there that this is good evidence that you, there's no formula. You know, if we've a bit, you know had exposure to kind of faith ch- teaching at times, hyper faith teaching, which says if it doesn't work, then you've done something wrong. Oh, there's no formula. You made the point. David didn't do anything wrong. The problem is we don't bend God's will to ours. Um, our actions and our our um, you know, prayer and our intercession and our fasting is not about bending God's will to us. That's a pagan belief. We, we, it's more about us aligning with God's purposes in the earth and then trusting that um, in his, locked up in his infinite wisdom is that even if we don't get what we think we want, God will give us what he knows is best for us and for, uh, for his creation, for his world. And David does trust him in this moment, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the seventh day the child died. And I love here that in verse 18, David's advisors were afraid to tell him. Yeah. I know. Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah, don't shoot the messenger. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're all mumbling yeah. behind their back going, yeah. you oh, tell dear. him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's draw straws on who's going to go and tell the boss. Yeah. So David realizes the child's dead. He, then he gets up and he washes himself. He puts on lotions and changes his clothes. And then he goes to the tabernacle and he worships the Lord. He worships the Lord. Yeah. 
He's gone through this seven-day sort of grieving process yep. where yep. he has drawn closer to the Lord. He's pleaded his case. Yep. He's confessed his sins mm. and he's goes and worships. I'm not sure that would be my first. No, it's, it shows something about this guy's heart. You know, I said he's not a narcissist. This is proof of why because he it shows that somewhere in the midst of his own sin, he is disposed towards God. He's looking for to find God in the midst of his even his deepest pain and things that he knows he's caused, hardship that he's caused to himself and others. Yeah, and this is what he is after the Lord's heart, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and and he replied, and then they get a, his advisors get a, kind of annoyed they, they at him. They can't figure out what's going <laughs> yeah. on, can they? Why did you weep and refuse to eat when the child was still living? But now the child's dead. You've stopped your mourning and eating again. Which is kind of the opposite of what we would expect. You grieve after a child has died or whatever. Yeah. But I think maybe he was doing some of that weeping and grieving. He's gotten up. It's like a new day. Yeah, he's gone. That's right. Carry on. Yeah, yep. I fasted and wept while the child was alive. Perhaps. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me, as you just said before, mm. and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but one, he cannot return to me. Mm. There's a faith statement there. There is a faith statement yep, there. Of, you know, existence in the afterlife, even though it was probably still developing in its understanding. He's definitely got this existence that he'll be reunited with his child. Yeah. And here the next verse I'm not sure this happens immediately, but sometimes we read it as it oh, happens yeah, it's like, immediately. Then David comforted yeah, Bathsheba. Yeah, then yeah. And, and slept with her. So it might not be straight away. It might after, not be straight away. But at some point, yes, she, he comforts her. And he does. He, he turns out he seems to love her. I yeah, think he, he loves her. Yeah, I think he does. Because yeah. he goes on to have, I think, five children with her. Is that right? Five, is it? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, I don't know. if it, I think it's right. Yeah, five I have never bothered to add them all up. Maybe including this one. Yeah, and uh, she she becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, and they name him Solomon. Yep. And the Lord loved the child. Now, David's got multiple children here, mm-hmm. right? He's already and, got a few children prior to this too. And multiple wives. Yes, yes. Yeah, so when this Solomon is born, he's got siblings that are much older. Yes, yep. Yeah, and these siblings uh, have seen all they have seen all of this play out. They know all of these stories. By then it happened. They know this all this sin story. Imagine how they felt. Mm. Good point. Put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they start to rebel against David. They do. And David's world becomes completely unstuck. Yep. By And the rest of the David's life and the implications is pretty messy as a result of this. As yeah. a result of this sin. The sin. That's the consequences, yes. the human consequences. Yes. Not punishment by God. No. It's that's a different thing. That's different. That's yeah. the judicial sentence that comes upon us because in the day you eat of it, you will die. That's that spiritual death we were talking about. It's yeah. not that. This is just the outworking of what happens when people choose what they want, and what they desire over what is good for other people. The end result of that will be harm to other people and um, destruction upon the earth. Like a domino choice. That's a good point. A domino yeah. choice. That's domino a good way to put it. Yeah, it's exactly right. And that's what happens. Yeah. One little decision yeah. has rip, makes ripples. It knocks See, dominoes down everywhere. Yeah. See, desire, take. Yeah. And when you take the ripples, as you said, the dominoes, you can't help what happens from here no. out. You can't control how other people yeah, react right. to what you have done. Yep. And sometimes it, it can really destroy your life, what other people do yep. because of your That's right. Choice. If, we, if, if my cho- you know, I said, you know, I've made choices that maybe a product of the system, I didn't intend to do it, but just for whatever reason, what I didn't know, I've hurt other people, made poor choices, led poorly. The end result of that is I've hurt other people. Now, um, you know, my job is to repent and try to make amends, not just 
dismiss it, but actually try to make amends where I can and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, that my actions have harmed you. Um, but ultimately the saying is hurting people hurt people. And so that's that ongoing effect that happens. If a person is hurt, they will invariably, we will lash out in some way. We will hurt others. Um, David wasn't hurt though when he did he, this. He had hurt others. He had hurt others, but he wasn't hurting himself. Uh, well, he he's hurting himself in his grief. You mean? I think he's hurting. He's hurting in in the original act. In the original act, he was just lazy and yeah, he didn't. He was disobedient. Yeah, and probably yeah, it was the cause of it in that case was the desire um, to maybe maybe his pride, his arrogance. I deserve this. I'm the king. That kind of thing, which led to the sin. Yeah, and that's true. That will happen. But I think there's also this sense in which um, a, a hurting person says, well, I deserve to be treated better or I deserve this. And then the, out of that motivation, some of it might be mixed with truth that, you know, they do deserve some restitution and they do deserve some reconciliation and they do deserve some restoration. But in that process, it's being driven by the hurt they've experienced to then go and hurt others. And I say they, I mean, we. I think we all run the risk of doing this in places. I know I've... I've lashed out when we've I've all been, been hurt. Yeah, we've yeah. all been hurting people at yes, some stage. that's right. And it's a truth that when we're hurting without the grace of God, we end up uh, perpetuating that hurt onto other people. How beautiful then is forgiveness? Yes, yeah. And when you've, you realise that you are forgiven, in that moment when you're on the floor like David here and you're experiencing the grace of God, what things you can say about God, what... yeah. What changes of the heart and you can worship in that moment. Yeah. And that's essentially what David does in Psalm 51, which we're going to next. It does, he does that very thing. He, he worships God. He experiences something of God through this journey of repentance and uh, receiving forgiveness. And God is with him. Mm. God is with him in those moments. And actually David does get up and do, he, he tries to be a better person yep. uh, in, you know, uh, verse 26 here, we actually learn that he, David does actually go to war. Mm -hmm. So he picks up the pieces that he had dropped. Yep. He goes back to war and he sets about making sort of things yep. right yep. In, in his world, which we would sort of disagree with because he ends we up making slaves with yeah, people exactly. and stuff like that. But in his worldview, he's getting back on task, I suppose. Yeah, he's yeah. becoming the king again. Yep. He realizes not only just the sin that he's done, but how far he had he had put himself in the in a bad situation by not doing the things that he should yeah. do. In the spring when kings go off to war, David stayed behind. David that was the beginning behind. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do have to spend more time thinking about David. Maybe not too much time, but enough time because this whole moment uh is is really a shocking moment, all this sin. But then when you compare that to what he writes and how he meets this point of brokenness, mm. you just have to stop and read. Yep. It's worth doing because um, a character study on David will give you a massive amount of uh, input into your own life, reflection on your own life. It's, it's wonderful. I, I, one of the very first Bible studies I ever wrote was a study on David. I had it on pieces of paper back in the 90s and I used to have a Sunday night class and all our friends from church would come around and we'd just discuss, we'd do a chapter a week and we'd start with 1 Samuel 16 and we went all the way through to 2 Kings 1 where David dies and we just spent, we must have spent 12 months studying David. It's great, great study because you see the ups and downs. You see uh, a man who is frail but yet poised towards God and wrestling with that. All the Psalms come into it. It's, it's worth studying David. 
Yeah, and what he does is he presents the human heart. Yes, he does. That's great. In relationship, connection, and distance from God. Yep. You see the, you see the full range. The full range, yeah. yeah. Maybe you throw Saul in, the, the King Saul beforehand. He, um, You see probably some insecurity that you don't really see in David. But put those two together, David and, and Saul, you get a really good psychological analysis of human behavior that hasn't changed in 3,000 years. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I realized about this? A moment here when he confesses and he gets up and he and he does what he needs to do. David, I think, realizes that there's no condemnation. Mm. God doesn't condemn yep. him. Yep. Romans eight one. We've got to go there yet. Oh, let's go there now. Oh, we don't, we've got to go Psalm fifty one first. Oh, I, I thought we were going. Oh, we Old doing, Testament, New Testament. Yeah. Do you, do you want to go straight to Psalm oh, 51? Is it Romans, oh, yeah, I see where we're going. We're going to Romans 8. You're absolutely right. We're ah, in 2 Samuel 12. Keep you on track, You Rowan. have got to keep me on track. Yeah. I was going to Psalm. No, that's right. We're going to go to Romans That's why chapter, I set up no condemnation. Well done. That was a good setup. I just completely <laughs> flawed that, folks. Just lost it completely. All Romans right. chapter 8. Here we go. Here we go. In Romans 8, we're going to read about this idea of life in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And just to remind you guys listening, hopefully you are listening or somebody's listening, uh, Paul's in Corinth and he has uh, no relationship with the church in Rome. And he's writing a letter to them to introduce himself, to describe what who Jesus is yep. and the theology behind it. Yep. And um, interesting that this story, this chapter begins with no condemnation and then ends with no separation. That's great. Good thought. Yeah, I, I've seen that many years ago, but I f- had forgotten that. That's a really good thought. Yeah. yeah, it's a chapter you really do have to sit with because it's so dense. More than Romans seven. More than Romans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, every every Romans chapter. Every Romans, every verse of Romans. Yeah, yes, I have absolutely. not been looking forward to Romans at all. Uh, okay, well, look, I really enjoyed Romans 7. It was really helpful for me. Well, I'm not going to personalise it so much on this one. Okay. Or maybe not. We'll see we'll what see. happens. All right, so first verse is, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Yep. Well, the NIV says, therefore, now there is no condemnation. So why therefore? What's that therefore, therefore? Because he's just finished by saying, thanks be to God in Romans 7, who rescues me through Jesus. So he's gone on that, all that stuff about how, just to back up all that stuff about the battle with the flesh and wanting to do the right thing and Jesus rescuing him from that. And now he's going to say, because Jesus has rescued me, now there's no condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Yep. It's really the continuation of the same thought, which is a separate chapter, but he's flowing on the same theme. And the law of Moses he talks about here was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, which we've sort of talked Mm. about. Yeah. Yep. So God did what the law could not to do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things in verse 5, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. This is the idea, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am, the famous philosophy term. Yeah, it's talking about your dominating thought life. Oh, I see, yep. Yeah, like if we spend our time sort of thinking in a sense of about what we don't have mm-hmm. and comparing ourselves to everyone else, then that desire within us starts yeah, to sort of happen. Yeah. Like want, 
desire, yep. take. Yes, that's right. Yep, that's exactly right. So we end up focusing on uh, the, uh, intentionalizing our thoughts in into an unhealthy direction. The result of that will be sin. Yeah, we're comparing and ourselves. And also I think um, what it's sort of talking about here is also talking about what we have done previously, the sins that we have committed against others mm-hmm. and which have hurt ourselves. And we can spend a lot of time sort of thinking about those things. So my question to you is, if this is what it looks like to be dominated by evil thoughts, yep. what kind of thoughts do you think would please the spirit? Ah, what does it look like to follow the spirit, walk yeah. in the spirit? Okay. I don't think there's any one, one size fits all formula. I think of it, it really is uh, focusing our attention as we go about our day. You could think, well, that's all, you know, have your head in the cloud stuff where you're no good. Well, if you do that, you're not going to ever make, um, you're never going to make anything more than mac and cheese for your kids because <laughs> because you're just going to spend all your time, you know, in, in the clouds. So that's not, I don't think that's what it's talking about. There's a famous book written during the Middle Ages by a, a monk called Brother Lawrence and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And his whole job in the monastery was washing dishes. And he talks about how he, he, he brought a present, the practice of the presence of God into his everyday mundane, everyday life duties. And he encountered Jesus in he walked in the spirit in that monastery kitchen. So I think the, it'd be more around what is it that aligns you? What 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 things um, give you a sense of a God awareness in your world? What does that look like? For some people, it's it's playing worship music in their car. For other people, it's spending time in the Word. It's spending time around other believers and podcast, listening to podcasts and doing these kind of podcasts. I feel like I'm walking in the spirit when we do this because I grow and I learn. So it's finding those things that bring you closer to God. And and the process of focusing on the things that bring you closer to God, the power, sin's power is defeated. Paul will go on and he'll say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I think it's going to come up in this chapter. You know, the closer you are to God, you will actually, sin will lose its power. When you're focusing on not doing, not doing, not doing, sin has actually got a hold over you. You're actually back under the law. And Paul's going, forget about not do, not do, not do. Focus on me and the desire will be to do right, do righteousness. So stay close to the spirit. I think that's what Paul is asking us to do here. And that's the practical way. Whatever brings you closer to God. So what do you think a life would look like that was controlled by the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control would be a good place to start. Oh, that's the easiest answer ever. (laughs) And then Paul's following this theme. This whole spirit and flesh theme is all through Paul's letters, Galatians, Romans. It's all over the place. And if we lived like that, it would make us attractive to people. Yeah, that's right. Because you know? we are doing sedakah. When we are doing that, we are doing righteousness. We are restoring right relationships and living in right relationship with people. It's very attractive. And it would make the church attractive to people. Yep, yep for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Paul's all about. It spreads the faith sort of more than preaching, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Sorry, Rowan. You know? No, yeah, I'm 100% <laughs> for it. I, I think that it's really our primary duty on the earth is to live out our faith in a way that is attractive. Jesus says, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Do your good deeds before men that they may praise your Father in heaven. The list goes on. The Sermon on the Mount is full of this stuff. Hmm. I just had this question just came to my mind. Um, When we were made in the image of God, which we've talked about, did we have the Spirit of God within us? Or is this a new concept that happens uh, through Jesus? Um, th- in the Holy Spirit has come in yeah. us. I think theologians have tried to wrestle with this one for a long time and probably try to compartmentalize it. 
and form up doctrine and go, okay, what does that mean? And they've been doing that since the earliest days of church. That's not a Protestant thing. It was happening in the early centuries of the church, forming up a doctrine of the Holy Spirit and what happens when a believer is regenerate, when they when they come back to Christ. It, how does that change prior to what they were before they were in Christ? And so there would be numbers of different views, even among good godly Christians as to what is happening there. Um, I, I think that, I think where I'd sit, and this is just based upon my living experience of the scriptures, I think where I'd sit is that there's still something good in me. As I said, that 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 human part of us, the true human part of us is there, but for whatever reason, um, sin and poor choices and, and sinful decisions and actions has caused that to die. That is spiritually dead. So that part of me that wanted to do right, it's still there, it still wants to do right prior to being in Christ, but it's it's dead. it has no power to do good right. It's defeated. It's It's been married to the old law, as you said in the last chapter. So I don't think it's that it's completely without any power. The, pro- the problem is when Christians go down that path, they make out that everyone, they treat people wrongly. They actually end up treating anyone who's not a Christian. They treat them like there's just, they're just evil people, right? And they can't be capable of doing anything good. But that's not the world I see around us, as we talked about in the last chapter. So I think it has to be a little bit more around um, the fact that there's they're, they're limited or there's their good part of them is defeated in the power. It's not able to live the way it should. And when the Spirit comes, we are born again of God's Spirit, like Jesus says to Nico, your friend Nico, when, when you're born again of the Spirit, the Spirit comes and somehow causes our spirit, that 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 good part of us, the image of God part of us to be born again, come back to life, sparked again. And now it sets off this dichotomy challenge between the flesh and the spirit. So in the new marriage, there's this spirit that comes in and, and helps us. Yeah, the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy us. Spirit helps us, enables yep. us to turn our mind from allowing it to be dominated by the thoughts of the past yes. and the yep. sins, but it turn and it turns our Hearts yep. or gives us a new heart, actually. That's right. Yeah. We're going to see that's the rest of this chapter. They yeah. have a father calling out the new heart thing. The yep. new heart. And now we're focusing on a different direction. Yes. We're thinking about things that are above and beyond ourselves. Yep. That's right. We, we're now capable of not being selfish. All right. I'm just going to read it here by verse nine. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And Christ, in verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of spin, the spirit, the spirit, because of sin, (laughs) spin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So we're made right with God. Yeah. So that's a justification term. Justification. That's a legal term. So no condemnation and justification. Mm -hmm. New beginnings. Yes. Yep. The old has gone. The new has come, as he says in 2 Corinthians. Yeah. And here, in, as just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Mo- hang on. Is that what it says? Yes, that's what it mortal says. Mortal bodies. I flick the page. By, by the, the same, same spirit, spirit living, living within, within you. you. So it's like a, when he says give life, should I think of this as a new life? I think you should think of it as, yes, new life, but this is the true life. This is the, the life you life. were always supposed and created to live. This is this is fulfilling what God always intended for you. So is Paul sort of saying, stop looking at the past. Stop looking in you can't drive forward looking in looking the rear, in the rear view mirror. mirror. Yep, that's right. So everything you've done, forget about it. Is uh, that what he's saying? 
Um, or learn from it. Learn from it. Yeah, I think when you're driving along, use your rear vision mirror analogy. If you ever take your rear vision mirror and you can't use it, you realize how quick, how often you are using it. You know, if you're not, haven't got it switched on, you go, oh, I, I glance at that more often than I thought. So it gives you perspective. Rear vision gives you perspective, but you can't drive looking in it. And so I think that's what, what I would say is that looking um, when Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. I don't think it's necessarily forgetting as in um, completely ignoring my, my sin of the past. I think an awareness of what God has, what I, where I was and what God has brought me from is healthy perspective. I think what he's trying to say is don't dwell on it. Don't ruminate on it. Don't, don't keep looking at the fact that you're a worm, that you're a sinner, that you're filthy. He said, that's not going to be healthy for you. And that's actually failing to live in the spirit because now you're a new creation. Now he says here, you know, you, you've been uh, given a new life. So use your reflection back as perspective for what God has brought you through and brought you to, and then let it propel you forward into the future and into what God has for you. I was going to ask this later, but this is probably a good point to ask it. We've talked about sin as something we do against people. Mm -hmm. If, if it is a sin, which we've said to not honor the image of God within others, if I keep walking in condemnation on and thinking about all the things that I have done in my life, if I keep reliving the pain and if I keep thinking about the pain I've caused others, um, is and I'm not taking hold of this new freedom, is it a sin if I don't honour the image of God that is within me? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You are sitting against yourself because you're failing to honour the image of God in yourself. You're failing to honor what Jesus has done. Paul, Paul will, uh, sorry, the writer of the Hebrews will say something like, "If we do this, we actually are trampling. We're making, we're making Christ's work of no, no worth, because if the sinless Son of God died in our place, and then we keep dwelling on and unnecessarily driving in the rear vision mirror, we are basically through whether it's that good, you know, intention, good intentions or not, but we are basically saying to ourselves and to Jesus." you're not worth anything because I need to go. It's reverting back to the law and going, I'm not good enough. I need to do better. And Paul's trying to re refute that and say, that's, that's a sin against the image of God in yourself. It's a sin against the greatness of God and what he's done for you. So are you saying that it's also a sin if I don't become the person God created me to be? If I keep the chains of the past on me? Yes, I would, but... That could be brought down to a, you know, a one-time event and we can make person feel bad just because, you know, they seem to be doing that. I think you need to be thinking trajectory in this Christian life. So, yes, we're all going to have times where we revert back to the law, but if the, over time the trajectory of our life is towards it, walking in the spirit and, and, and um, experiencing the fullness of what God has done for us, then, yeah, then, then – um, then we're moving in the right direction. I just be, I just would not want Christians to go around saying, "Oh, come on, you know, someone's someone's deeply hurt and wounded. Um, you know, maybe you've done something. Get over yourself. You know, you're sinning against God by doing that. That actually might heap on condemnation. And this chapter starts with there is now no condemnation. So I think it needs to be the spirit of it needs to be encouragement. And what I mean by that is I don't think I see the spirit of the Lord putting a heavy on. Uh, that's not that's not the Father. You know, if a child is learning to walk, you don't slap them down. Oh, you're an idiot. You'll never get off. Get off your feet and get, get back on your feet and have another go. You don't do that. You say, come on, there's more in you. Let's have another go. And I think that's how I see the father working. He's not looking for reasons to slap us down. 
the father's looking for reasons to encourage us to get back up and keep walking. Hasn't the church done that though? Yeah, that's why in I'm, the past, and that's why I'm bringing it up because I, I'm concerned that yes, it is sin, definitely. There's no doubt about it. It's anytime we anytime we don't do something of faith, Hebrews eleven one says, then it's sin. Um, but we can take the word sin and make it into in that context and make people feel condemned. I'm just saying, let's not do that. I'm so glad you say that. Let's not do that. And did I mention this before? We've talked a lot, so I'm forgetting. If I've said this before, tell me and I'll skip over it. But there, you, there was this idea that if you come into a church and you experience God and you become a Christian, you should be immediately transformed. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what the intention has always been. That we're well, not always, but often been. But nine times out of ten, yeah, we're not immediately transformed. No, and. I've seen people very hurt by the church when they come in and Mm. they're still doing the things that they said that they confessed of. They're still doing them. And the church is like, oh, this is bad. You don't have enough faith. It becomes heavy. And that person starts to feel shame and guilt. And they will never, well, then you're putting people back under law. And we've already said that the law has no power to change. So we have to remove, putting people under the guilt and shame is not going to help. Um, we need to help people, to inspire people, to there's more in you. What does it look like to live righteous and do the right thing by other people and help people see that God through Christ has empowered them to do that? And be aware what the Bible says is that it's a it's a slow journey, Yeah, right? Steve, that, Pastor Steve White says, I heard him say it years ago, um, he said uh, their philosophy at C3 Monash at the time was come as you are but don't stay that way. And I, you know, that, that even could sound harsh, but the philosophy behind a free staff and team was we are accepting people wherever they're at and we're encouraging them on a journey towards where God wants them to be. And I like that mentality. So it take, when you said before, when I asked the question, what does it look like to walk in the spirit? And your answer was very spiritual. A very long one. No, you said the fruits of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. That takes time to yes. develop. First of all, yep. it takes time to understand what that yep. actually means. Yep. Right? So it takes this Christian walk is a slow build yeah. where you move from infant's milk onto hard food. Yeah. It's the standing in state thing. So we are righteous, declared righteous. We are justified. It said there, the moment we, we follow Jesus, uh, we are born again. The spirit has birthed new life into our part of us that was dead by the power of sin. Um, and now that it, we are legally right in his sight, we are a son of God, a daughter of God. And now the process of our state, the actual outworking of that, becoming like what we already receive is a lifelong journey in the run, in the right direction. And our job is to stay close. And the, the, Paul is saying, if you stay close to the spirit, that will happen. The natural byproduct will be fruit. The natural byproduct will be that your standing will come closer to your legal state over time. Over time. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that, though that is over time, when Christ died for you, it was immediately. Yes. It's immediate that there is no condemnation. That's correct. Yep. That's the immediate thing. That's the immediate thing. That's the immediate. We would use the theology. That's the theology of justification, that you are justified with God. It's just as if you'd never sinned, just as if yep. I'd never sinned. But the sanctification is the outworking process of our standing, uh, our state becoming like our standing. The problem is, though that's immediate, it takes us a long time to realise we're not condemned. Yes. Yeah. Because we are now, have, that's that's learning. Uh, let's, let's just use your analogy a little bit further. I'm just, yeah, let's use your marriage analogy a little bit further from the last chapter. So you've been married to the law 
and now there were certain dysfunctions in that relationship and let's say that relationship is terminated, okay, uh, and now you're being married to Christ, just because you walk into that new marriage, you're legally married to Christ, but you're still living with the repercussions of a lot of the dysfunctional behavior you had in your last marriage. That's that suddenly doesn't go away. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yes, I do. And yeah. I wanted to joke and say, it was none of my fault. <laughs> it was none of my <laughs> fault. Not, not my well, fault. Though. Some of it is, some of it isn't. But yeah. yes, yeah, so what's happening now is that you're in the new marriage and this would, this would happen in in real life marriages, it happens where, you know, it happens in family of origin. When a child grows up and gets married and starts a new relationship, they still bring with them the good and the bad of their upbringing. And some things need to be learned and unlearned. And I think it would be the same thing. And the sanctification process is now the process of unlearning some of the unhealthy things from your marriage to the law. And that means you're still going to revert back to that because that's all you've ever known. And the process is by staying close to Christ, walking with Christ, walking in the spirit, that more and more you'll get to hear his heart and your, your thinking will change and you'll become more of the new marriage and less of the old marriage. Yeah, okay. And I'm also going to think of myself as like an onion, you know. Yep. <laughs> that the Lord Layers. peels, peels can't off do it with this. can my Irish accent yeah. like Shrek. He peels off this layer of pain, yes. this layer of, of hurt, this layer of angst, this layer of anxiety and stress. It, it's, this, it's a slow peeling. Yes. To reveal the image of God within me. Yes. Can I think of it yes, like that? Yes, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. All right. Peel an onion layer off. Peel an onion yeah. layer off and then there's another one. Yep. <laughs> there's another one. Oh, dear. Yes. All right. So in verse 15, we have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, fearful slaves. How often we're fearful yeah. though. Yeah. That's another part of the journey to well, step out in faith. Well, that's to the old marriage, the old law, and you're not like that anymore. See, the, the last marriage was made us a slave, Paul says. So we we were fearfully controlled by the law. And now this is different, he's saying. This new spirit, this new marriage is different. We're now his children. He adopted yeah. you as his own children and we call him Abba, Father, which means daddy, right? Yep. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Do you remember our podcast on glory Mm -hmm. on God's gravitas of who he is? And we're heirs of that. We're part of that. Yeah, it is. What does it mean to be an heir of it? I don't know. You tell me. Well, I'm thinking about it as it could be read selfishly. Like I I can now experience all this glory for myself, but an heir, an heir to the throne has a responsibility to then expand that kingdom and rule that kingdom. So I think to say we're an heir is not just about us experiencing God's gravitas for ourselves, but to then carry that gravitas into the world around us and um, be instigators of that glory, that righteousness into other people's lives. Does Is that what it means here, that we're sharing his glory, yeah. but we all also, also must share, share in his, his suffering. suffering of carrying his yes. message? Like it's yes. A, is that what it means? I reckon that's what Paul's thinking. Yeah. He's going, it's not easy to do this, to take that glory, to take that gravitas, to live that way. It's not easy. You, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face hardship. People are going to misunderstand you. It's going to require suffering. It's going to require giving up of self, but you can't have one without the other. It's a noble cause though, isn't it? Like yeah. It's a noble suffering. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to this fighting, oh, how dare we have this suffering? It's it's a gleeful, it's a privilege to suffer shame. I think it's Acts chapter 4 after the Peter and John are whipped that says that they went away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering shame for the name of Christ. What a strange statement to s- 
rejoice because you've been counted worthy of suffering shame. So the, the New Testament writers had this sense that coupled with experiencing God's glory, God's God's spirit in our world was going to be a call to suffer, a call to um, hardship for him. We take that very lightly in the Western world, but you could take that to, you know, a persecuted nation in the 1040 window. They totally get that, you know, where they're under severe Islamic persecution or something. They, they know what suffering is all about there. Or China. Well, as did they at as this point. As did they did at this that point. Rome that's right. And the Christians were being killed all yep, over the place. That's right. They get that. That's not. That sounds strange to us, but it doesn't sound strange to them. It's encouraging to them. So, oh, great! So our suffering isn't for nothing. Our suffering will actually help us share in His glory. So it's an encouragement. The next verse. Yeah. And then it should be more deeply encouraging for all creation is waiting eagerly mm. for that future day. And all creation is crying out, looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Yep. This isn't literal, is it? He's not writing literal. He's against. What do you think he is? The creation was subjected to a curse. That bit you mean? Oh, that the creation looks forward to uh, the day. So can creation, which isn't sentient, actually look for? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's probably just a bit of a metaphor. But I think there. But I think it's it's a metaphor in the sense that creation. Look around creation. It, it is it is decaying. There's definitely decay there. And I think it's metaphorically it is looking forward to a redemptive process. There's a future for the creation which is redemptive, and it's linked to the redemption of God's people. Because we forget that it fell under our curse. Yeah, that's don't right. We? All creation was subjected to God's curse, and that we had to toil it for our own will, yes. for our own wealth. Yes. And that's the problem. This is all Genesis language, Genesis three language here. It, they were they were to subdue, rule, you know, steward the earth, and they didn't do that. And the end result of that was that creation failed to live up to what God intended for it because humans failed to fulfil what they were intended to do. And for we know all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, to the present time rather. And we believe is also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit, and reading in verse 22, 23, yep. within us, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long, for yeah, that's right. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We wait with eager hope. That's something when we have this new heart within us. We hope, mm-hmm. don't we? Yep. We're hoping We're hopeful for, for the future, something better. For something better, yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're hoping that we've moved that we can continue to move from our past yep. into this future. Yep, beautiful. And if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must make, wait patiently and confidently. There's that word patient. Mm. Remember like he's talking about suffering here and hardship, so yeah. this is supposed to be encouraging to them. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Mm. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So imagine you're these people suffering some kind of, been through a period of persecution and hardship. How do I find God's will in my life? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to fight back against this? Am I supposed to endure it quietly and suffer, you know, suffer in silence? What does it look like? I don't really know. Paul's just letting you know God's with you. You know, stay close to him. You'll, you'll be able to live the right way. And the Holy Spirit helps us in the moment, but yes. also to pray. A lot of people don't yep. know how to pray. Mm. I am one of them. Right. Right. <laughs> I might be learning, but I love this idea that the spirit prays within us with groanings. Now mm. you might interpret that as a speaking of the tongues. It can, It has been interpreted that way. Yeah. 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 But I think it also means in those 
moments of grief. Yes. When we can't actually pray, we're so broken that there is something going on within us in communication yeah. with God. There's a partnership arrangement. There's a an intimacy that is so deep that God comes so close to us in that time. Totally acceptable to think that that's what the Spirit would do. And here we have, um, I like that, by the way. Mm. And we're going to go, I want to read one of the most famous verses, I think, in the Bible. And in verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. Some people like to read it and just stop at, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Yes, that's right. But we need to add, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. A called here means not necessarily predestination, but knowing God knows who is going to come to him. Yeah, I think so. And he's been working for the good of us, for the good. Mm-hmm. No matter uh, the sins we do, yeah, right? Yeah. N.T. Wright has got a different spin on this. He brought out in his book, God and the Pandemic, coming during the pandemic. Was never, God in the pandemic? Yeah, that's or God and the <laughs> pandemic. I think he wrote yeah. this book in the first few months of the pandemic. And he put a spin on this that I'm going to try to do justice to because it's going to it's going to be totally different to anything. It's, we've all been taught exactly what you said. It's God working for our good because we are his chosen people called by him. That's how it seems at face value. N.T. Wright was arguing that's actually not what the original Greek language says, and he's a Greek scholar. He he says, oh, I love this. he says something to the effect of God causes you to work for good for others because you've been called by him. So the uh, object yeah. of the working is you being caused by God to do others good to others as opposed to God doing good for you. Now, obviously, that's not to say God doesn't do good for us, but that puts a spin on it, which is back in this whole concept of what we're talking about, the, the righteousness, doing righteousness to others. So so in the midst of your hardship and suffering, God will cause you to think about others and do good to them even in the midst of your suffering. She said, I think I said that pretty well. No, that's great. And yeah. that that's that's excellent. That makes so much more sense to me. You're right. Because it's it's not about you. No. It's, it's about not. what you do for others. Yes. And when, and when you put it back into context of the rest of this chapter and the hardship, it goes, oh, okay, he's encouraging us to keep going, keep suffering for Jesus, keep doing good to others in the midst of your hardship, trust him. That actually makes more sense to me. And the, this new marriage that we're in, we're given a new heart and where we were so focused on ourselves before, now the Holy Spirit teaches us about others and yep. how to love others. Yep. So our life becomes one lived outwardly rather than inwardly as we deny the sen- our own desires Come on. and we give to others. Preach it, Jeannie. That makes so much more sense. It does. It's, it does. Oh, thank yeah. goodness. Because I, re- I actually thought, oh, should I read verse 8 or 28? 28. Because, and and but- I still fall behind. I find myself subconsciously quoting it the, the old way all the time because that's all I've ever known. But I'm just wrestling with the fact that maybe that's not what it's saying. Um I'm not saying that God doesn't continue to be faithful. There are plenty of other scriptures that we can use, but I'm just thinking this context, it seems to be more, it's more of an active thing for us to keep going rather than a passive thing just to receive. Yeah. Do you have a light bulb moment button on there? A light bulb moment? Like, no. No. <laughs> what, what noise does a light bulb make when I, it goes I don't, like, I don't know. Bzz, 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 bing, bing. Bing. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the light bulb just went on. The light bulb, uh, and yeah. Look, and for those that are listening to that, I know that's quite different to anything you've probably heard before, but um, just Google it, NT Wright, uh, Romans 8.28. I'm sure you'll find something about it somewhere that explains it. That is so good because, it. yeah, it's not about you. Yeah, it's not about us. 
When yeah. I say you, I mean me. Well, all of like, it. That's right. It's not yeah. about us. Yes. Yeah. It's not about me. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's not about me. That's yep. why I should say it. I no, was just well, quoting yeah. the other famous book, Rick Warren's book. Oh, it's not about you. It's not about First one. First line. The first line says it's yeah. not about you. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. And that's what the Bible is. It's not uh, about yeah. you. So much so. That's yeah. right. Okay. All right. Oh, that's great. And the, now I don't know where I'm going. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing. And then having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. No condemnation, right standing with God. Yep. We are given freedom here to move on. And if we don't get it in that, now Paul adds one thing, that nothing can separate us yes. from the love of God. Yes, that's right. Come on. Keep going, Jeannie. It's great. Oh, no, no. What you said was great. I just need to pause and think about what you said. All right, but I'll keep going. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? As God is, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Who dares accuse us whom God, in verse 33, whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us. And then verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Rowan. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? He's going to go on and say nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And he's going to list everything you possibly could think of that you would argue is separating you from Christ's love. Oh, not good enough. And you know, the enemy, blame the devil and everything else. Is, but he, his, his answer is no, nothing can separate you from Christ's love. It's eternal. So even if I stepped back into the old marriage under the law and I started trying to fire those arrows. Yep. On my own Trying accord. to hit that target again. Yep. Yeah, because I feel wounded in the church or I mm-hmm. feel like Christ isn't really within me or Christ isn't listening to my prayers, he's not answering my prayers, and so I step back into trying to make it happen mm-hmm. for myself. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He and may not be overly pleased that we do that, but doesn't mean he's not. he doesn't love us. His love is unconditional. Would he still be calling me back to him, you think? Yeah, always. Would That's he give the prodigal up? Father, the father's attitude. He will never give up. Um, that doesn't. That's still on. It's still incumbent on us to respond, but he is always seeking, always looking, always uh, ready. There was an old song by Petra many years ago in the eighties or early nineties that said it might have taken something to the effect it might have taken ten thousand steps away, but it's only about one step back. Um, he's ready for us because so often you do feel like you've you've removed yourself from God's love, mm, mm. don't you? You feel it's hard to convince ourselves that God loves us because you can at points in your life think, oh, I'm a dreadful person. Yeah, I'm not worthy of this. I'm I not my worthy. kids mac and cheese. How, what a worm I am. What a worm I am. They love mac and <laughs> cheese, do. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. But if, I'm not, if I feel like I'm not worthy, how do I remind myself that God loves me? Uh, read the rest of Romans 8. Put, read put, the Bible. Put the Bible on. Put put Romans eight on uh, on your on your fridge, and every time you open the fridge and in your bathroom mirror, read this. What at verse thirty one to thirty nine or something, whatever it is. Read this bit. Thirty eight. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is a terrific verse. Yep. My worry is that people don't know that because when you think about the church, you think that it is full of condemnation and 
that it's full of rules and that only a certain kind of person mm-hmm. can come into the mm-hmm. church and you have to look this way, behave this way mm-hmm. because God couldn't love you if you didn't. If you weren't that if way. If you well. weren't that way. Uh, read this. Let this settle in your spirit and then persevere with the church because the church is full of people who are still figuring this out themselves. Yeah. So People persevere. on a journey. Yeah, we're all on a journey. That's right. Yeah. And that's what I've learned in this. It's going to sound really strange to say that, but in this church I've learned it's okay not to be perfect <laughs> because okay. when I was growing up you had to, you'd come in, you know, in you your had a Sunday best. That you had to be perfect. Yeah, yeah everybody, okay. if, if anybody had been divorced or they had committed these huge things, they were gone. Right. They were out of the church. Yeah. Everyone had to be a certain yeah. person. So you'd walk mm. in and it was full of pretense, I suppose, because really they were all broken. But yeah. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. So the perception no. you got was, well, there's no place for me here and so on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, let's let's strive to be that kind of church that that accepts people wherever we're at. And then we're all on this journey together. I think that's that's um what the church should really be about. More than anything else. Mm. Yeah. And I have I appreciate the people that I know here because they accept me for who I am because they can look at me and say, yeah, you're not so perfect. <laughs> but uh, but in conversations in small groups and things, we, we're all on this journey yeah. together and we're all understanding and accepting and supporting each other. Yep, you got it, Jeannie. Yeah. That's and how we they, grow together. Yeah, and together they teach me no condemnation. Yeah, because you, you'll experience no condemnation in an environment where there is love. And I would say if you're struggling to feel that, um, then get a hold of these revelations and then don't don't let that embitter you because you've had a negative experience. Be the force of change in the world that you want to see. So you, you can be empowered by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you go in there and selflessly uh, give up your own rights and then bless others. So oh, that person judged me or that person criticized me or that person didn't speak to me. Maybe, maybe by God's grace you can go and suffer for Christ and go out there and reach them because they might not know what they don't know. And uh, you, can, you can maybe bring about change into their world by, by issuing acceptance rather than just being focused on what you, don't, what you aren't being given yourself. Hmm. And also to know that everyone at some point in the church has been broken yes. and, or is broken. We're all broken. And, but we're, we've all come to this point, like in Psalm 51, yep. where we have met God mm-hmm. and we have asked his forgiveness. Yep. And so I want to go to Psalm 51 because no one does it better than David. He does. He does it well. Let's go there. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 for the choir director. A psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. But 
and then keep going on a little bit more. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Mm. I visit this psalm often, as I said earlier. Romans 7 and Psalm 51, I visit them a lot. <laughs> Why is that? Because uh, they both reflect that whole pressure of wanting to do the right thing and failing to do it and falling short of God's glory and missing the mark and all of that. And this is David outworking in poetry and psalm his own journey of repentance and receiving forgiveness. And, heck, you know, when I when I fall short, when I fail, when I miss the mark, I can come here and devotionally look at this and go, that's me too, Lord. I'm like David. And then make David's prayer my prayer. Did he write this for his own personal diary to be locked with key? No. Or did he write it for the community? I definitely. It's really clear to me that he wrote it for the community. It probably started with his own journey, but but he gets to the point where he recognises later on in the, the psalm, uh, where is it? He says, I will treat, verse 13, he says, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach you your ways to rebels and they will return to you. So David's journey of forgiveness is quite unique in this passage, in this whole story, because even after his repentance and forgiveness, most people would want to keep that quiet. You know, maybe one or two trust the people that repented to, like David repented to Nathan, keep it under wraps. Well, he could have killed Nathan. He, he could have killed Nathan. That's right. I mean, it was a huge risk for Nathan to come and do that to the king. And even then he could have gone, okay, I've repented, but but keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Don't let everyone else know because they'll discredit me. But David was so, he, he so completed the journey into forgiveness and removal of his shame that he then was in a way able to turn it into a psalm that would be put into the worship practices of God's people where they would look at their king and see the outworking of forgiveness in their, in David. That's a massive journey of forgiveness to get to that point. Yeah, he's, he's hanging out his dirty laundry For completely. all to see, yeah. So it makes sense when they say, oh, yeah. it happened. Yes. This story it, happened. We it, all it, know this story. We all story. know this story. It happened because we all, oh, yeah, we're talking about the David and Bathsheba situation again. Yeah, we know that story. So God is using this story to teach everybody. Yeah. But also to reveal his heart here mm. and the idea that he needs a new heart in verse 2, wash me clean from my guilt. Yep. Not just a little bit, but totally wash yeah. me, yep. purify me. And here he uh, he's actually confessing. He's taking hold of his sins. Mm -hmm. So this is a very different concept to the accidental sin of the firing the arrow and it just keeps missing the mark. He's taking full responsibility that he acted in rebellion. I was aiming that arrow at the wrong place. Instead of aiming it at the town of Rabbah, I was aiming it at right at Bathsheba. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong to do that, Lord. Oh. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh no. And I had a string on it and I just kept pulling yeah, just it back kept pulling towards it back. me. That's right. It was more like a harpoon than an arrow. A harpoon, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. That's right. Yeah. But I love here that in the first sentence, have mercy on me, oh God. He's pleading his case before God um, because of your great compassion. So he's reminding God how great he is. Do you think we do that in our prayers? We remind God how great he is. I think it does us good to remind God of how great he is. Uh, the, the most quoted Old Testament scripture within the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6, where the Lord appears to Moses and says, the, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious, compassionate one, forgive us, um, loving the generations under thousand generations of those who love him. And it, God reveals himself as gracious and kind and 
three to four different things that he says there, that scripture is repeated more than any other scripture in the Old Testament. And I think that's reminding God of who God revealed himself to be. Oh, yeah. And what's that prayer? Um, is it might be the Shema, is it? No, no, no. The one that, you know, people don't know. Our Father who oh, art in Lord's heaven, prayer. Yeah. hallowed be your mm, name. Yeah, that's right. Good. Come on. Claim his excellence. Remember? Yes. Remind ourselves. Remind ourselves. So once again, this is not egotistical, paganistic God that draws its power from from the worshippers uh, devoting themselves to it as if he, he, the God gets some kind of strength and power by that. It's not that. This is not an egotistical God. This is a God who who wants to do right by his people. And so we are when we're worshipping him, we're reminding ourselves of his faithfulness. We're channeling ourselves back in the right direction again. And have mercy on me because you... You love because me. Because you have great compassion. You have compassion, yes. your unfailing love. And I like here in verse 3, my translation says, for I recognize my rebellion. Mm-hmm. So his act of sin um, broke those five commandments. Yep. And that is, he's calling it rebellion against God, mm. which makes sense when he says in verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. Yeah. And I was saying this at the end of the, whatever, Second Samuel 12, uh, when we were thinking we were coming to Psalm 51, I was yeah. thinking we were coming to Psalm 51, <laughs> that, you know, it does strike me when he says, against you, you alone have I sinned. That was really what got me on this whole journey of working out what sin was. I'm going, but David, you, you, sinned, you committed murder and adultery. That's against other people. And I really, that got me onto this journey of discovering that sin against God is the sin against the image of God. Yeah. Hmm. And I want to point out here verse... Oh, six, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my, my mother conceived me. That's a strange thing to say, don't you think? I was born a sinner. Yeah, well, uh, extreme Protestant theology has probably taken that further than what it intended. And you shouldn't try and build doctrine out of something that was written poetically. Um, that, oh, yeah, we're all just filthy worms. You know, I think David's just reflecting on the fact that there's just nothing, you know, that he is rebellious in his nature, that he. He's probably, if you go, it's the Roman seven thing. I want to do the right thing. I keep doing the wrong thing. He's reflecting on that and going, it's like, I'm just born a sinner. It's just like, no matter what I do, I keep coming up short. Or in this case, no matter what I do, I keep missing the, I actually aim at the wrong targets. Sometimes I miss them. Sometimes I aim at the wrong targets. So I think it's poetic, but there is something predisposed within humans because we, um, because of the sin that is in the world and the world is subjected to decay, that we are predisposed predisposed towards sinful actions. You our don't have desire. To, our desire. Yeah. You don't have to teach your young one to be disobedient. You're, you know, you pretty soon realize that they can they can look at you and go, no, you know, it's one of their first words. It's it's naturally within our predisp- predisposition because of our desires. Well, a baby doesn't think about anybody else except for yeah, themselves. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that tells me there's something in that that is there from the earliest stages. Now our job is to, with the Lord, is to train that in the right direction. Mm. To train it on our slow burn journey as we learn to live fruitfully. Yes, come on, that's it. All right, okay. I love verse 7 here. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. In my new King James Version, it says purify um, with the hyssop. Wash wash me with the hyssop, purify me with the hyssop. yeah, Yeah, which is... The uh, talking about the blood of the lamb. Yes, going yeah. back to Exodus. It's what they use on the in Passover. Exodus. Yeah, and it's what they would use to sprinkle blood because it's just a branch. I think a hyssop branch is is quite like bits and pieces, so they could brush it around like a use like a paintbrush. I think. Is he sort of 
indicating Jesus here, this idea of um, clean me with the blood of the lamb and um, then wash me and I'll be whiter than snow? I don't think he's necessarily thinking, I wouldn't say he's necessarily thinking Jesus. I would say Jesus is fulfilling this, but he's thinking about using this analogy for what they would understand on through the temple sacrifice practices. So that he wasn't thinking, he, but Jesus fulfills this. Jesus fulfills this. Jesus right. is the ultimate lamb of God. Um, I'm not saying that David didn't have some spiritual insight into the Messiah. He he probably did, but I don't think, I think we could probably take that a bit too far. I think in its context, he's talking, he's using temple language here. And verse eight, oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me now, let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, remove the stain of my guilt. This is no condemnation. Yeah, this is a good analogy to Romans 8, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yep. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. So change me from within. Yep. Yep. This is a new birth, born again. Born again. Spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. This is this thing of let Lord bring to life the right part of me, the true part of me. Even though David knows that his consequences, the consequences from his actions are going to live out. Is he claiming that he can still have joy in the moment if he knows that Christ, oh, that God is with him? Yes. The Holy Spirit is yeah. with him. Yeah, this is almost like a New Testament psalm, a New Testament passage in the middle of the Old Testament. And I think it shows what we've been saying is that all the Old Testament practices are supposed to be pointing to a greater truth, that you need a saviour, that you're incapable of, of defeating sin of yourself. And so he is commentating on physical temple practices and showing what's really going on behind that when you do these things, when you come with a come predisposed in this way, God will give you a clean heart. He will uh, give you new birth. You will be empowered to live right. Just look in that sense. He's looking forward to Christ in the same way we're looking backward to what Christ has done. He's looking a thousand years into the future to what Christ will do. That's pretty incredible. Don't you think? Mm. And what it's setting up here is this relationship with creator God that is a close relationship. That's what it, he's explaining. Yes. He wants to come close and God, he recognizes God wants to come close to him too. God wants to come close to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. I just wanted to point that out again. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to say it. And restore me to the joy of your, your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Bending of the heart here that, make me willing. It's confessing that I am sometimes not willing, but with your help, I I can be willing. Is that what it's saying? Yep. Okay. Then I will teach your ways. Mm. So once we have this new heart and we're willing to obey, then we're able to teach. Yeah. We were able to tell people about our own journey of forgiveness. Back to what you're saying around, you know, everyone looking on the Sunday best and keeping up appearances. This is a journey of someone who's moved through grace and forgiveness and over the shame. And now we can actually Rather than hide our hide our weaknesses, we can actually share our weaknesses, and that creates a beautiful vulnerability in a church and in a family, where people feel like, oh, okay, I don't have to be somebody I'm not. I don't have to be fake here. I can be real. And he admits here in verse fourteen, I think, or maybe not. Forgive me for shedding blood, oh God. Right? Is he is he admitting the murder there? Yeah, it seems to, doesn't it? At the beginning, he said, "I've sinned only against God." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But also it describes this psalm as uh, the psalm that came to him after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. It doesn't say anything about the the murder. The murder. Yeah. Well, I think it's all linked. 
yeah, I mean, the story is definitely linked that he committed. Well, you said he broke all five sins, all of those five Ten Commandments, the bottom five Ten Commandments. And I think, yes, he's he's bringing in, it probably is implied when the, the situation with Bathsheba implies the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, as well. And I think it implies a whole lot of other sins as well. And when he's when we're forgiven, we're able to do what David says here, joyfully sing. So we should recognize the forgiveness that God yeah. gives us. There's, there should be a lifting of our heart, lifting of our yeah, spirit. Yeah. We, if, if we've truly experienced and times when I've truly, really, really felt like, oh man, that was, I've hurt someone. I've, I've sinned dreadfully. I've really harmed the image of God in myself or someone else. And I work through this journey of repentance. I find the one, the times when I experience the greatest joy, the times when I journey through the greatest pain of repentance, the, the more I'm aware of my sin, the more I need the forgiveness of God. I guess Jesus says the one who has been forgiven much loves much. I think that's it. So there's nothing quite like the joy of forgiveness when you've really blown it. The, the, not just the little things where, oh, yeah, I snapped at someone and moved on with my life or whatever, but the really the, the deep stuff that's caused major dysfunction in people's lives and in my own life. That's what I'm going to have. My, it says in 15, unseal my lips that I may praise you. That's what I found in my life anyway. Yeah. But also when we forgive others, mm, there's a release when we set them free. Mm. That actually sets us yes. free rather than holding on to our resentment yep. and our anger and That's irritation. That becomes destructive, yeah, which makes us also act out. You said hurting people hurt. We yes. can hurt when we, when we don't let – we don't forgive others. We can actually be hurtful. Yeah. That's a whole different topic, the forgiveness of others. But it's worth just saying there's a lot of people I meet over the – you know, in pastoral ministry over the years say, oh, I can't forgive that person because they've done this thing evil to me and they're not even repentant. You know, maybe they don't even realize they've done it. How can I forgive that person? And I, and I always say, look, forgiveness, the problem is I think oftentimes people think forgiveness is somehow letting the person off the hook or excusing the wrong and saying, well, it really wasn't that bad. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is actually acknowledging the full depth of the harm that was done to you but then choosing to say, but I choose then to allow the true judge, the right judge, the one who always judges fairly to be the judge of that situation. That's the forgiveness. So you can't really forgive unless you actually acknowledge the wrong in the first place. It's okay to say that was wrong that person did to me. Lord, help me to forgive them. Lord, help me to forgive. Yeah, yes. that's a really good prayer. Yeah, a powerful prayer. Yeah. Do you think people do pray that prayer? I don't know. Help me. Lord, help you, me to that, forgive. What was that prayer you were talking about a minute ago? Um, um, oh, for, forgive us know. that one. Forgive yeah, something about forgive us sins. our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I think it's in there somewhere, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. It could be. <laughs> That's supposed to be what a daily prayer. <laughs> a daily prayer. Yeah. yeah exactly. But because it, when we say forgive others, it actually helps us. Yeah, it's good for us. It's it good for us. us. Yes. It frees us. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. What were you going to say? No, there? nothing. No, nothing. nothing else. <laughs> Your lips are sealed. No, my lips are sealed. I want them to open up and praise the yeah. Lord. Yeah, fifteen. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I may my mouth may praise you. And I love this next part, verse sixteen. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Is David throwing out the entire law in this statement? Oh, wow. That's a good thought. Is he throwing out the entire law? No, I think he is showing what the fulfillment and intention of the law was. He's not saying that it's wrong. He's just saying that the that really the sacrifices and 
the the actions that we were supposed to do in the temple were supposed to be accompanied by, and they were supposed to be a symbol of a broken and repentant heart. And I think what happened is that they'd gotten it, reduced it down to a whole bunch of just tick a few boxes and somehow you'll receive forgiveness and you'll be right with God. And, you know, to some degree, I think even maybe that has even happened in some aspects of some of the Catholic teaching around, you know, say three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and they release it down to a ritual practice as if somehow, and I'm not saying that that's what they would necessarily the purpose of teaching that confessional process, but I think what happens is it becomes the human nature goes, oh, that's easy. I can do that. I can just say a few things, do a few things, sacrifice an animal and I'm fine. And God's saying, it's, and David here is recognizing it wasn't actually about the ritual. The ritual was symbolic of the heart. God's really looking for the heart. Uh, this isn't the only place this is mentioned. It's mentioned uh, in, in Saul says it to Samuel, does the Lord delight in sacrifices as much as in obeying the word of the Lord? It's mentioned a couple of times, that that quote. And I think David is recognizing here, what God's really looking for is a heart that is open to him. Isn't there that verse of the Lord looks over the heart for people, will, looks over the earth. Yeah, for those who, Second Chronicles something. Yeah, the Lord... The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely devoted to him. Does this point back to, or should I be thinking of Cain and Abel in these verses here, that Abel had the broken heart? Can it help me understand that? Yeah, Abel had the broken point. heart yeah. and Cain did not have yeah, the broken heart. It wasn't about the sacrifice. It was about the spirit the, the spirit sacrifice behind was offered the sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think that's when, and that's what God's looking for. The broken heart. The broken heart, yeah. the, the repentant heart, the contrite spirit. Because he can work with that. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's room to move. There's room to grow there. But a hard heart, can't do anything with it. See, this, these few verses here, doesn't Jesus actually quote these? Uh, does he quote these? Uh, or am I getting that confused? Maybe I can't. Else? He could do. I can't do think not, I think he does. He may have to. I just, we'll have to Google that I've later. I've driven a blank there. Yeah. I just can't remember. I thought... Yeah, it doesn't come to mind where he quotes Psalm 51. Okay, just want to point this out because this is kind of yeah. exciting. When I read this, these verses here, 16 to 17, immediately I think of Cain and Abel. It took me back to the beginning. Yep. Right? And then I think, oh, to learn about Cain and Abel, I need to sort of read more because it's a strange little story. Yep. But the more I read, the more it makes sense. And then I look at this and then it points to Paul as well. And I think, oh, Paul must have read this. Yep. And gone, ah, oh, you don't re- desire a sacrifice. You'd offer one a new heart. Like it all seems to connect yep. to these, to Psalm 51. It does. This is a, a good, this is a pivot point between Old Testament practice of religion and New Testament experience. It's the, it's showing that it was always there in the background. That's a great thought. Yeah. And we're talking about new hearts, God looking around the earth for the new heart, or looking for the people willing to serve him. Then when... Christ comes along, he gives us a new heart. There is that verse saying, I will give you new hearts. Mm-hmm. And now that we have a new heart, shouldn't we all be willing hearts to serve him? Yes. So God should be looking down and going, where I couldn't find where many couldn't hearts find them, before, now, now I have that's right. millions. Yep, that's how it should be. Yeah. yeah. And we're on this journey with our new willing heart. Yep. We make mistakes along the way, but we're it's a process. Yep, we're on a journey towards becoming more like Jesus, which is a life that is um, doing righteousness. Doing righteousness. Others. Doing righteousness. Yeah, caring for others. Yep, that's right. But so good. That's Psalm 51. Yeah. Go it read any, it. Go yeah. read it, people. Yeah, it's a good, read it regularly. <laughs> 
So we're going to do Acts 5 to finish. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. We're in the book of Acts. We Here we are, book of Acts. Yeah. Acts 5. Acts is really talking about the start of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what happens to the disciples and it's less theology compared to Romans. Yeah, it's more Romans, practical. More practical. Yep. All right, so it's a bit more historical. It's a narrative, yes. Narrative, yeah. It's a okay. historical narrative. That's a good way to put it. So this is Ananias and Sapphira. Or Sapphira, Sapphira. Yep. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to do, to give away. How could you do such a thing? You weren't lying to us, but to God. What does that say there? You weren't lying to us, but to God. What does that mean? Kind of sounds a bit like Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned, doesn't it? Similar it totally sort of language. does. Yeah. Same sort of language. And yet they have harmed others by making themselves look good. I mean, you could argue they didn't harm anybody because they still gave money, but they their motive was wrong, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like their motive is full of doubt. Yeah. Because they're setting up this village or... Yeah. Well, it's a new community. A new so, community yeah. and they're bringing what they had. Mm. And it's almost like... Well, I'm going to give you. I'll give you what, this I, but much. I need to keep some because I need need in to keep some In case it falls apart. Yeah, it's that scarcity narrative, which is the Genesis narrative again. God says, "I give you all the trees." Oh, I don't really know what a, that, that tree over there. I might need some of that one too. Um, and I think that's the scarcity narrative that comes, and we desire what we don't have because of a, a fear of what that is God really who He says He is. Did this God is really definitely a fear. Yeah. This is fear. Yeah. Did God really say that if you donate all the money that you'll have enough for yourself, Ananias, as far? Satan has filled his heart with that same question. Did God really say you guys will be okay? And maybe they bought into it and went, oh, maybe we'll just keep some back. Yeah. But but, but at the same time, we want to look good. Uh, Melanie's bringing us a coffee. Oh, she's amazing. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how nice. Don't you wish nice you were part coffee. of this podcast now, yeah, getting right. coffees nice brought flat, to you? Ready to go. Because we have been here for a long time, but it just keeps too getting long. better and better and better, Way I think. Long. This has been a long one. <laughs> this a has been one. the long one. I think it's the toughest topic. It is. Ever. Yep. All right. So here it says you lied to the Holy Spirit. Can you explain on that or uh, elaborate? I, th- I think it's it's probably that whole thing again is that you Lying to the Holy Spirit is sinning against God, I think. I just Maybe it's more to it than that. But it's that sense of I failed to put others before myself. I failed to honor the image of God in others. I've not trusted God in me, what God said to me. So the problem wasn't here that they kept, that they sold the property or, or that, that they kept some. Or that they kept some. No, it was the that they were dishonest. Yeah. The, the practice in the immediately chapter beforehand is people were selling blocks of land. Barnabas had just sold one and gave it away. And it was obviously like maybe – Maybe they wanted the recognition that Barnabas received. So, because they could have just said, oh, look, we sold the block for $100,000. We're going to keep 50 for ourselves, Pete, but here's 50 to go in. Pete would have gone, great, thumbs up. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. Receive that. Because he wasn't trying to say he didn't have it. The problem was not that they kept 50. The problem was that they they made out that the 50 was all they got. Yeah. 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 And and then they die. <laughs> 
Yes, then they die. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. And three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what's happened. And Peter asks her, what was the price your husband received from your land? So she has the opportunity here, to be honest. Yeah. But she... She she, also fails. She fails and she doubles down and says, yes, it was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are going to bury you too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. Great fear in verse 11 gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. What are they afraid of here? Great fear. Afraid. Dying? (laughs) Afraid of going against the awe and the power of this church, this people where people sin and die. I don't don't know. Did this moment... This was an origin moment for the church. Yeah. What were you going to say? Did this moment... Did this moment uh, cause people to remember God... I'll see him with awe and reverence, you think? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, as I say, origin moment. So in this this story has echoes of um, Uzzah touching the ark and treating it with disrespect, the presence of God and dying. Uh, there's, a, there's a handful of times in the Old Testament where you see pretty serious consequences for sins that you don't see every time. Yeah, it's not the first time people have dropped dead. That's what no, Rowan's saying. No, it's not saying. the first time people have dropped dead, No. But um, I, but it, but then again, I I know people who've stolen money and they didn't drop dead. Um, thank goodness. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. So I think it's an origin moment in it's it's in in somehow locked up in the infinite wisdom of God is this story is here to remind us that we we shouldn't just treat the Lord like a buddy from out of town that we disrespect and he's a mate. No, there's there's a holiness. There's an awe. We talk about the holiness of God, the glory of God being wonderful but also heavy and dangerous. And so this is a, this is a reminder that not to just treat the presence of God or His church with some kind of flippant attitude because it's not honouring the image of God that He's impregnated into His church when we do that because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit individually and corporately. Paul would say in Romans and uh, Corinthians. So I think to to dishonour His church, dishonour His body is to dishonour Him, and this is a reminder of what happens when we dishonour or treat as common the things that are holy. That's how the Old Testament puts it. Do not treat as common the things that are holy. Common's not bad. Common's just not separated out, like holiness is something that's separated out that is worthy of respect and awe. Do you think that there's a possible problem with the way that the church goes about promoting the message of Christ as being one of full of love and forgiveness to the point of where we forget God's amazing power that we we're so focused yeah. on the love and how he yeah. is our buddy as you said before yeah. that we forget he is creator god I think that's that he a is risk magnific- for our magnificent magnificent I think that's from. a risk for a lot of western churches yeah definitely um there's nothing wrong with focusing on the love of god definitely some churches go the other way and their risk is focusing too much on the holiness and that creates a fear and a you know and uh, unhealthy kind of slavery like we've been talking about. But I think our risk, generally speaking, is probably more the other way, to not treat the presence of God with and the glory of God with the respect that he deserves. Well, I see in Psalm 51 and in, in 2 Samuel 12 when um, David is on the floor. He's in that grievous moment, mm. but he's he's I think he's thinking about God, like the awe, yes, you know, and he he is being in reverence to God mm. in those moments, 
And is that something we should do more in our own prayer life? Like when we're sitting, sitting or standing, we should be worshiping at the same time as praying and asking. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, is yeah. it was a bit an, an roundabout way heart? of asking that? Is that what you're saying? Like completely everything about us engaged in yeah with God. Is that what you mean? Yeah, engaged. Um, but while we're we're praying, we're we're thinking about how great he is. We aren't just thinking, hey, God, can you heal this yes. person or can you help me get the money or can you help me, help me, help me? But instead we should be saying, God, you are mighty. Our you Father are, in heaven. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be, then we skip over that bit and then get it straight to the list of things that we're asking for. Yeah, but we skip starts, over the bit, bit as well, forgive others. Forgive as others. Forgive They're the two bits we like to skip over. And I think that's the bit, yeah, it starts with an acknowledgement of God's holiness and reverence and awe and the, the power of God and the majesty of God. In fact, we can't expect, if we don't focus on that, how can we expect that um, we're going to have an awareness of God wanting to do anything great for us? It's it, He does that because of his greatness and his holiness. He's able to do those, give us, you know, give us our daily bread because he's great and he's holy. So start there. That's what was probably missing in these guys was a lack of awareness of the holiness of God. And the lack of awareness of the holiness of God, but they've also not seen the whole in, the image of God in others. Yes. Yeah. You know, this whole conversation has completely changed my thoughts on sin. Whereas um, before, well, growing up, my entire life, I have a lot of problems with my <laughs> growing up. How old used to anybody that used to go to church with Jeannie? She yeah. doesn't mean that. <laughs> no, 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 no. But there was a list like, do not do this, do not do that. Uh, you, um, one of the, the list would have been, you can't be divorced in the church, do not drink. Do not go out with this kind of person. Sure. Do not go dancing. Do not yep. <laughs> wear short skirts or whatever. That is what I thought fences sin was. Fences around fences we were talking fences about. Fences around fences. Yep. This is what I thought sin was. It's all this list of rules yep. that the church I felt had created. Yep. The whole time I did not see that sin was what we've been talking we, that about. image. Now. Yep. I think to sum this up, the question needs to be, let's move away from listing and focusing on a list of sins and let's focus on the fact that in Christ you are now empowered to do righteousness. What does it look like to do righteousness, to restore righteousness with others? So we have taken, in doing so, we will automatically avoid sin because now we're not just, we're not just uh, withholding doing bad things and harming the image of God in, another, in one another. Now we're actually honoring the image of God in one another by wanting to do good things for the other person. So we can actually flip the whole thing on its head. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This has flipped this whole thing on its head to me. But when I think about it in this context of see, desire, take, take, yeah, and the idea of rejecting God as the sin, not honoring others, now I can see how I can really understand the verse when Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall be given eternal life. Because mm-hmm. I used to see it as whoever, but not this person who does this, 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 yeah. this, and this. Right? It's whoever. Whoever except the list, the people that are on the list that I have. Yeah. Or the list the church has. The yep. list the church has. Yeah. And a lot of people do think that the church has these lists. Mm. We've had ba- bad marketing. We've yep. done terrible things. We've done bad PR for ourselves. Bad haven't we? PR. Yeah, we have. Um, we have kicked people out. Mm-hmm. We have hurt people. 
we have made up our own rules and mm-hmm. I, th- I fear that we're becoming the Pharisees. Yep. We're creating yep. fences that keep people out rather than keep people in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well said. <laughs> well said. Really? That, yeah. That's really good. And I think that's the, that's the journey that we're on, finding out how do we do this because it's a lot of unlearning what we're talking about to, yeah. to change this. And when you talk about sin like this, that puts me smack bang in the centre of being sinful, whereas I think our world at the moment teaches us that we're not sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actually said on this podcast before that sin is dead. Sin is dead, yep. Sin is dead. You mentioned that in the last chapter yeah. when we were talking about Romans 7, actually. You mentioned Did that. I? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I yep. don't know what yeah. I've talked about on this. Yeah, you were t- we were talking about, um, yeah, just... It was such a long time ago, Jeannie. But yeah, we were just discussing yeah. that. You were talking about sin being dead. Yeah, yeah. sin is dead. Yeah. But sin, but when other people do stuff to me, that's when sin is not dead. Yeah, when it? other people do things to me, sin yeah. is not dead. But when I, just in my daily life, when I am parking in a 30-zone park and I want to park there longer, and I do, that is sin because it hurts the person who wants, who's waiting with their flicker yep. on, indicator on, wanting yep. the Wanting spot. to get in. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So it, I'm a sinner. I'm a, sin- I'm a sinner, saved by grace. Saved by grace. Work in and progress. And now I am a saint. A saint. Yes, mm. the Bible actually Ooh. does say I'm a saint, yes. doesn't it? Well, you yeah. are a saint, I'm a saint. So there's so much freedom in this. So I think it was years ago I was heard it was said, we need to see ourselves as saints who struggle with sin rather than sinners who struggle with sin. There's a bit of a difference there. Because it's coming from that new creation life. I'm a saint who still faces sin, but I put to death sin through the work of the Spirit. Yeah, that's good. I like what you said there. So, I, so anyone can come to yep. this. Anyone is able to have this offer of a new heart, of a changed life, a connection with God, um, no matter who you are, no Amen. matter what you have done. Yep. So all those lists that I have thought were there, gone. Amen. Amen. Yep. Don't don't focus on the lists. Don't folks. focus on the lists. Yeah. Forget about Jeannie's lists. Yes. Your church might have had different yeah, lists. Might have different lists. And it's yeah. not that there aren't occasional lists in the Bible, but there 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 is examples. But if you look at those lists, I think I said this. If you look at those lists and filter it through, the purpose of those lists is where I'm harming others. Then it, you realize the spirit behind those lists is not just that the list is supposed to be some exhaustive list, but what's the spirit behind it? Once again, it's harming others. Harming others. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to go on to the next bit of this chapter here sure. because uh, once we become Christians, once we accept Christ and then we're aware of this suffering, that we, this noble suffering that our life isn't going to, does, am I, does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. All right. So, but we see this playing out here. So as soon as the apostles, um, they are empowered to go mm-hmm. and preach and they go and preach in the temple every day and more and more people are believe and they're brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women and sick people are brought out on the street beds. Um, here's a funny thing, brought on the street bed mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by and they were healed by Peter's shadow. Mm. That's freaky stuff. <laughs> crowds came, uh, people are changed. But then as soon as this happens, there is this opposition and this suffering. The Pharisees are, persecution once are filled again. with jealousy. Mm. The Sadducees, sorry, they're filled with jealousy. They see and they want Yep. They see what is going on. They desire that for they themselves. They desire the, the glory for themselves, yep. And then they take them and they put them in prison. There you go. See, desire, take, right yeah, there. You just right commented. There, it's yeah. right there in Acts chapter 5, 17 and 18, yep. 
Yeah. So there's this huge progress, but then there's this pushback against them. Mm. Mm. Yep. That's yep. it. Moving forward will create suffering because we are suffering. shining a, a different worldview into the world. So it's almost like as we immediately take hold of our new life, no condemnation, there is an outside force, an evil force that comes to yep. push us back into the old marriage, mm-hmm. if we can, the old law. Yep. Yeah? Or sh- at least shut us down so we can't we can't in- invite new people into the new marriage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where the Holy Spirit is working, there's also this evil spirit working yep. against. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the enemy is working behind the scenes, as the New Testament would put it. Yep. And the enemy has worked behind the scenes in the church as well, mm-hmm. don't you think? Where there's been progress, change, people's lives have changed. But then, as we said, we need a new marketing manager. There's been pain that's been caused and all sorts of awfulness at the same time. Yep. Yep. You're just saying, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. we do need a new marketing. I think the marketing manager is learning to discover how, how Jesus wants his church promoted and live that life. And we'd probably be able to, in the process of doing that, heal a lot of the past hurt. A lot of the past hurt. Yeah. So to heal the past hurt, how do we do that in the lives around us? That's a big question. If you're meeting people who have been harmed by the church um, or had negative church experiences, there's always a lot of people who lash out against the church. There's a story behind that. Almost inevitably there's a story. So before you get defensive, feel like you have to fight for Jesus and stand up for his integrity, acknowledge the fact that there's a story there and ask the question. Just say, what's been your experience? Tell me. And then genuinely don't get defensive. Just And if you need to apologize or acknowledge, just be comfortable with acknowledging we're really sorry that, you know, that that's been your experience with church. That's not Jesus' heart. And begin that process of reconciliation and forgiveness there. And that's how you will, if you're going to have any chance of winning that person to Jesus, it's going to have to begin with a vulnerability and acknowledgement of the fact that the church hasn't necessarily been to that person what they needed or what it should have been. But at times it does get it right. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Off, more off. I mean, we're focusing on a lot of the negative here, but yes, yeah. the church does wonderful things and continues to do wonderful things. It created hospitals in, yep. the, in the original and um, schools. Yep, it, well, major institutions like that were birthed in the school. Yep, birthed in the church. Here's an interesting verse in verse 38 where the Pharisees have all got together and they said they want to kill these guys. They want to kill the apostles. And he says, somebody says, hang on, my advice here is leave these men alone, let them go. If they are planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But it is from God, but if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. That church continues. We're yes. still here thousands yep. of years. Two thousand years later, later, we're still going. Therefore, should we say it is from God? Yes. Amen. This message of Christ is from God. Yep. It is from everyone. It's moving. It's it's alive. It's yep. transforming lives. Yep. And and I'm still on that journey of discovering what it means to live a life that reflects him and has less of me in there. And I think we all should stay on that journey. And every day we get up and we say Psalm 51. Yes. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Yep. Yeah. So I, before I start making little lists of the day of how to be a better <laughs> better mother, a better person, I should confess I cannot do this No, nah, that's right. Lord, I need you. Fill me, Lord. You. I want to walk in the spirit today. I want to practice your presence today. That's better, the great place to start yeah. the day. And better yet, no lists. Yeah. Rather turn my mind to yep. him. Yep. It come in awe and reverence. Say, Lord, help me to do righteousness today. Help me. 
And to remember, I am not condemned. If God doesn't condemn me, then I shouldn't condemn myself. Amen. Nothing Amen. can separate us. Nothing can separate us. I think we did it, Jeannie. I think we've done I it. I think it's like going to be five hours long or something. but Yeah, five hours long. And if you're still <laughs> here, uh, well done. Yeah, well done, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much.